Boxcaster online. Authorization accepted. Upload confirmed. Begin transmission. bulky shape appeared on the roof of the Percentor's palace. Ancient Rylanor strode to the edge of the roof, overlooking the scenes of horror below, the viral carnage seething between the buildings. Rylanor's dreadnought body was sealed against the world outside, sealed far more effectively than any Astartes armor, and the deathly wind swirled harmlessly around him as he watched the city's death unfold. Rylanor looked up toward the sky, where far above, the War Master's fleet was still emptying the last of its deathly payload onto Istvan III. The ancient dreadnought stood alone, the only note of peace in the screaming horror of the Coral City's death. And that was a passage from Galaxy in Flames, the third book in the Horus Heresy series. And you are listening to After Olinor, the... Horus Heresy Book Club. I'm Dave Whitek. And I'm Greg Dan. And those sultry uh, tones you were listening to at the start is uh, Carl from the Independent Characters. Hello, and be happy I didn't sing on this show like I did on The Overlord. <laughs> Feel free Absolutely. to sing. I sing, I rap, you don't listen to Garage Hammer. It's horrendous. <laughs> it's all sorts of bad. Uh, you know what? That was the passage I was... That I would have picked. That's really bizarre. Really? I went through here and him standing on top of that, looking over it, and all the poison and 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 the and people. I'm like, this is that's the one thing that I actually remembered and looked forward to to reading again yeah. uh, when I hit the book was that particular part because I just remember it really struck me. So that's really bizarre that out of a 400 page book we chose the exact same passage. Well, I think that it's might- a pretty seminal scene in this book. You know, I mean, it's it's. It's the he's the only pertinent person, if you will, witnessing this at the point that's going to live through that. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, and, and see what he sees. And uh, I found him to be a really interesting character in the book as well. For a guy who has such a small part and doesn't have too many lines, I mean, mm-hmm. even when they introduced him, how it was like you don't. Li- I mean, we'll get to it later, but the I just I really he, he was he was a really great character. Mm-hmm. All right, so you know what? Um, well, before we jump into the book, uh, we should take a moment to thank our sponsor, Greg. Absolutely. Um, once again, oggames.co.uk for all your gaming needs, um, for your magnets, so you can magnetize your models to bases or you can leave arms off and arm swap them in so you don't have to spend so much on the £50 Games Workshop um, box sets they're doing at the moment. Um, and in fact, your £50 box sets won't cost that much because you get up to 15% off on them anyway. So head over to Odd Games. In fact, I think they've just got uh, the Horace Heresy board game back in stock. Yes, they did. It was, was on it? Twitter yesterday. About £65-ish, £67, so a little bit off retail. So there's a, a topical one for us there. I like that to. game. It's a brilliant, brilliant game that I don't get to play enough. It's it it's not cheap, but you get a bajillion little pieces, as most fantasy flight games have. There was a there was a point around the holidays where fantasy flight was offloading a bunch of stock they had 
and they were selling it for something like $25. Are you kidding? No. I bought like three of them to give away. Oh, heck. I'd even Love buy me. one from you, but we'll talk no, about no, that no, I gave, I gave oh, away to friends as, oh. as Christmas gifts. So. Oh, wow. You looked like a prince there, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Until <laughs> <laughs> they all realized it. <laughs> well, I borrowed well, – actually, well, um, one of the sponsors of our regular show, Unique Gifts and Games, you know, they've got a gaming section where you can play games there in the store, and that's one of the store games. And they were yeah. kind enough to let me borrow it. Uh, I was planning on doing a review of the game for Garage Gamer, but I could never get Christopher to actually come over and play it. But if it didn't take so long to set up, I'd play it a lot more often. But that game is just all sorts of awesome. It does take a while to set up. And you get to play as the Emperor or, or Horace and, and, all his, and all the lackeys that are with him. So it's, um, it's a pretty awesome game. It's one of the few games I've played where I actually had – there's like this sense of dread – like if you're playing the good guys and suddenly guys next to you can just suddenly switch on you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God. But uh, I guess that's ne- technically neither here nor there. Um, so, uh, Carl, uh, yeah. for those of you, for anyone who's listening and, and doesn't know, Carl is uh, one of the hosts of the Independent Characters. Um, it's it's one of the top. It, and my, well, my humble opinion, it's the best 40k podcast out there. It's the yeah, only 42. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's um, it's the only 40k podcast I listen to regularly now. I used to listen to loads and kind of drew them back, but it's one of the reasons Dave and I accepted. Carl, Carl emailed us about being on on the show, and one of the reasons we accepted. Carl was because we both listen to the show and we know that the way Carl looks at books and, and the way he looks at the gaming as well is very much kind of in keeping with how we wanted the show to be and how we look at but, stuff. Well, and to be fair, the email was Carl saying he listened to the show and, and he liked it. And then we emailed him We're back. not just going to accept and everyone him on. that says that, though. But yeah, but no, I was like, <laughs> but I, yeah, I did. I mean, at, at a risk of like totally fanboying out, I remember getting the email and forwarding it to Greg and going, oh my God, Carl from the Independent Character sent us an email. He's listened to it because. You guys are so silly. You know, you, you do a podcast too. I mean, it's the same and thing. I, okay. And I know, and you know what? People come up to us and they do the same thing. And I look at them and they're like, oh, you're Dave. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I play Warhammer in my basement. Please don't treat me special. But uh, honestly, your show is the one that inspired a lot of the stuff on Garage Hammer. The type of book reviews and stuff we do is from listening to your guys' Forge World book reviews and stuff like that. You do, you do, you really do. As as a guy who doesn't regularly play 40k but loves the fluff and loves to kind of listen. In fact, my my entire knowledge of how to play the game came from listening to the the uh, originally listening to like the Eleventh Company and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. right now, you're pretty much the show. We listen to outside of book reviews because you don't do the codex reviews. But- yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of shows already do that. It's funny, you know. Uh, every now and then, I get an email from somebody who's like, "You should really cover this codex, and we want to know your opinions on it." And I'm like, "Well, you know, <laughs> I'll give you my overall opinion." The thing is, uh, take for example, um, there's a, a guy that reviews on Bell of Lost Souls the, the weekly the weekend podcasting. Right. And I noticed when say the Necron Codex came out, I, I I looked at the reviews up there and we didn't cover the Necron Codex because everybody else did and and I searched for the word Necron on that page <laughs> and it showed up like twenty four times uh but not once in in our show because you know, we we try to go against the grain in that aspect. I mean, the, why cover what everybody else is covering? We don't do news because our show comes out once every two weeks, and if people 
keep on top of what's coming out. There's there's no point in us repeating it. And I find that most people, uh, yourselves maybe excluded, don't listen to just one 40K podcast. They probably listen to multiple. And so... Um, well, at the time I was listening to about six or seven, but now I'm down to about two. But yours is the one that's always... Like as soon well, really as it downloads, it. and in fact, on Saturdays when I drive Harrison to fencing, I, it's one of the shows I know is family friendly, and he's twelve. And like, what are we going to listen to? Hey, did the ICs have a new episode out? So, yeah, it comes out every Sunday or every <laughs> other Sunday, rather. Yeah, and uh, uh, it, it does have an explicit tag on it, um, and people often ask why we put that there, and it's just there because you know we consider it PG thirteen, and occasionally we will let go with some word <laughs> yeah uh, but but we really do keep it toned down and and we don't go overboard on that just and, and it's kind of become habit now as we record and it's funny because i swear like a sailor normally but as soon as <laughs> as soon as i get on the mic i just stop it just turns off so the other thing that, that kind of we thought was uh that the independent characters actually you did um a really in-depth review of um betrayal yes which oh, yeah. we failed to talk about in the last podcast. So, um, I mean, I would, if anyone, you know, wants, it's, it's more heresy stuff. It's more stuff you can listen to. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what show number it is. <laughs> I, Jeez, I don't either. It's actually over two, two episodes, I believe. Yeah. It's, um, it's, but you can, you can look that up on, on the website and, and through Twitter. It's, it's easy enough to find, uh, through uh, iTunes. Yeah. And it's when, easy when enough the, to, when the second Forge World, Horse Heresy book comes out. We're going to be covering that too. I'm I'm very excited about that series. I'm sure we'll you know for the for those who who might not be listening, we'll you know we'll let people know that that's up as well because that's a a real proper read. Episode sixty three and sixty four released October seventh and October twenty first of last there year. There we go. That is kind of you know as in depth as we're going through the books. You go through the the betrayal book, yeah, which is yeah. another place for a lot of information that you can only get in one place well and I, I talked my mother into buying me that book as my sole christmas slash birthday present so i was like listening intently because i wasn't getting the book for another two months so it's worth every penny oh it's, it's a great book i mean it is very pricey but it shows and it's it the content exactly. and the quality it, it, is amazing. It's expensive but it's worth what you're paying mm -hmm. i'm mm -hmm. a person who will never ever I would I would safely say never ever play a game of 30k from that mm -hmm. book, and I'm so happy that I have that book, and I will be buying the next one because if you like the fluff, and if you like the if you're listening to this, you like the fluff. It's it's amazing. <laughs> the, o yeah. the only problem with the next two books being there's only going to be a six month gap between the two of them, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it becomes a little bit more expensive. It needs to well, wallet. Yeah, well, uh, Alan Bly, who's writing it. Uh, and who has written the first one? He's writing the second one right now. Uh, I mean, he's working closely with the Black Library guys, and you know they're all working together to make sure it all meshes. And it's they told him he was crazy when he took on the <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the 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 task of writing it. And I think more than one person told him, "I'm better you than me." <laughs> but uh, but he's done an amazing job. And if they're coming out six months apart and they're eating into your hobby dollar, I would suggest episode 76 of The Independent Characters, How to Cheat <laughs> with 40K, oh, which has tons of great examples on how to uh, just uh, hide the fact that you're... <laughs> that you're it's purely in jest. <laughs> it, was, it was funny, though, because you know what? Every once in a while there's a suggestion, oh, I already have this army, or I'm just... I, dude, I've, 
I, I've done half of those things. We start we started out light, right? Yeah. Actually, my my friend that joined us on that, uh, I'll say he, he got he got in trouble with his wife for joining us on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, she saw the topic come up on our Facebook page, and she's all, "I'm going to listen to this one." Uh oh. <laughs> He, he, he got it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's do this. Let's. Uh, why don't we jump in to uh, Galaxy and Flames with just uh, basic overall impressions of the book, uh, Carl? Sure. Sure. I'll start off. Yeah. Uh, so you know what was interesting is when I first started listening to your show. Uh, you know, I immediately there, there's very like you guys. There's very few podcasts that I listen to all the way through. Now uh, I will skim through some to get kind of hear what what the rest of the community is doing that kind of thing but uh yours really hit a, a note with me and i was like oh yeah you know i read those books years ago and i love to hear what other people think about them and so when we started talking about this i said well i want to read reread a book before we start talking about it. it's been so long ago i don't really remember and so i reread this book and for me reading it the second time through after so much time and i've and i've learned so much since this book came out about 40k and about 30k and about the, the universe in 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 total that's been written about here that now when i went back and read it i was like oh yeah this guy's related to this guy okay okay these guys are you know the the legion of this primarch i i i saw all the connections that when i read it through the first time i was it was shortly after i'd kind of gotten into 40k and i really didn't I was lost a lot of the time. This time through, I felt like I knew exactly what was going on. I knew where some of the characters were going to end up. Certainly, I had my favorites uh, going into this and some of my favorite scenes. But uh, for me, reading this again was fantastic. And I think this is really the culmination of the first three books. And uh, this is where the majority of the action takes place and, and the, the, the true betrayal comes to light. And at the end of this, you're left kind of going, well, now what's going to happen? And to be honest, uh, you know, after this, they, they start to delve more into uncharted territories. They start off in the beginning of the, the first three books in areas nobody's ever really written about. And then they get to what you're hoping they get to. And now you're kind of like, where are they going to go from here? I, I was I was surprised how much I enjoyed reading it the second time. And, and I was engrossed in the whole thing from from start to finish so I'm, I'm happy that actually i would probably not have reread it had i was not going to be on this show and and i'm glad that i was because now I've, I've i've really enjoyed my second tour through it you know i i had the same thing and i'm gonna just say i mean obviously i love this book but what really got me was it's like like you said when you see characters now that you kind of know where it's going because at the end of the they're later in the book when they come up and they're like who is this and this is Captain Gar of the Eisenstein I heard the Indiana Jones music go off like right when that happened I was like yes because it's like you know these are characters that and when I first read it I had no idea who Garo was and now he's like probably like my favorite one of my favorite characters if not my sure. favorite character in the whole series Flight of the Eisenstein which is our next book is probably my favorite book in the series I mean I'm only on book I don't know what's 18 or 20 or something like that of them so far but at this point, it's like, you know, you, you see characters now that you've grown to love and they first show up and you're like, hooray. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Eisenstein, I, I agree with you. I think it's a great book. I really, really enjoyed Eisenstein. Which is all awesome topics for next Egg, Next, po I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No spoilers. <laughs> Greg? I'll just jump in there. Um, what are your thoughts there, Greg? My thoughts on this book. Uh, now, how do I sound this and make it sound right? 
Um, it's quite tricky to do. Um, I'll start by saying Talking Heads, which I talked about on last podcast, um, actually their piece on their slight review of this book, um, they mentioned that they heard rumours that the way Ben Counter, because he wrote this book, um, the way he left some of the characters at the end of it was deemed to be not satisfactory and very a few things that happened through it where Graham and Dan wrote extremely closely on the first two books. That kind of link wasn't quite there with Ben and then they actually then went and kind of fed into Ben on writing it. I mean, if you go and listen to their podcast, you hear them talk about it, they know, you know, I'm, I'm retelling their story, mm-hmm. of retelling stories. Um, to me, if I reading it the second time, I could feel that it had been edited and changes had been made, um, uh, which, you know, not necessarily obvious, but it felt a little bit, there was a couple of bits that just jarred me a little bit. Um, the other the only other issue I've got with it, and it's only a minor issue to be fair, the other issue I've got with it is compared to Dan and Graham's first two books, um, that they they allow things to be kind of worked out. Ben Counter seems to tell you exactly what's happening and why. Hmm. And it's all, I, and it's, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. I really enjoy the book. At a certain but, point, you have to have that reveal. But I, I, the thing I will say about Ben Counter's writing on this book is the the depth with which he goes into the characters themselves i don't feel is as deep or as solid as like ben and or excuse me uh, uh dan and, and graham's writing right yeah um, it feels more more cursory and and to a degree I, I i thought that was intentional i thought to a point they're like well we've explained who these characters are now 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 let's just show the action that they're going to be involved in yeah so i mean pathway through reading i think i said to to um, David at some point, yeah, I'm not enjoying it as much. But actually, I was. I was trying to look too deep into a book that doesn't do that with the characters. It's you know, this is all. This is the big action sequence of the end of the trilogy. At the end of the day, uh, and most of the book happens, you know, in the middle of battle, um, and that's what it is. That is the book. It is. It's telling. It's the events rather than the people. As you said, the people have been dealt with. This is what happens to the people that we now know about, and which th- is good and it's really enjoyable. But I really enjoyed the character development of the first two a bit more per se. But well, and that might lend itself a little bit to the only criticism I have, which is especially at the end of the book, it felt a little rushed. Yeah, and I that's where I think it's near the end of the book is where I think they made quite a few changes. Um, the as they said, the comedy spearing of uh, Khan, the James yeah. Bond, the James Bond <laughs> villain death yeah, of yeah. Khan. Um, I forgot. About that. I did forget about that too when it happened. Yeah. I read it. I was like, "Wait, what just happened?" No. Yeah. Uh, Logan has a house fall on him. Uh, you know, and you've just kind of you know, every, everyone loves Logan. He's just amazing, and yet you've just killed him, and it's like. Did he have to die in that way? And uh, it just feels a bit weird that he's either not killed and, you know, and and beaten or he's not survived. He's just kind of buried. Mm. Felt a little bit weak. 
but and looking back on it, if he didn't get his book death scene, he didn't get his final it, statement, yeah. his final thought, his final anything. Absolutely. Or yeah, his final moment of because if he I died, remember, it would have been his absolute moment of defiance. You know, he could have stood in front of a baddon and just gone no. Yeah, you know, had his head well, not like a Darth Vader, no, but you know. Yeah, no. But a, uh, I remember uh, emailing uh, no. you and and also Brian Steele, another friend of mine who's really into 40k, going, "Wait, is he dead? Because hmm. like, like what what's what's happening? Like, and of course nobody. It just felt my unfulfilling. Question. Yeah, I mean, um, I like the book. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. I was just like at the end, and we'll and we'll get to that when we get to part three of this. Yeah. But and, and if if it's true that they went back and kind of changed things, it, it does feel like that a little bit. But but yeah, that yeah. happens. It's also as well. I've been looking at. Um, I've got the hard book, hardback cover in front of me at the moment. Um, the first three books have their very own art style that that slightly mm-hmm. changes with the next book. I feel. You mean the cover? Um, the cover, yeah, that's oh. something that I think we're gonna, we we just will mention like every podcast now. I think it's something that is quite important to the heresy is the art style, particularly with the comic book coming out uh, the end of this year. So I I just kind of wanted to mention that we've got um with Flight of the Eisenstein coming up next. There's a very kind of definite style that then follows through the books. Oh, and these first ones uh, are a little different? These first ones are ever so slightly different. Well, there aren't many grand scales that they follow through. All the first three books are hundreds of marines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's all very... Um, yeah, they got that very, one long-haired dude on the fir- on the cover of the first book. He always irritates me. It's like the heavy metal space marine. Because every time you read, they are all got crew cuts and stuff, or top knots, and there's this one yeah, dude. But that, that's, that's a nod to the old-school heavy metal space marines. Yeah. That's the way they used to be, dude. <laughs> hey, I'm new to all this. Okay, I get, yeah, I, man. get I, I get my excuse. Back in the late eighties, it was all it was all you know chaos. Before chaos came, what became what chaos is? Chaos was just an alternative way of living, pretty much for space marines. It wasn't necessarily the you know the darkness and everything else. It was just screw you and your your organized kind of imperium and all that. And so we're going to go and do what we want. The oh, funny okay. thing to me about this cover is there's one character in on the front cover that is uh helmetless. Yeah. And if you look closely, uh he has like a very short shaved mohawk, but because of the shading <laughs> it looks on like his, he goes massive. Yeah, he looks like he's got this spike hair in the front and I, I every time I look at it I have to remind myself, oh yeah, it's not spiked hair in the front. <laughs> yeah, at first mohawk. I looked at that too and I said, wait a minute. I looked closer. You can't put your helmet on over that. <laughs> And I just can't believe that Space Marines are sitting around with hair gel. <laughs> Part of their genetic coding. They're in first <laughs> it's, the, it's like the 20, 20th part of their, um, you know, I their tolerate change. I tolerate the four-inch top knots, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but I draw the line at hair gel. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Excellent. Uh, all right, so listen, um, we're going to approach this a little bit differently than the others, and if it gets confusing, we can always stop. But I know one of the things that was sort of slowing us down as we were discussing uh, chapter by chapter was, you know, the stories jump between different people's storylines. And so what I've got is, um, what I did was, and I, I don't know if you guys got, I sent it kind of late last night to you guys, or earlier for Carl, but... Um, I have the notes for the book on all the different chapters, and as I kind of took notes on what everyone was doing, I went and cut and pasted. So in each chapter, I've got everybody's storyline like in one piece. So instead of saying, okay, first Cinderman did this, then we go back to, to Loken, then we go back to Cinderman, then we go back to Loken, 
I've sort of got them all sort of streamlined into there. Just what happens to them in their part of the story mm-hmm. in this chapter, just to just for sake of clarity yeah. and, and simplicity. So, um, I guess you guys, uh, why don't we start? I guess why don't we start with uh, part one, the long knives. Sure. Chapter one. Now, um, it's, it's there's sort of a catch me up going on here. Uh, it starts off with another one of these little secret masses for the emperor. And Cinderman is there, and Cassius is saying the mass. Keeler is still in her coma. Um, and then the Astartes arrive and start killing people, <laughs> which you know, Cassius and Cinderman escaped. It was kind of scary. Uh, part of the weird part is the people who got away didn't want to say too much about it. Unlike when the when they were killing people, you know, when they came back with Horace and killed people and there was all this outrage. Here, anyone who would have been there, who would have spoken out about it, was like, oh, they'll come and get me next. Yeah. So there's a huge change right there. This is the second time you see the Space Marines killing humans uh, in the in the in the series, and on this time, it's on purpose with intent, and nobody is speaking up about it. I thought I just found that to be a little bit interesting. Yeah, the whole group, the the assembly, if you will, scatters. Everybody kind of being uh, Cinderman himself, I think, is like uh, shuffled away uh, yeah. in in so that he's not caught, but. Uh, there's a few guys who, you know, with, without really any hope of survival, draw uh, weapons against the Stardis that are coming to break it up as well. And those guys are just gunned down. And, and basically it's just mass chaos at this point. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for me it shows two, two things really. We see the Lectitio Divinitatis has reached, has reached a, you know, a critical point. We've got the point where people are gathering in mass groups. Also the point where Horace wants to shut shut it down because it's grown it's grown it's got power right well Um, Horace is kind of almost within his right I mean we know why he's shutting it down but let's face it I mean it's it goes against the imperial truth too I mean there's a legitimate reason behind the the real reason like I mean granted you don't want to go in there and this well maybe you do every time you if, if a world won't be compliant they wipe them out that's sort of the that's sort of the plan throughout the entire crusade. So I, you yeah. know, I, I suppose it, it's excusable. I mean, it's, in got, their... to the, Go ahead, it's got to a point where now where Horace has to do something about it. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it just, it, first off, it just tells us that they've, they've reached a point where, you know, it's, it's at that mass. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I wrote down briefly was, um, is this the fulfillment of the warnings of carcassy when he was handing out his, uh, pieces of paper? Oh yeah, yeah. This is exactly what he was warning about. That you know, it, what 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 we were talking about in the feedback episode. Um, what happens once the space marines aren't there to protect us? What happens when they can turn their guns on us? Yeah, well, there, <laughs> there you go. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, now, Mercedes Olaton and Cinderman go to see Loken, uh, and you find that it's actually been a year since the Pink Horror Chaos Spawn thing came through in the library. Malaghurst had put through an edict now that, or, or, or Horace, but it came through Malaghurst, that remembrancers cannot, they are either restricted to their quarters or the retreat, which is that, you know, section, that bar that they have, uh, you know, sort of made yeah. up for themselves. But they have broken that and they've come to see Loken. And it's it's interesting because he's, I love him so much and you just, but you just, it's like one of those things where you just want to, you're like screaming at the screen if you're watching on television, like, he knows what's going on, but he just can't accept it. It's like all the pieces are there, and he just... 
I, I actually think there's not a, only are they there, they're in order. He just won't yeah, accept but there's a couple. There's a couple factors here uh, that make that hard for him to accept, and they're they're not readily apparent. For for one, it at this point it is inconceivable for a space marine to turn on another space marine. Uh, yes. They 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 cannot conceive of this. And not the way we can't conceive of, like, our brother turning on us. They genetically are engineered to, not, to, to one, to, to follow orders. Yeah, psychometrically uh, by, programmed, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and two, that, you know, there, there's, there's never any room for doubt. These are the guys next to you that you count on, and that's it. There's no, there's no room for – there's no wiggle room in there. And so for him to come to this – conclusion and and which he ultimately will as, as we'll discuss later um but for him to come to the conclusion that as well as for other other marines to come to the conclusion that that they are being betrayed here they need, uh, yeah, they, is, they, yeah. I, I don't know they, if, yeah, they need but, absolute proof yeah I, yeah and i don't know that the book did or honestly could in in this many pages it, explain the psychological ramifications of that for an adeptus astartes there's just it, i don't i don't i don't know how they could explain it to us in such a way that that we would feel what they feel we can't or that wouldn't be heavy-handed you know broken yeah. uh, you know psychologically unable to accept you, you, that you can't say right. it that way without sounding you know hokey right um but there is i mean there's stuff here and it's just you you almost feel bad for him because it's like you said he knows it's wrong but he he needs that final bit of proof he can't go anywhere unless he's got the last piece in which he just can't get a hold of because i mean there's I mean, one of the parts here, and it's right at the bottom of, of page 31 of the softcover book, because, you know, they go to talk to him, and he's, you know, they're telling him that, you know, people who oppose the War Master are being killed. He tells them about the library. They tell him that, that Petronella's disappeared. You know, we, we all know what happened to her. She was Horace's Remembrancer, which I said to, I had said to Greg before, man, I would love to see that book. They should publish that. Just like whatever Horace said to her for hours, that would be just great. That would sell a bajillion copies. <laughs> Seriously, if they if they could find like get get Dan Abner to sit there and just write down Horace's deathbed confession, they could they, they just they could they might as well just print barrels of money for that. But that's neither here nor there either. But Loken tells them about uh, Varvarus and that he was murdered, and he knows that he was purposely shot by a space marine. And right. and then right down here in the bottom of page thirty one. Then it's true, sighed Sinderman. The naysayers are being silenced. There's still a few of us left, said Loken, quiet, stealing his voice. So he actually counts himself in with the naysayers there. You know, there's a few of us left. Mm -hmm. So it's like he knows he's like taking sides against. He knows there's something wrong here. Yeah. We we do see that. I mean, the training cage is used in each of the three books. Um, And we see, you know. When it started in the training cage, it was all very clean. In the first book, Loken's fighting, you know, he's just showing off. And it was all about his prowess and, and his physique and everything else. In the training cage in this book, it's all about brutally dismantling, you know, one of the attack servitors and just destroying it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a change within himself. He's taking everything he's got out on these robots in, in the training somewhere safe where he can do it. So we we see um, even when people are talking to him, he's much more tense, much more there. He's he's on edge. He just doesn't quite know how to kind of go do a, go about what he's doing. Right. 
And then um, the last bit that actually happens uh, with them is uh, Malaghurst shows up with some, uh, well, basically, they're Imperial Guard, aren't they? They're like the human army. Yeah, they're kind of the, uh, yes, they are. They're like human forces that uh, are being used to help okay. keep keep everybody else in line. Here's my yeah, question. They, just, they, they haven't got um, uh, rank or unit markings on them. Okay. No, but I mean, are they Imperial Guard? I mean, I, I know of the Imperial Guard mm-hmm. from the thing, and I, I they, they know yeah. like Varvarus and his the they call it the Imperial mm-hmm. Army. Are is that is that what eventually becomes the Imperial Guard? Or I mean, does anybody know? I'm just as a guy who does. I think know. I think it's probably a, a, some a, like amalgamation a of that. It, you know, way down the line. I mean, the the Imperial Guard itself is eventually in 40k is drawn from all these different worlds. Uh, these yeah. guys may or may not be, but the reality is, you know, to keep order on the ship. I mean, there's humans on the ship. You can't expect the Adeptus Astartes to be policing everybody okay. and making sure everything's. If, if you go, on. if if you take it um, post post heresy when the uh, Codex Astartes was was released, blah 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 blah, that also affected the Imperial Army, um, mm-hmm. which was then split up into the Imperial Navy and the Imperial Guard. Okay. So the Imperial Army encompassed everything. So that's basically what that. they were, but they Pretty just much, didn't yes. call them that. Okay, because I was, cause yeah. I, I, I noticed as, as far as I um, am aware, that's that's what they were called. But they certainly post heresy. The the navy was split up from the army. I'm just, I like I said, I'm only asking because the the words Imperial Guard were conspicuously absent, and so I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to call them they, that and be like, hey, no, dude, that's not who they, they don't. They, they were, yeah. okay. they were called the Imperial Army. So. But Malaghurst has them escorted art escorted out back to their rooms. Now he's actually now they're he says they're actually confined to quarters at this point. And you see Magard is there. And yeah. he's starting to look different. He's bigger than he yeah, was. Yeah, he's he's roiding out as if you will. <laughs> um there's a couple of things here though. Uh Malaghurst, which uh I think they call him the twisted or something uh, yeah, to yes. that effect. He uh, he kind of has words with Loken there, oh, yeah. and Loken basically stands up for you know Cinderman and and those who are who are there, and he says, "Hey, you know they can come and record whatever they want," and you know they have an argument about that. Uh, but the interesting thing, and you mentioned this last episode because almost the exact same line is used from the previous book, and you know. Uh, Loken tells him at one point, you know, the Emperor didn't send us out here to conquer the galaxy just to become another dictatorship. And Malagurst turns to him and says, the Emperor, and he gestures towards the door, is a long way from here. Right? And this is <laughs> yeah. this is not the first time they said this. I remember last episode, you had mentioned that they had used a very similar line to Abaddon, this. Abaddon says almost exactly the same thing. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's another little feature that just runs through the book. Well, and it's interesting because it lays down. You get those little hints that you know he yeah. that not only isn't he here, but he's not here anymore in spirit. But I think that there's a bit of that is that bitterness. I mean, this whole thing they're, they're like they're all so angry that he left and went home, and now all these weird changes are happening, uh, and that they don't know home. why he went home. Yeah, he won't tell he, anyone. The, the emperor's working on his grand plan, which he hasn't told anyone about. Not not even Horace. Yeah. Which is what makes it so easy for chaos to twist the plan around because, well, why would he keep this secret? He's never kept anything secret from you before. Yeah. But that, that is a great a great argument, and it's just it keeps setting Loken apart. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that even though Torgaddon st- stands against them as well, it's Loken who they all want to get. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, he's the one. Um, which I think because I think I, I don't know if we talked about it on the show before, but it's like you got the Mornival and you've got Loken who is so straight laced and and calm and ra- and then you've got Abaddon who is the, or who is the exact opposite of him, and then you've got Torgaddon and Axiom who are somewhere kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're like that that middle ground. One's a little more melon, and it's it's kind of funny that. Axman is so, you know, they keep, they describe him as melancholic, you know, how he's just sort of always sort of, you know, eh. and Torgan's always joking, even though they're, they're even opposites. They've really set up these, you know, these pairs of, and yeah. with these opposites, uh, but they just, they want Loken and they're, and it's, it's obvious they, that he's the one that they're really pissed at. Right, right. So, um, the other stuff that goes on in chapter one is Horace starts talking to Ing May Singh, his uh, his head um, astropath. Astropath. Uh, navigator. Uh, astropath. Navigator. Navigator. Um, I can't and remember. I he's letting her that the let her know that the Astronomicon will be blocked by warp storms within a few days. So he's got to hurry and get all of his orders out. Oh, in fact, he's asking her about it. How long do we have and stuff like that? I'm sorry, I, I got that backwards. He knows yeah. it's going to happen. They, the, 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 his astropaths do know it's going to happen. Um, I think because uh, it's um, it's part of chaos helping him out, right? To keep things quiet, to make things difficult for moving around. Yeah, this is Horace's big secret that he's got to keep. Um, this whole next venture that he's got, you know, timing needs to be right, and he he can't let it get out before he wants it to get out um but one thing we do see within this is horace is getting really angry at people and yeah he starts threatening people a lot more often he goes from the master cajoler and diplomat to but not even for just people making mistakes this is for people who just can't give him what he needs to happen yeah yeah that's, that that was point. the big thing for me. It was not. It was not. I've I, I've made an error. Oh, were you naughty boy? This was no. That this we're not sure. Well, you need to be sure, or I'm going to have your head. Right. So, like, well, we can't it's be the sure. Darth Darth Vader school of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. It's got a good track record. <laughs> um. And what else is there? Uh, talks to a bunch of people, and he asks her about the saint, doesn't he? Yes. And tell me more about the saint. Yeah, and that's all it says. But basically, she, you know, uh, you find out later, she doesn't give him much information, apparently, about about her. Um, but he does ask her right off, tell me about this person they're calling the saint. And you're like, ooh, he knows about her. Okay. Um, yeah, that creates an immediate sense of jeopardy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... That's chapter one. Well, I think that's the fastest we've ever gone through a chapter ever in the <laughs> these first couple episodes. But uh, in chapter two, uh, we jump back and Cinderman's confined to his quarters. And this is a really interesting thing. He's trying to use his time by writing down all the stuff he's memorized from the books that were destroyed. Right. It's a very Fahrenheit 451 moment here where he's just like. I drew that parallel as well, actually. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah it's just, I've got these books memorized. Let me write them down so that they won't get lost. And then suddenly he gets this message. The the pen almost writes by its own and writes, she needs you. And he he gets it. It's like he knows what's going on. Um, 
And when we get up to the part with Erebus and Horus later, I want to bring this up a little bit because there's there's a theme that I that you see running through all three of these books like this that really I, I that I really liked when I finally picked up on it. But he realizes she's in danger, and so he kind of goes to the guards and start using all of his you know slick talking abilities because you know mm-hmm. as an iterator to uh, con the guys uh, into letting him go visit a sick friend, which isn't a lie, you know. Uh, but he basically heads off to go and, and help her because he knows she's mm-hmm. in danger, which is great, which is the next thing you hear about the humans after Horace asks about her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so go, go save her now. I also liked it. I found it interesting. Once I, I typed up all the notes and I started taking all the different storylines and sort of putting them in, in chunks rather than letting them just go jump back and forth, mm-hmm. you really see these parallel lines running between what's going on with the humans what's going on with the Astartes, and what's going on with the traders. It's an interesting point because yeah. I hadn't drawn the I, – I didn't draw that line from where Horace is saying, tell me about the saint, and then all of a sudden he's like, hey, she's in trouble. Like until you just said that, it didn't occur to me that, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, you're right. Those two things are immediately connected to yeah. each other. Like I said, I had this – I mean <laughs> I don't know if either of you saw it when I sent it, but I took – I sat there writing all these notes about everything that's happening so I don't have to use the book per se. So that way I'm not flipping through pages. Because I did that on the first one we did, the first, and I kept stopping and reading the book, like like looking <laughs> for stuff. So I wrote all these notes, and it's like seven pages typed. It's like there's a lot of stuff here, and I started cutting, pasting it to put all the character slots together, and then all of a sudden it was like, it was like I had turned the, you know, I turned the tumblers on the lock just right, and suddenly click, look, this kind of, when you lay it out this way, you see it happening. And I thought it was kind of interesting, but then it takes us over to the. Uh, Kalanatus system where the emperor's children are out killing greenskins and uh, Fulgrim shows up at the end right, and praises their efforts. This is the first time you see Fulgrim showing up um, and then tells them uh, we're not I'm just going to take a small group of us and we're going to go visit my brother Ferris. Ferris Manus and the rest of you are going to go to Istvan 3. And, uh, and a lot of a lot of them are, are disappointed in this because they, they think he's come to rejoin them and he's like, hey, you know, by the way, I'm going to take off. Yeah. Uh, the rest of you go do this. And they're like, wait a minute. Why, why don't we get to go with you? Yeah. And it's a small group. Um, I like reading in this part. It reminds us also of the difference between uh, Saul Tarvitz and Lucius. Because once again, when you get these battles going between the two of them, every time you show them up, there's such a juxtaposition between them. Um, Tarvitz is disappointed that he can't go with Fulgrim because, of course, everyone wants to go with their Primarch. Right. Uh, Lucius is offended that he wasn't chosen. Right. Yes. You know, why wasn't I chosen? I'm Lucius. I'm so good. You know, um, so you get to see those differences. What I think is interesting is, he, you know, he puts Adelon in charge, but you get inside Tarvitz's head, and I like how he is starting to put things together, too. He's uneasy about all these things happening. There's, you know, there's, wait, one world rebelling is something. Now that Now that it's happening more often, he's like, what's going on? You know, if if these are we going to be in a constant state of war of pacifying places and then going back to make sure they stay in line? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he's also starting to worry about Lucius and how much he enjoys fighting. Like just like he, you know, I mean, they're all made to fight, but he he's almost too happy to be going into the next battle. That worries him. And then the last thing that worried him was this idea that there's something wrong with the crusade. And he knows there's something wrong because we shouldn't have to be going back and repairing the things we've already done. 
So yeah. he's like, there's this need to go back, and we're we're obviously doing something wrong if these planets are falling out of yeah. compliance. And so he's starting to see that there's something really wrong with this, which is which is really great, you know, a great way to to bring him into this fold of these of the loyalists. It's it's also um, he's kind of, I mean, he takes on Loken's role within his own legion. Um, and it's it's showing a similar kind of you know different way of going about it, but he's looking at his legion as you say something's not right, uh, but he can't work it out, and he he can't look at Lucius and apart from just saying well you shouldn't be doing that, yeah that's that's as far as it gets. He doesn't ever think of taking it any further. He's he's questioning and he's looking for kind of what's going on the whole time, which which is what Loken's doing, trying to find out what's going on. On the other side, obviously, at different stages in in that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I found interesting in this book, and I didn't write it down in my notes, and I know it comes up later when they're actually fighting on Istvan Three, is I almost forgot that there were loyalists outside of these one or two characters. Like when he shows up and starts warning. <laughs> yes. I mean, when he shows up and says to the to the world eaters, "We've been betrayed." I mean, when that world eater guy says, "We've been betrayed," I was like, "Oh wait, there's there's there are." You know, it's you're so used to them being the bad guys. Yeah. You know that just when there are the ones that they have to get rid of, you're just you almost. It's like for I almost. World, kind of, yeah, for the world eaters in particular, it it became because they're always. I think part of that is because they're just described as just such berserkers and and you know just revel in the slaughter. And then you're like, well, gosh, that sounds really bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a really bad guy kind of thing. And then these guys are like, hey, wait a second. You know, we're not in the slaughter of us, you know? well, right? And it's it's <laughs> and it's, <laughs> but it's like it's just especially like you said, their legion, their legion fell and obviously they fall to corn, um, but it just it it almost seems like it it seems almost obvious that they would all just go, like it it seemed like the natural progression for them to fall. Well, so when there's ones that don't, it becomes weird for me almost. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that actually. Later on in the book series, beyond even when you are, there's something they're really starting to look into is like, well, why didn't the whole of this legion fall? Yeah. You know, because it's almost, it's almost easier for them to fall than not fall. So why is this group of people not falling? The so other um, point I would, I would make, and you were touching on Lucius and his arrogance of his like martial prowess and all this, is I, I almost felt like he was, it was like almost too overdone just how cocky he was. There was no subtlety about it, you know, for him. He was just absolutely full of himself. This is what I was saying about the the writing style of this book. Okay. That that for me is a prime example of we won't let the, the reader deduce the fact that this is going on. We're going to take a biggest yeah, mallet we can find and smash it into his face but and was, print it on his face. He was kind of that way before, though. I mean, even back on Murder, mm-hmm. he was that way a lot. I, Not as bad. No, it's it's just taking it that... It, it's a fine line to walk, to be fair. How do you get that across? Yeah, but it is... It's, it's, you know, slammed up in your face. Here, look, this is important. <laughs> Make note because of this. Eidolon is just... Or Eidolon, or however you pronounce his name, is he is just as arrogant. I mean, oh, in fact, yeah. I mean, my my little bit about this bit was um, Fulgrim appears every bit as majestic as Horus in this section, and he's you know, um, in fact, even possibly even more prideful for Horus because he's bearing the Emperor's name. And then Eidolon takes that even further. You know, we are superior. 
You know, we're oh, going to yeah. go out there, we're going to show them all because we are the Emperor's children. We are superior to any other space marine. And yep. he steps it up a gear as well. Well, I even love later in the book when you find that they have pre-battle celebrations because it's inconceivable they'll lose. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we might as well celebrate ahead of time. I was How like, what? Yourself, you have to be to be like, well, let's party. <laughs> <laughs> party before the battle. We're celebrating the victory before the battle. Yeah. But, yeah, so... There might be something to that. <laughs> oh, there you go. And then... Uh, At least you've got an excuse if you lose. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I had a hangover. I think that's how I'm going to play from now on. I'm going to be celebrating. <laughs> I'm celebrating winning the battle so I don't have to win it. All right, let's play. <laughs> yeah. Um, last thread here in Chapter 2 is with Loken and Torgadden, and they're discussing how they know something's wrong. People are dying, That sh- you know, like humans are dying. They know something's not right, and it's it's still this sort of dancing around. They can't quite, they can't figure it out, like in you know whether they're because they just can't conceive of it. Uh, but they meet Karn here, mm-hmm. and they start talking to him. And I just I found it funny. I love how the legions see each other, um, and I love when you get these insights into them because they actually go out and just say, "You guys are just a bunch of butchers," and which seems a little rude. But you well, know, no. I mean, you know, even by this point um, in the Grand Crusade, I mean, um, the World Eaters had spent time away from the Grand Crusade. Yeah, because the Emperor sent them away. Yeah, the Emperor sent them away and said, "You guys need to chill. Yeah. You can't just butcher everything on the planet and say it's in compliance. That's not compliance." <laughs> you, and not only that, that, like they would have cases of of the World Eaters being deployed with the Imperial Army. And yeah. like Imperial Army casualties would go through the roof because the world leaders just, just wouldn't, them in. oh, you guys aren't uh, aren't advancing fast enough. Uh, so let me, you know, and, you know, it, oh, you got to really? advance faster. And then, yeah, there was even rumor at this point of of world leaders turning on Imperial Army yeah. uh, guys. Yeah, yep, yeah. Oh wow! And so so, yeah, so I mean, they get so crazy that they're just killing everything that's not a world leader, even if it's, it's a friend. Yeah. Potentially, yeah. I mean, this is <laughs> some of the other Primarchs, even at this point, are like, well, are you sure you want to use the World Eaters? Because if you know, you know the World Eaters are the last resort. Yeah. Once, once you deployed them, you're not having conversations about surrender. It's once they're on the table, it's, it's, it's all, you know, it, there's only one way things are going to end. Is so that, there is, there is that. actually problem. sends them off kind of to the, to this, Remote part, yeah. yeah, of the galaxy, and and says, "All right, you guys go, you know, get 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 a grip over here, <laughs> where where you're away from everybody else." And uh, they come back actually after after a while, and um, I think this is part of part of the reason that you know they're they're left unattended. Unfortunately, I think they're left. I think it was a poor choice on the emperor's part. They're kind of left un, un, yeah. unattended to for too long. Yeah, and it doesn't fix them. If anything, it makes them worse. Yeah, because all that information's in betrayal. Okay, um, in the background for people who are wondering where that is, um, that was the first time that was really detailed, and that much was in betrayal. But yeah, it's, it it seems like another mistake from the emperor. It's um, he, he never quite got anger on right. But I love uh, I love Karn's reaction. He just laughs at them. He's like, "You guys think just because we butcher stuff that we're stupid or we don't know what we're doing?" It was interesting because throughout the book, you do get this glimpse that there, that's. You know, Angron's preferred style of battle is just this hands-on, hands-in. But they're, 
it's like they're not just mindless killers either. They've got yeah. the strategy. They've got this, but you know, I, I think at, at at one point uh, when because this is a discussion I think between Loken and Karn, right? Yeah. And yes. Loken tells him, "You guys are butchers," and and Karn like takes pride in that. He's like, he well, laughs yeah, at him. Yep. That's, that's what we're good at. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. In fact, it and, says it several times in the book. They excel yeah. at massacre. He even he even goes on to say, I mean, um, Khan's response here is, uh, the Emperor knew that sometimes the best course of action is to let the world eaters do what we do best. The War Master knows it too, otherwise we would not be here. Yeah. It may be distasteful to you, Captain, but if it were not for warriors like mine, the Great Crusade would have founded years ago. It's, you know, it, it does. You take, they take pride in, you know, we're, we're here to do the job that you can't do. So can I, can I, well, okay, once again, and I'm, like I said, I, I'm the guy who has only been in it. So their role seems very similar, though, to, and I know this is coming up in later books, but um, Russ and the Wolves. Mm-hmm. I mean, Russ um, and the Wolves are always called, you know, when, when, when you need to set, you know, when, when the Emperor unleashes the Wolves, you know stuff's going to die. Yeah, there's, there's a, uh, again, Betrayal kind of handles that a little bit. Um, I need to go through and read all that. I, damn it, Carl, I listened to you and it was yeah. so thorough. I haven't actually gone through and read all of it. The, the difference between the Space Wolves um, uh, and the world, is, and it's detailed later on in the books, is the Space Wolves will go out and do their task. They, they, you know, they set a task and they go and do that and anything that gets in their way will be stopped. Whereas the World Eaters, it's just there's a planet and they'll take it. <laughs> And it, it's it's much it's yeah you know, it's it's more of a you know one's a laser guided you know sniper rifle the other ones a the a nuke. Yep, <laughs> the world leaders when you absolutely positively have to kill everything yep. on the planet overnight. Absolutely, that's, that's, that's the, the one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I whereas, get it. Whereas the space wolves would go onto that planet and absolutely destroy the one city they have to destroy to take the whole planet and leave nothing standing, but they would leave everything else. Cool, or destroy the military, or yeah, or whatever their planet. role is. Yeah. Yeah. To do that, they'd, they'd do that one task, and then they'd retreat and leave, leaving a planet that you could then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Okay. All right. So, chapter three. Well, we'll say one thing on okay. just um, briefly on on this with Cinderman's um, chat on that. Just looking at my notes, okay. um, I thought that was a really good kind of look at his journey because um, he's. All the way through his his little writings and stuff, he's looking for the truth in this, and it slowly kind of shows that he's looking at. Oh, how do we say this? Bear with me, one second. Okay. Uh, well, while you're looking for that, now that you've mentioned it, it's, it's almost funny you say he keeps looking through all those books and through the writings for the truth. Yeah. And then when the truth comes on, it writes itself on the page for him. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's kind of, yeah, I'm kind of getting there. My written really bad notes, it's great. Um, <laughs> but we see, he, he sees the falseness of the imperial secular truth through through having seen the demon and having seen Keela dealing with the demon more than more than the demon itself. Um, but then he's starting to look at these books and he's got these books that have got faith elements and, and other things and he's starting to bring them in saying, well, actually, you know, I, I, these were, these were, borderline offensive stuff but maybe there's stuff in them uh, he's starting to where, draw the parallels between yeah. historical yeah. references to, to demons and that kind of thing and, to what what is occurring and we see him actually this is his journey for the truth 
you know, not the truth he's been told, but the real truth. Yeah, and he actually says in the last book, if he finds out that the imperial truth is wrong and that this other truth is right, he will announce it from the rooftops because he only cares about the truth. Yeah, and it's and and this is kind of this is the start of his journey in this book of trying to find out what the truth is, which is and and it's it's kind of a journey that goes through quite quite a few stages, and it's really quite cool. Yeah. So now chapter three actually only has it's it's almost all in the war council except for one little bit and it's going back to Cinderman, uh, Arakin, who was uh, who's on the the Deus Irae with uh, Cassius. Um, yes, he wants to believe, or it seems like he wants. To, he just he can't he can't get himself past all the all the you know he's what he's been told his whole life, which is you can't believe this. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cassius shows up and says we've got to go help the saint. Cassius gets the message too. And he's got he's trying to get him with him, and he's like, "Well, we don't, we shouldn't do this. This is not, you know, we're going to get in trouble." So he's sort of like the, you know the reluctant guy, but Cassius is dragging him along with him. These um, are the uh, these are the Titan pilots, right? Yeah, the, yeah, the Titan yeah, crew, yeah, the guy, right, the crew right, right, the Titans. Right. And um, meanwhile, Magard uh, is is uh, sharpening up his his knives, and he's heading out to kill the saint. So right, he's been given the assignment to kill the saint. And uh, I'm just going to call Keeler the saint. That's what everybody else calls her. I'm got yeah, it in my notes is going back and forth. But yeah, but so you you get the interesting. You get the another where you get the two characters again. You get the guy who believes and the guy who kind of wants to but can't. And uh, so they're all off. But meanwhile, you've got the war council being called in Lupercal's court, which is a new addition to the place. They are no longer doing it. Um, and uh, where they where they had this stuff in the war room the, yeah. in the war room. Now it's his court. He's got a throne. Yeah, Horace has a shiny new throne. Lots of banners up that uh, mm-hmm. people don't recognize with weird symbols, eight pointed symbols, and weird purple swirlies and just sorts of stuff that nobody quite knows what they are. And yet anyone who's basic familiarity with 40K knows that they're banners to the Dark Gods. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Horus actually reminds just Loken and Torgadon, your role is to stand here and shut up and make it look like the Mornival is all in unison. Look like the Mornival. Like it's, it's not anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. He doesn't, he's acknowledging it there, actually. Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't warn Abaddon or little Horus. He just... Tells Logan and Torgadon, listen, okay, you two stand here and shut up. Um, Angron arrives, and I loved when Angron showed up. He did not like this at all. He doesn't like the banners, all the pomp, all the circumstances. Edelon oh, no. uh, shows up. Mortarian arrives with Garo and the Terminators. And, of course, Captain Garo shows up, you know, sound the trumpets. Because every time he showed up, I'm just waiting for something to happen. Um and that's when Sh- Horace shows him this vid from from Istvan three, uh, and that Prawl, the leader, and they've they've gone traitor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and an interesting point comes up, which you know was the point I've asked even the second time I'm reading it. I still say, uh, and Edelon's the one who asked it. Why don't we just bomb them? And Loken waits for him to get yelled at by the War Master, but the War Master actually, you know doesn't uh he tells him they're vermin and when you stamp out vermin from afar some invariably survive if we're going to cut out the problem we must get our hands dirty and destroy them in one fell swoop it may not be as elegant as the emperor's children would wish but elegance is not a priority for me only swift victory and uh 
he totally backs down at that point. And in, in reflection there, we're talking about the elements of the the legions that he doesn't want to be around rather than yes, once again, Corral and the other traitors. It's a half-truth. <laughs> There's some double, double meaning there. Actually. Right. Absolutely. Um, then Horace gives them all their jobs. Uh, let's see what I have. Mortarian is going to crack the Coral City. Edelon and the World Eaters are going to the Precentor's Palace. And the Sons of Horus are going to take the Siren Hold. I thought it was funny that he put... Well, you, you almost got to babysit Edelon because he's not Fulgrim. Which, right. which, 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 right. which he tends to forget at times. Uh, and and it speaks act- up out of, out of turn in some cases. Yeah. Which, and which, almost gets killed by Angron for doing so. That was, that was one of my favorite parts. I kind of like Angron. Like he's, he's seen, he's, his character is a bit flat with the exception of a short story that shows up about seven books from now. But um, when Edelon's, oh, you speak out of turn and he turns around and looks at him, don't you even? He goes, the next time, and he says, I will kill you the next time you speak to me without my permission. And that's when oh, yeah. Horus starts yelling at him. Um, it was great. Horus actually yells at Angron, tells Angron he's out of line, and then tells Edelon, you are just being tolerated here. Do not think that you can talk as if as if Fulgrim was here to uh, to to nurse, not doesn't call him his nursemaid, but basically, yeah, this you know to that you extent. Can't hide behind Fulgrim when Fulgrim's not there. Do you object to my plans, Angron? Of course I object. We've got four legions and titans, and he tells, "I'll kill you again." And then he says, uh, "Lord Commander Adelon, you are not among equals here, and your presence in this war council is dependent upon my good graces, which will be rapidly worn thin should you conduct yourself as if Fulgrim were here to nursemaid you." Yes, he actually does call him a nursemaid, and I said, "Oh, damn!" <laughs> but once again, Horus, who through the first book and a half was the master diplomat i mean he's the only guy who could get angron to do what he wants he's the guy who was chosen as war master because he can he can talk everyone into it and it's literally every time he opens his mouth he's either giving orders or threats at this point mm-hmm. yes uh and then he basically wants to go after after the the thing's dismissed he tells uh Ab- abaddon prep a ship i'm going over to uh, Angron's ship to explain to him exactly what has to happen, which Torgaddon says he'd like to be a fly on the wall and find out exactly what he wants to say to him in private. Um, yeah, that's the whole chapter, basically chapter three. Yeah, um, but it's so much goes on there. Yes, um, I mean I love. Um, we've gone from that war room where everyone could, uh, if you remember the early books, everyone could put their um, their icon, whatever they took in with them, down. And have that time to talk. It was very much an open for everyone. Everyone's uh, input was welcomed and listened to and respected. To Horace sitting on a throne, um, and Angron even gets to the point where he's like, "You know, you're sitting there like a king." Um, Horace was put as f- uh, first among equals when he was made Primarch, um, and now he's sitting there above his brothers giving orders. And He's, that actually uh, comes up again later because he actually calls, yeah. you know, Angron. It's you know he it, he points out that you know that later. But uh, I mean, not I don't think there's much to say about this. It's really straightforward and laid out. It's just these are our plans of war, and you will do what I say. I think the chapters there also just to have a lot of the a lot of the badasses in the same in the same room. <laughs> 
you know, so you can see how these. Is, so the lines are very clearly drawn, right? Like yeah. Loken, Bangron chatting about. Uh, you know, Loken and this guy get along. So these are the people you're going to be rooting for, and these are the guys you don't like. And 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 it's yeah. also there to show, you know, that Adelon is is just so full of himself at this point that that he thinks that he's there representing Fulgrim, and they're like, "Listen, you're just here because." We're being polite at this point. Yes. And Torgadon hates him. Loken actually says to him, he goes, you really were hoping that Angron was going to hit him. And he's like, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. Uh, and they actually describe him as walking out with more pomp and, uh, and, and more strutting out to make up for his being dressed down by the war master. Like, oh, sure, because his ego can't, can't handle that. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's really fantastic. God. You know, Elon is so easy to hate because he is not only, you know, Lucius is arrogant but good. And Elon's just in over his head. I mean, I, I really feel like he's the one that, like, he, you know, he maybe has been promoted beyond his his means at this point. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of um, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where, you know, the reasons they get promoted when you talk about, you know, because they keep telling um, Tarvitz, you know, you're always going to be just a soldier because you don't have the, you know, he, he doesn't look and act the part. Edelon acts the part, so he gets the promotion. I mean, like I said, when he jumped into murder, wait, wait, you're telling right. me all these guys went in there and we never heard from him. So your plan was to just go in after him. That was your master plan. I mean, it's like he's not the brightest bulb in the batch. No. And so... It's just it's easy to dislike him, especially when he just keeps covering it up with more arrogance. Yeah. So, um, I guess so let's move on to chapter four. Yeah, because yeah. this is actually a really interesting chapter. Yes. Um, well, you got Cinderman, uh, Kassar, and Arakin, who still doesn't believe they're on their way to get the saint. They get there, they're looking at her, and they look down the hall. And Magard shows up at the end of the hallway, and you're like, oh, with, with intent to kill. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's very evident to them that this is the danger she is in. Yeah, well, as soon as they saw him, I mean, he's pulling a knife and a gun, and they're like, oh, boy. Uh, Cinderman is f- literally frozen in terror. He's watching this guy get closer, and people are yelling at him to run. Well, and, he's also an old man. Yeah. <laughs> he's, not, yeah. he's not a combat person. He's just a well-spoken, no. you know, uh, gentleman, if you will. Right. Um, so, yeah, he's 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 in trouble. Yeah. Um, Arakin jumps over and starts shooting at Magard, but misses. Magard's moving fast. and um, yeah, He's no longer just human. No. Uh, and well, he, he, The human that he was, anyway. Well, and it, now, is he. Do you think. I mean, are they good? Obviously, they promised him something, you know. Cause well, they, it said when we first saw him back in the in the early chapter, it said he had new scars all over his body. So they've obviously gone to. They, they wouldn't be able to induct him as a space marine because he hasn't got. Too- He's yeah. too old, exactly. But much like they do with older, when they uh, when uh, they first found Primarchs, then they kind of brought in the older members like uh, Corfarian. Is he? Mm-hmm. There's yeah, some. There's he, some dark angels. That yeah, they and did the that. dark angel right. ones. I'm thinking of specifically. Uh, well, that I can't remember names of, but um, they can do a certain amount to them. They're not fully blown space marines, but they have certain of the uh, advantages. Is that the same thing that they did with the emperors? Uh, the dude who's always with the emperor. When you don't get to see the emperor, you talk Malgador. to him. Malgador. Malgador. No. No. just a human. Well, yeah, he's oh, okay. Human. Well, he's an extremely well, he's, powerful psyker, but yeah. Yes. Well, plus he's. But I mean, he's been kept alive way longer than he should have well, been. He's been augmented, but it's a different yeah, type with, of augment. Within forty k, there's uh, rejuvenant 
treatment, which is extension of life. Okay. And this this is uh, the, the, this is an ex- um, is a step beyond that. Okay. Humans humans in the 40k universe can live for several hundred years at, yeah. at a minimum. If they've got enough money. Yeah. If they've got money or resources or, yeah. or what have you. In okay. fact, that's why often many inquisitors have, have lived for centuries. Yes. Oh, cool. All right. So then Magard takes a shot at them, and this is the point where the saint wakes up. Right. And oh, yeah. reaches out, and she she freezes time around him. I mean, she, he stops moving. The bullet is moving incredibly slowly. Right. Um, and, and she stops him. There's another miracle right there. And then she, boom, collapses again. And the interesting thing here is this is a miracle that's witnessed by, um, uh, Arakan. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and that comes up later cause he's still, he, he's still, he doesn't know what he saw. You know, he's, he's having a very hard time. Right with this whole whole thing, but yeah, I mean, it's almost like the Matrix, right? right. Where it goes you know, stops time. all the bullets. Yeah, <laughs> well, um, and it's it's really interesting here. And I, like, okay, full disclosure, and I'm not trying to preach. I, you know, I'm a I'm I'm like Roman Catholic. I've read a lot of this type of stuff before, as I've taught religious ed and stuff like that. And when you read about the real lives of the saints, they live short lives. They're usually very sickly, and you know, her waking. It's like it's like. Being imbued with this essence almost burns up their life force quickly. Mm-hmm. And so when she's laying there, I kind of related it to that. And I'm not saying you have to. I'm not trying to preach to anybody. Please don't get me wrong. But there's this idea that oh, that's I've taken parallel. from yeah. where these saints that only live to be 20 or 30. And they spend a lot of their time sick and they perform these miracles and they commune with gods. And their bodies can't handle it. And they burn up early. And I kind of see that happening. There are, I think... Um, I mean, later on when we get to the last church in quite a number of books time, um, I know a couple of people who have got a Catholic background who who found it borderline offensive, which I, I told you that. Find I, I, I told you when I first started reading uh, yeah, the very first book, Horus Rising, and they kept saying oh, people who believe in gods are stupid. I was just like, yeah. oh, um, okay. and obviously a lot of a lot of the a lot of the imperial faith is. It's influenced from a lot of different religions, but there's a lot of Catholicism in there, partly due to the nature of um, uh, the way 40K works as well. Just a lot of the symbols, they uh, symbolism right. they use and things like that, and the way they, they look at stuff. The so there are, they, they obviously draw, plus it's a, um, 40K was, you know, developed in the middle of England, <laughs> um, like, tw- you know, 20 years ago. Um, in the late so it's, it's going to draw from from you know Catholicism and, and the old Christian and, and like I said, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to face a bit more. I don't want to without jump necessarily too deep into saying that. it's no, but it's, it's going to take influences from that. When when they're going to talk about faith, that's obviously going to leak through a bit. In that, that's going to be the faith they know about. So right. They're going to draw bits in from from those bits. Now, something I really like here, which echoes another, and I, I know I keep doing this type of thing. Um, this is where Arakin wants to go kill Magard. Mm-hmm. He's helpless. Right. Let's kill him. And Cinderman, While we have the chance. Yeah, and Cinderman yeah. stops him. And he says, we should not start the emperor's religion with death, but with forgiveness. All we need to do is keep her safe. And that's the job we have to do is keep her safe. And right. they let him live. Which, once again, I mean, you've, seen, you've seen that a lot of times. Um, it happened in Lord of the Rings uh, when Frodo says it's a pity that Bilbo didn't kill 
Gollum. Gollum. And and, yeah. and actually it says there's uh, it, not so much in the movie, but it goes into more depth in the book is one of the reasons it didn't corrupt uh, Bilbo nearly as, you know, he was able to resist it as long as he was, was because when he got he the ring. stoned. Well, <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> well, when he got the ring, um, his first action was an action of kindness. When it was originally, I could kill him right now and be safe. Yeah. But no, it's that it's that, and you see this in many different, both religious and non-religious texts. But that idea of starting your movement with a gesture of peace as opposed to a gesture of violence, you know, really yeah. sets the sets the tone. Um, whereas starting up, where you see this parallel again, how did we start up? Uh, well, it wasn't the beginning. I won't call it the beginning, um, but we started bringing Horus along visibly by stabbing him. And putting him on yeah. death's door, you know. Uh, even when uh, Erebus went to go see him, we do that by cutting his throat. There's a, there's a, the, you know, the juxtaposition of these two. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. That that ritual is laden throughout 40k. Even to start up a computer, they go through a ritual because they believe in the Omnisar. You know, right. has has to help them work their machines because that's the way they work. Because. I was told by the man who told it, who used to turn it on, that you have to turn it on by saying these prayers, waving these unguents around, and otherwise the spirits of the computer will be mad. It, but rich- the thing is, in 40k too, and a way, the way a lot of the authors are writing it now, you you don't know, you don't. That may be no, necessary. Don't. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that very well may be. You know, we we don't know at this point. Right. But, um, the, the, it was uh, that that moment for me was um, we we've already seen Keely use uh, her faith as you mm-hmm. if you will as a as a weapon against the horror um, so it was like awesome you know the emperor's will is going to protect against these demons coming out of the warp um, well this was the emperor's will and or her faith protecting her from a very physical being so it was like it was an extension of actually this faith could be a weapon as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it starts to open up a, a possibilities in that, w- which which could lead on downtime. And as we know in forty k, you know, the priests can march to war and everything else. Right. Now, the other part, the the other storyline happening here in chapter four. When we get to the end of this, this is kind of what I wanted to bring up. I'm going to come back to Keeler in a, in a in a in a bit, but they're on the vengeful spirit. Uh, they're at the lodge meeting, and Her- Horus, of course, is threatening Erebus. This mm-hmm. better work right. This better you better not be wasting my time. Um, I mean, I guess you know, it, you, I, you know, it just keep once again, it keeps happening. He's 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 just he's completely resorted to threats and intimidation. Yep. Yeah, but he, and he also needs Erebus. This is this is what we were talking about earlier. I think he know. hates that. I actually yes. wrote that down as a question. I think that's part of it. He dislikes Erebus, and I think he dislikes him because he needs him. Because yeah, that's probably one of the reasons he doesn't like. But, I mean, but I mean, the guy's also just not likable. He also, he, I mean, yeah. But in the beginning, in the, he kind of was. He was helping Horace, and Horace seemed to like him. In the before he got stabbed, when Erebus was helping him and talking with him in close quarters, I don't and even think it's the stabbing. I think, although that may be part of it, you know. Remember when in, in the turning sequence, Erebus says, "Yeah, no, I have been lying to you. I've been in this dream pretending to be your old, you know, Sejanus, your right. your favorite one. I've been lying to you." And I have got plans, and he's admitted to all that. But he also said, "I did it. I only did it because I wanted you to see a face. You, you, you know." He he 
couched it in a whole bunch. Of, I did it. I don't, I, you know, but and, you know, Horace even said, oh, "I've seen through it. I know what you're doing." Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, he goes, I'm, "You know, I don't think he was particularly happy with any of that either." No. So you've got all of that coming. Plus, there's Erebus, just not a nice fella. No. <laughs> no, not a bit. But uh, so Ingmay Singh comes in again. He brings her in. To this, and she's looking around, and there's this lodge. I mean, that's got to be terrifying for her. She's not stupid. And right. she goes in, and there's all these symbols of evil around. Horus is standing there, and he's in the Obsidian Terminator armor. Mm. Yeah, which is um, which is awesome. And it just shows, because um, it, it came right from the top of the Mechanicum. Right. And, you know, this is, this, is, this is a little hint that Horus has got friends in very high places. And, and, and quick question. You guys know the picture. It's a, I mean, it's a pretty – I mean, I see it all the time when I, when I – if you look up. In fact, I've got it as my screensaver at work, and all the kids see it and go, what the hell is that? But um, the picture where Horus is standing in the big black Terminator armor and the Emperor is standing on the right side of the picture in his gold armor. And, uh, yes. Right, yeah. That's, that's, that's what that is, that Obsidian Terminator armor, right? That's that just, sure. Oh, my yep. – that is so scary looking. Have you seen okay. the picture from the new Collected Visions that's going to be coming out this year? Uh, no, I don't get all re- those insights. The, the uh, it's a reworking of... No, no, it's, it's, it's out oh. there on the internet. Oh, is it? It's a reworking of that picture for the Collected Visions, yeah, because they're all being done by Neil Roberts, the artist who does all the front covers. Okay, um, yeah, guy's amazing. Really good. He is phenomenal, and he's a so, nicest guy. Uh, going but, yeah. going back to Ingme Singh here, though. Uh, yes, it must be scary walking in there. But additionally, I mean, this is a person that's incredibly psychic sensitive. Yes, and and so even on a on a on a another level, she is probably ill at ease at this point, as things are uh, are just, things in this room are not right. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and. Uh, so he starts questioning her again about the saint and starts threatening her. And at this point, she's got to know because she, oh, she knows. She yeah, repeats, yeah, she does. She's like, I'm not she telling knows. you. You're, he's like, tell me or I'll kill you. She's like, you're going to kill me anyway. I, put, I mean, I put down, I like, I like her resolve. You know, yeah. she knows she's dead. You're going to kill me anyway, so I'm giving you nothing. Yeah. And he guts her. In front of the war master, she's just like, no, you ain't, you ain't getting any of this. That must take <laughs> some absolute kahunas. Yeah. Really must. God, I'm glad I wasn't there because I probably would have fallen. I go, oh, <laughs> I go. Horace is just so. I mean, his presence is so. You know, when you read, I'm just reading it. I'm like, wow. He's. I. 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 I would never be able to tell him no. You know, I would. I would have just wet myself. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been all right because I would have been standing next to Lehman Russ. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so he guts her, and um, the mechanic comes there. And the mm-hmm. mechanic comes yeah. and he actually tells him, you're here to witness the price of our bargain. Right. I gave oh, you yeah. the machine. Now you know what you have. To, and, you know, you've got to get people on your – you've got to get the people on Mars, as many as you can, onto our side. This is what's happening. Right. Um, there's a really great part where Erebus is saying, oh, don't worry. this Because he asks him, is this what you've all, you always do to call them? Because Erebus starts going through his ritual. Right, and he says, "This is how I always call our allies." And Horace says, "They're not our allies yet." And what is Erebus looks at him and shrugs, which yeah, I thought was the best. <laughs> you yeah, say so. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, but I mean, who- well, that's it. I, you know, Horace doesn't quite understand the deals he's making. He doesn't and- understand the deals he's making, but also Erebus. Erebus has been there a long time now. Exactly, and, and not no, not to spoil anything later. But he's aware of things that have been going on long before this. Right. And, oh, yeah. And this shrugging of, of his shoulders is really just to say, 
okay, you know, you'll see. <laughs> and at first, I didn't quite get it. Like, I just figured, okay, well, no, he knows he's going to. But it, like I said, yeah, once you go right later in the series and come back, it's like, once you know how deep the game is. And it's just, but it also seemed a little a little ballsy to just shrug your shoulders oh. at Horace when he disagrees with you. Like, yeah, whatever. He knows Horace needs him to at this yeah. point. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And he's, he's been there the whole time, kind of knowing that same thing. So uh, the other the other thing the other thing in kind of almost in Ingmay Singh's uh, not favor but you know to to talk her up one more notch you know Horace says at one point yeah she's she's like the best one I have of this and and I think during the summing Erebus says something to the effect that that's why that's why it has to be her because the yeah. sacrifice has to mean something to you for it to be her for this to work yeah yeah that's right yeah and they do that while she's still alive right. <laughs> Doing that. like, that's when she realizes, oh, no. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, because he warns him, this better work. I, I knew you were going to kill me, but oh, no. <laughs> you know? But then uh, they summon up Sarkel, the Lord of Shadows. Um, I think it's interesting when this Sarkel character shows up, he gives Horus the chaos version of what we need. Horus like, you're going to give me what I need to get victory? And he's like, that means nothing. What do you mean vic- victory in, in this this fight? You have no idea the the breadth and depth of the cosmos, and the and the scale of the you know this this is this is tri- trivial, right? But he also tells him that uh, here. Let me let me. Just, it's on page ninety one in the soft cover if you've got it. Um, and, and he he's and uh, Horace is really like oh gods you know I don't believe in gods I don't believe in you and Sarkel is kind of taken back he's not used to humans or Astartes or whatever, like kind of poo-pooing him. Right. But he tells him he meddles in matters he doesn't understand, talking about the emperor. On the world you call Terra, his grand designs cause a storm in the warp that tears it asunder from within. We care nothing for your realm. You know this. It's anathema to us. We offer power that can help you take his place, War Master. Our aid will see you destroy your foes and take you to the very gates of the Emperor's Palace. We can deliver the galaxy for, to you. All we care for is that his work cease and that you take his place. And they start asking about the power. He basically just says, we have all this. It's What he's doing is messing up our world. It's like his, mm-hmm. It's a dimensional problem. And if you just stop him and you become the new Emperor, you'll know not to do this anymore. And we can live happily in the warp and you can live happily here. Yeah, this is a this is a whole lot of lies going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a continuation of the argument that was given in the dream again last time. Mm-hmm. It was you know it's you know no, chaos isn't good or bad. They just want to be left alone. Yeah, uh, this is really interesting though. And in reading this again, and you know, as as I got to this part of the book. Uh, and knowing what I know now, it's very interesting that whatever the emperor. And again, I'm trying not to say anything, but whatever the emperor is doing back on Earth or Terra has clearly drawn the attention of the chaos gods and not in a good way. I mean, to the point where they're like, we need to take action or we're in trouble. Yeah, they're afraid of what's going on. Is the the impression I get here. And and. Yeah, so I mean, I, I thought this was interesting. The other, the other point I wanted to make is that Sarkel, the quote unquote Lord of Shadows, I kind of also got the impression this is probably um, 
it's it's obviously a demon, but it, it's probably you know you're not talking to Nurgle himself. You're not talking, to, you know. No. You, I have the feeling that most demons give themselves names like I'm the Lord of Shadows. I'm the you know king of of evil. You know, well because uh, you know Fred the Emperor of the uh, of the doesn't small sound as thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but this is this is probably a, a fairly important messenger of of the chaos gods certainly it's it's one that that it a lot of a lot of the balance here of what's going on hangs on this creature's words and so i'm sure this is not just some lower echelon demon at this point that he's dealing with no in fact i you know i I kind of i can't keep picturing fate weaver in my head because Uh, this is probably some kind of messenger of of uh yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, I got the same. Yeah, thing. and and for, for because this is not just one that the chaos gods are dealing with. It would have to be um, a being of some magnitude to be accepted by all four. Could right, even something that all four created together. Yeah, yeah it could, could, I mean, total speculation on my part. You know, yeah, but yeah, it could be. Yeah, as, yeah, whose specific job is to be a messenger? That yeah, it would seem entirely feasible. Yeah. What I think is interesting here is Horace's answer to him, mm-hmm. which is no. He actually tells him no. He says, I'm going to wait till after I3. I'm just going to start saying I3 instead of Istvan 3 only because I'm sure. tired of repeating myself. Um, he said, I'm going to wait till after that. I'm gonna, I don't want any of your help. He wants to send his troops down there. He wants them to be blooded. He wants to make sure that they've got the gumption to take arms against their brothers Mm-hmm. And that they can win without his help. The last thing you want to do is take help from someone who can then pull it away from you at the crucial moment. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to rely yeah. on someone else's power. He wants to know that he can win this battle and that his troops can win this battle without the help. But if we win, then I'll come back and pledge with you. Yeah. And in addition as well, he's he's turned around to them and said, well, no, I'm not going to accept it now. He's He's told them no. So he's putting himself in that I'm in control. Right. I, I don't want you now. I want you when I want you. So yeah. he's doing both at the same time. Which I, I, yeah. Now, I want to bring one last thing up and then we can move along to, uh, I guess, chapter five. We'll get to the chapter seven is the end of part one. We'll take a break. Um, this is something that I saw finally that I thought was really interesting. And once again, going back to the things with saints and, and religious stuff is, you see it, I mean, you see it everywhere. I mean, I could bring up the Silmarillion if you really want to bring this up. When evil does its thing, man, it is making deals and smashing stuff. And Horus has all these plans, right? I mean, while he's making, and this is like the culmination of this is where I really saw it. He's making his pact with the evil gods where he's meeting them. And they're, you know, even though he says he'll do it later, this evil pact is going on and they're going to crush their enemies, see them driven before them, lamentation of the women, the whole nine yards. <laughs> And, but part of the plan is you got to kill the saint. Mm-hmm. Good works, you know. It's like, you know, the devil will come up and and show and 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 meet with you and make a deal and write a book with you and 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 write your name down and give you all the things you want. God never shows up to anybody. You know what I'm saying? But at the moment you need it, he's not going to come in with a hammer. You know, evil's coming in with this hammer. We're going to crush our enemies. Here the bullet's coming, and I'm not going. To, I'm going to deflect it one degree to the left so it misses you. That's all. I'm. I just. It's that little bit of help you need, so that good, the faithful can survive and keep going. And this, and if you if you go back into the other books, 
when she wakes up screaming and 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 or even when she when she defeats the pink horror that's going on at the same moment Horace is making his decision to go with evil mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's like every big huge chaos yeah. decision that this is where we're going to there's a yeah that little bit of good that you can't trample that little seed it just boop there it goes i got it i saved it you know it's nothing big it's one weak little sickly woman that i'm saving but that little piece is going to be huge mm-hmm. and i really liked that as i was going through this and this is the at the point where i started to realize that they're happening not not just that they're happening but it's happening at the same time every time evil makes a big move good just yeah. pushes its playing that oh, that's a really interesting uh, point that's and a really i hadn't considered that and it's one of the things i really liked about i mean people you know i know people who don't necessarily care for some of the black library stuff and they call a lot of this just bolter porn <laughs> um there's some really good there's actually really good writing going on in here and it's like i said maybe that's the english teacher in me trying to pick out all those the subtleties but it's it's um it's really cool yeah, for for the most part, I would say most of it is not particularly really deep reading. <laughs> no, no, that's I call what it. I'm I tend to call it mind candy. Actually, like I, I enjoy it, but there is there are underlying themes to each of these books in the better ones. Right, there are underlying yeah. themes that it explores, and and I think that certainly the first three of the, of this series absolutely explore some right. underlying themes. And you're here. better writers, and I know I love to say Dan Abnett, but because but he's got a definite he's one of style. My yep. Yeah, I mean he loves to just throw you in in the middle and keep you confused and then let you catch up and figure things out. But he, he does, and I mean I know that they're planning out these books carefully because you know they're not just saying go ahead and write something, you know. <laughs> Uh, they've got it all planned out, but the better oh, yeah. writers really managed to work in stuff like this that I really I enjoyed when I saw it and said, "Wow, this is really great." Uh, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. All right, so chapter it's five. Actually, I, oh, go ahead. Just real quick, it's funny that you mentioned that about Dan Abnett's books. My wife uh, reading Eisenhorn and uh, Ravener and uh, uh, Pariah. It would be funny because she would read something and, and Abnett would say, "Oh, it's a gobbledygook," right? And she turn to me and go what's a gobbledygook and i go keep reading and like two sentences <laughs> later she's like oh okay <laughs> but he does that he and i've noticed it in every book ever even in, in his comic books because i know he writes resurrection man which i read yeah and it throws you in totally in media race you are in the I, middle I of things like you have no yeah. idea what's going on but you'll you trust me it's it, you'll get it later and it's, it's you, gotta, you gotta just have faith that he's gonna be <laughs> dan abnett protects that's right okay anyway. Okay. Chapter five. Chapter five. Um, Loken is alone in what used to be Lupercal's court, which is where we had mentioned before, where he used to hold court and people could come in and all have their say. Um, I, I love that it's no longer used. And he actually, there's a part here where he starts to wax how he misses Yachtin Cruz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he's even surprised to that he misses him. Um, but he does miss him. Um and uh, but Cinderman's books, the stuff that Cinderman told him in chapter one, we kind of glossed over. Uh, as he specifically told him to find a book, and he said, "Read it, and yeah, you'll Chronicles see. of Ash again." Yeah, right, right. And uh, that brings him here, going back to the beginning, go back to where everything has started. Uh, and as he's there, he notices he smells something, and he notices a slight breeze. And behind Targost, uh, Captain Targost's banner, and Targost is the lodge leader. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, besides Erebus or whatever, um, but he's a large leader. He goes back there, and there's a, a, a passage which leads to their temple, and the Book of Lorgar is on the altar. Right. 
And uh, as he's looking at the book, he hears someone say, you've betrayed the war master. And he looks up and it's Torgadden. Right. And that's actually now in, in the book, that's where that scene stops and they cut to another scene, which we're kind of going through the whole thing. But I was just like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, no, no. But uh, it turns out Loken realizes that this is some sort of chaos twisted version of, Lo- of Torgadden, that something's playing with his head. Right. It's, it's visions and things that he's starting to have here. Right. And um, it's great uh, as they start showing him all the death and telling him that he's got no chance and everything's going to go wrong. Um, he just Loken just falls back on his faith and says right at the bottom of page 116, I will not bow to any feign or acknowledge any spirit. I own only the empirical clarity of imperial truth. So he's like not even saying you have no power over me. Right. He's like, no, there are no such thing as ghosts. You don't exist. And boom, reality snaps back. His faith, whether mm-hmm. it's faith in the imperial truth or whatever it is, just that, that I refuse to believe in that snaps reality back to him. Um, right. Which is just great. It's another just uh, that that he, you know, he's like he is he's like the epitome of that of the of a space marine or what it's supposed to be. And, uh, you know, he just won't back down. And so that's pretty much all you get of his scene in right. uh, in this chapter. Yeah. I, well, the whole finding the, the, the temple thing to me felt very contrived, personally. I thought it was all a bit, I don't know. Would you have preferred bit. it was in a different place? <laughs> almost. <laughs> I'd, I'd almost, you know, oh, oh there it is. It's behind Togadon's, um, it's behind... Um, Thing he's banner, banner, yeah, yeah, yeah. banner, and and he had to go back to the Chronicles of Earth to find the book. It's all like, um, I don't know, National Treasure or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> just a bit. It just feels a bit like you know, I don't know. It was all a bit. Well, I was going to say he had to find it, but really, what happens with it? Yeah, what happens in there? Nothing is good. I mean, get, but I mean, like. I was going to say, well, he had to find the book and had to find this stuff out. But really, finding the book just makes him more convinced that Erebus is bad. But nothing else really happens with it, which we'll see later. Yeah. So maybe no, it is a little. It had to be somewhere. It could have probably yeah, been written just, a little uh, less obtrusive, you know, or less uh, uh, blatant, I should say. I guess it's a little heavy-handed to find it maybe. behind the Lodge Master's banner and, and to smell yeah, and the then, incense. And then once, once you get in there, the Book of Logar that's on the plinth is the actual book from the library. Had it been him, yeah, I mean, had it been him doing something like, uh, 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 you know, deciding he was going to go look in Erebus's room or something, you know, yeah, uh, I, 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 I think that could have proved maybe a little more interesting, the thought yeah. process of, I'm okay, you know what, I'm suspicious, I'm going to do something I shouldn't. Yeah, it would have been interesting. So, uh, uh, yeah, but, and then yeah, so even when you get in there, the book of Lorgar that's on the plinth is the one that got burned at the library, right? And it's like, okay, right, yeah, maybe. Didn't is have it the any same more. one? I, I didn't. I don't remember that it necessarily was the same one. It probably was. Yeah, no, um, it is. It, it says you know I've written down that it's the oh, same okay. one, so I assume See, I've read that it's. Got, I have. It's either confirmed, um, but um, you know, surely Erebus has got more than one. Well, the thing book is, I, I've had trouble with the book of Lorgar being there in the first place. Like, I don't know. I get. I mean, unless it was placed there for this purpose, I just the whole. You know, if Lorgar wrote it and it's full of heresy, where anybody could find it and expose 
that there's heresy going. You see what I'm saying? I, th- yeah. I, I think once you get the to book be in there, period. But once you get to Lorgar's book, the, the novel that featuring Lorgar, uh, my uh, my first heretic. That's what I Adam Adam Dembski about. Aaron Dempsey of Odin was calling it for a while, the first heretic. Um, you realise that actually, possibly, Lorgar put it there because it needed to be there. I read first heretic, but I guess I don't remember that part. I, I will, well, I'll no, be no, no, it again. he didn't say that. But oh. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Lorgar put it there because it needed to be there. It's possible. That's, that's yeah. one of those one of those little tiny I don't paradox things. Necessarily got or, an issue with that right. so much, but it just yeah, just this whole section. Although there was some cool stuff in there, it just it seemed a little bit contrived. Just a little bit. Yeah. Now, um, Tarvitz, Saul, is on the ground at Istvan Extremis, and he's with Garrow and the Death Guard. Garrow is not with them. They're coming up the other way. So right. Garrow and the Death Guard are coming one way. Tarvitz and Elon are leading the charge. Uh, I like how they explain how they, the, they always lead from the front. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and not only to, to show that you know, to show the courage in this stuff, but it's, you know, they have such this perfect fighting formation that he's not worried. I can be up front because I know my flanks are covered because I know the guy next to me is in perfect precision. Yeah. Um, they get inside the objective and it's a huge temple. It's a step pyramid. Like a, yeah, I was going to say like a giant ziggurat almost in, in the middle, right? Yeah. And was it made yeah. from bits of other buildings? That's what it sounds like. I was I reading. Be- I believe that is the case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they go after and you got a spell singer, which I have in quotes because I don't know if they called him that yet. She's at the top of this thing and she's singing these songs of destruction and she lets go a scream and Space Marines start dropping. And Garo gets his leg cut off right. from this scream. Um, and Tarvitz runs over to him and he actually tells him, I'm okay. Do not listen to her song. Right. Cause, yeah, because it is, and I, and I that, that's not just because of the the destructive effect. Because obviously you don't have to listen for that to happen, but don't listen to her song. Um, and he looks up, and of course there's Adelon charging right up in the front, and she starts to sing at him, and he stops. She like, like picks him up in the air, doesn't? Yeah, it? she paralyzes yeah. him. Yeah. He stops cold, yeah. and she's got him stuck. Um, Tarvitz runs up and distracts her. And when she turns her focus to him, that's long enough for Edelon to not be paralyzed. He jumps up, but he's down on his knees. She's pummeling him, and he screams back at her. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. And it rips her apart. Right. Um, one of the things I found interesting about this was the description of Tarvitz, as he hears it, says that Edelon's scream is not as beautiful or as elegant as hers. Mm-hmm. Which I thought should have. Not, I mean, not only should there be a warning that he did something this bizarre, but it you know everything they do, it's right. It's this, and when his is just, it's brutal, agonizing, deafening volume. Yes, That's how it's described. Yeah, and yeah. Um, there should be a huge. I mean, it, it, there's already a red flag. It almost should be a bigger red flag when it doesn't have any of it's. It's not just something that they shouldn't know how to do or be able to do. But it goes against the entire Emperor's Children way of doing battle. There's nothing right. beautiful or elegant about this. This is the sledgehammer. Um, and then when he when he kills her with this, Tarvitz goes up and says, what did you do? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, no, what was that? Don't worry about that. No, I want to know what you did. And he looks at him and says, what I did was kill our enemy. Do you understand? And he leaves. He's just like, you know, leave me alone. I, I Stop did. asking questions. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
And then he goes and Tarvitz goes and talks to Garo. Who's still alive, but like has been like severely hurt at this point. But he says something to the effect of, I've been hurt worse or something. It's, um, Garo gives us a real insight into the Death Guard. Garo is like a little mini version of the Death Guard here. It's like, yeah. It's, it's just a yeah. It's a mortal. It's it's, it's a semi mortal wound. He's lost a leg. His the ribs are crushed. His armor's cracked. And, and he says it's just a flesh wound. And you believe him, unlike the Black Knight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonsense, boy. There's plenty worse than me that need a saw bones first. Yeah. I remember it's, first reading this chapter when I first read the book, and I completely did not understand. What happened? Like I had no clue. I had no understanding of 40k, what the Emperor's children were to become, uh, and yes. and so I, I was just like, "What the hell is going on here?" This makes. And I you felt like Tarvitz. You I felt like Tarvitz. I was like, "This makes no sense to me," <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, in rereading it, I was like, "Aha, uh huh, okay, I I I see what's going on here." Yeah, he yeah. made a whole lot of noise, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it was that just... Marine made a whole lot of noise. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> I, my notes for this part are quite short, actually. My first bit was fight bolter porn. Because <laughs> there's a lot of bolter porn over a number of pages. It is, it's a proper fight sequence, isn't it? It's, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, they get to show off the Emperor's children again, the way they work, and then the Death Guard, the way they work. Um, did have one small issue with it. Tarvitz drops his pistol. He wouldn't have dropped his pistol. That's really poor. He would have maglocked it to his leg as he was running up. <laughs> that really wound me up. <laughs> like, do you know how important a bolt pistol is to a space marine? Yeah. He wouldn't have dropped it. <laughs> I'm uh, writing we- a strongly worded letter of complaint to Ben Counter right now. <laughs> <laughs> Too right. I'm a bit annoyed they didn't change it because I bought the expensive version that have been <laughs> post edited, and uh, yeah, they could have changed that. That should be the only. Words. You know what? You should write him a letter, and that should be your only criticism of the book. I loved it, yes. except he shouldn't have dropped it. You know, it's like really, really. That's what you're writing me for. That just, just hell yeah. Find your way. I'm to a it. gamer. He Quit. shouldn't have dropped his gun. <laughs> if he was an imperial guardsman and he dropped his las rifle and they came back shot without it, they would have shot him. Yep. Simples. That's why you but, find um, a thick guy's one and you take that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we we get to the end of this and it's like, you know, that's set Tarvitz properly on his course now. We've seen Eidolon's mouth distort more than a Space Marine's mouth should do and this sound come out that's nothing like that's ever happened to him before. That's Tarvitz set up, you know. Here's your little right. trail. Here's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so yeah. Chapter 6. Um Cinderman, short bit here. He has a huge meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, word of the saint's newest miracle has spread around, and there's a huge meeting with tons of people there. And basically, I, I don't want to, you know, downplay it. it, it it's a, but he basically gets all the faithful to commit that saving the saint and defending the emperor is their is their job now. Priority number one. Yeah, yeah. they've got to keep yeah, her he's, safe. He's, Raising a spiritual army. Yeah. Yeah. You know, know, a massive thing to do when you're on board essentially the enemy's ship. And he's using all of his order ability 
you know, and his, his guile to, to really convince and get these people worked up. Is this the is, part where he's got Cassius in the audience just to say, you know, like he's got I believe it is. plans yeah. to say yeah. the right thing? Oh, no, no, that's later. That's in Chapter 10. I'm is sorry. Oh, yeah, okay. I thought that was here. But no, this is where he just gets them to commit. There's because he's got the huge one with thousands of people in Chapter 10. Mm, and that's okay. where he starts giving this huge speech. And it got a little bit weird about how there's just uh, but we'll get to that later. But yeah, but they got to commit. We've got to keep her safe, and we've got to keep up the, our faith. And you know, we've got to believe in the emperor. We've got to keep his his beliefs and the way he wants things to be alive. Right. Yeah. We we this this is the real you know kind of Cinderman's really completely turned one eighty now. Yeah, you know, he's talking about I used to believe in this and I used to believe in that, and now I can only believe in what I've seen. And you know, I saw how the emperor prote- protects and all that. Yeah. Yeah, he actually saw think? the miracles. He actually says later in the book it's easy for him because he's seen it. Yeah. Right. Um, but so then we get back to Loken, and he summons Abaddon to talk about – he wants to talk to him. And actually he says, you know, what did you summon me here for? And he tosses the book out. Right. And Abaddon calls him a thief. <laughs> oh, now you're a thief too? Yeah. And a thief too because Abaddon just hates him now. Yeah. After that scene at the temple – on uh, Davin, when when they chose sides, he sees Loken as yeah. a traitor mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. loathes him. Um, he tells him that basically what's going on here is none of his business either. It's none of your business what that book is or what's going on here. Uh, and Loken actually begs him to reconcile. He's like, "We can be a team again, but you got to you don't well, you make me understand." He goes, "If I made if I explained it to you, would you be willing to?" And he basically said, you still won't, there's no compromise in you. And Loken says, no, there is no room for compromise. And he's right. like, well, then, then there's nothing we can do. It's an interesting scene because it's really, I thought it was a really weak argument on Abaddon's part at a certain point where he's just like, oh, well, that's none of your business. Really? Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> really? Abaddon is Come not, on. he's, he's not. Abaddon's a, never been that guy. Abaddon is. The, the the aggression guy. He's not yeah. the debater. He's never been a talker, oh. and he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, he gets. He he's made it clear he doesn't care what yeah. Loken thinks. Um, he's that point, he thinks he's going to follow Horus into the mouth of hell. Yeah, when when you know Abaddon says none of my your damn business, damn business. Loken's replies, "This is my legion. That makes it my damn business." And the reply is, "Not anymore." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "Yeah, you're, I just don't care. I'm not going to talk to you about it." <laughs> Because it's you know, we, well, Abaddon obviously knows what's going to happen. He's yeah, he's, and that, he's he's in on it, so he knows this isn't going to last. And I love this because this comes up more than once in this chapter. Even he tells him, "Forget all about this until after Istvan three. After Istvan yeah. three, Loken, this will all be over." What? Like, yeah. <laughs> like you know, um, wow. I mean, it's basically, I mean, it's a threat that I don't think Loken gets because he can't possibly conceive of what's going to happen. We've already right, covered right, that. Right, right. But he just tells him, listen, don't worry about this. After we finish up here on Istvan 3, it's going to be over. And it's got to be confusing. Well, what do you mean this is going to be over? It's more of a nod and a wink to the audience. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but then Loken says, well, I don't know if it'll be over because if this is still, and he looks at him and, and, the, and the battle, if you fight us on this, you'll die. It yeah. comes right, and this is where you've got space marines threatening to kill other space marines, um, which you know it's just it's or no, you know it doesn't say fight us. It says if you'll fight you'll us, you'll lose. lose. That's right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, but then after that, Logan's replies maybe, but others will stand against you. 
then they will die too. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, there, so there is that. Im- there's that implicit. Implied. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Loken meets with Torgadon back at the burnt out library, and he's. Mm-hmm. We've got to figure out how to expose Erebus and save the Mornaval, the Legion, and Horus. Because something is really wrong here. I like that he's identified really what, who the threat is here. Right. Yes. It's, it's, he doesn't realize it's honestly it's too late at this point. But but he has identified like Erebus is the threat. Yes. He's got him there as the threat. Um, I love that Torgadon says, you know what, we're, we'll figure this out. But, you know, they're talk- we're going to go to Istvan. Um, they are set up as the – they're going to be, you know, fighting there. And he goes – you know, after Istvan, things will get back to normal. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think it's more wishful thinking on his part right. at, at this point. Yeah. And, and then, Logan you know, I says, think there's discussion about like cleansing by combat and all this stuff, and we'll get back to doing what we're supposed to do and right. that kind of thing. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, there, there. Go ahead. I'm no, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, has there been discussion at this point too about there? There's some some discussion where they're like, well, why are we deploying this way? <laughs> like. This oh, that a, happens now. Yeah, they're deploying okay. squad by squad. Yeah, and that, yeah. yeah, that hasn't that hasn't happened quite yet. But okay. um, yeah, because no, it been, uh, happens um, uh, right at the end of that part. Do you even know if we'll be headed down there? The Warmasters picked the squads for the spear tip. We're in it, and it looks as if oh, we'll right. be in charge too. Really? Uh, After all that's happened? Yeah, I know, but I won't look a gift horse in the mouth. That's it. Right. They just want to fight. They want to do their job. Because well, I think do. it's uh, cathartic for them, right? They can, yes. okay, you know what? I can just go down there. I'm good at this. I'll go fight. I'll get this out of my head for the time being. At least I'll be doing something in my comfort zone, which happens to be slaying people. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, well, and maybe I, I see, I thought that's where he says everything will be fine because they haven't, they haven't been in a battle in a while. And maybe, yeah. you know, maybe we need to fight. Maybe, you know, Ab- Abaddon and, and them will, They'll get their heads straight once they get a good a good fight out right. of their system. You know, right. <laughs> they need to fight to stay, you know, even mentally healthy. Yeah, so That's a good point. Um, but then it goes back to the Andronius, the uh, the um, the ship, the the uh, Emperor's children's ship, yeah. and Tarvitz goes to find Idalon and ask him what's happening. And Idolon, of course, is very rude and condescending. He's looking up at all the statues of all the heroes. And he's like, oh, I haven't seen you. I don't come in here too much. No, you're just a common soldier. You really wouldn't be in here much, would you? You know, like, just like, I mean, right. no offense he's to such it. An ass. And he says, I don't mean, you know, don't take that the wrong way. You know, you're very good as a common soldier. You're fulfilling your, your job as the common soldier. Right. You, you know, it's, yeah. what a jackhole. Well, Tarvitz is kind of he believes this too. I mean, he has yeah, in the past. Anyway. Yeah, this is who I am. I, I think this is very interesting that he has accepted this just because he's been told this for so long. It's almost like an abused child. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. been told this for so long. That, okay, he accepts this not realizing that this guy's honestly, this guy's a great leader. You know, oh, yeah, he exactly. It we shows see. later in the book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, this book's almost as much about um his journey as it is yeah. about anything else. Yeah, because but he's been told. Yeah, he's been passed over for promotion because he's a, and he does he the he is a great soldier, and he's and he's content. This is the job I've been given. My Primarch yeah. thinks I belong here, so I just he's I will do my best in the job I'm given. Right, which is a complete opposition to someone once again like Lucius, who says. I am destined for much greater than this nonsense, and I will eventually be at the top. 
Yeah, he's just a glory hound. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> right. Uh, they actually used that against the, uh, both of them in these in the in the book later. Very much so. Yeah. But so Tarvitz just said, "I have to know what happened." And after some talking back and forth, and Edelon giving the "What makes you think you have a right to know?" He's like, "No, I got to know." So he takes him down to the Central Apothecarian. And there's all sorts of weird Frankenstein crap going on there. There's yep. stuff in jars. Um, the one thing that had the extra eyeballs I thought was interesting because he said they weren't grafted on. They were grown there. Right. So this, was, this, this wasn't just seeing what we can change on something. We have gone in and altered genetic code to grow it, to have it be that way on purpose. Yeah. Which is, you know, offensive. And There's so, a lot of discussion here around, uh, you know, how how can you improve upon the emperor's vision? You know, uh, isn't isn't that isn't that? I mean, this is what he envisioned us to be, and you know, this is this is again the emperor's children's dr- drive to be the best, and, it, and it, this is a clear indication that's taken them over the edge. Right. Yeah. In fact, uh, he talks about how we saw these Xenos and they can do this, and so we should do it too. And uh, he says to him, holding a Xenos race up as an example of perfection is an abomination. Yeah. And he yeah. looks at him and says, the Legion supremacy is of greater importance than any moral squeamishness. And that's just like where he's like, uh, what? Like, yeah, did that's you, a, do you that's realize a what you just said? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he that's actually. A, that's, the, that's the ends justifying the means right there. That right. line. And he actually offers him, though. He says, listen, this is this is good, and you can be a part of it. Idolam actually offers him a chance to join their side. Yeah. Uh, but he knows that if he doesn't join his side, he's going to have to kill him anyway. Right. And he refuses. He says, no, I, I mm. can't be a part of this. So he says, well, fine. You can go then. But... You, I order, you know, he, direct order. You have to remain silent about this. You can't yep. talk about it. And go get ready for the drop onto Istvan three, because you're going to need to be ready. Yeah. And he walks out, and, and it says he knows he's been tested, but he doesn't know if he passed or failed, which I thought was yes. great. Yes, that's, that's he, an interesting line. Actually, that's a really, really interesting line. Uh, because depending upon what side you're on, he passed. Well, he did both. Exactly, yeah. He, he yeah. passed yeah. and failed. And, yeah. and we don't know enough yet about, until Fulgrim, the book, we don't know enough about what's happened with the Emperor's children. Right. Um, because a lot of their story happens, you know, concurrently and, and before the, the first two books. Correct. So, you know, that, that explains some of this here. But obviously we don't know that at the moment. So we're, we're left kind of, well, yeah, what is going on? All right. All we know we'll is that a short that, break here. Um, yeah, we've uh, we're going to be at the end of part one in one more chapter. Can we go let's another do few one minutes? more chapter? Okay, I'm sorry. I don't no, no, no. Let's okay. do one more chapter. Chapter seven. Uh, end of the long knives here. Um, you're on the the Titan, the DSERA, and Castor's uh, arguing with Arakin again. Uh, mm-hmm. Arakin doesn't believe that i don't know what i saw it wasn't i don't believe in miracles i don't want any of that nonsense and he actually tells him listen you need to shut up about this because if the princeps hears about you you're off the ship you're off the titan right and you know he basically says that he doesn't he's like you can't I, i my whole life i want a titan i want to be a princeps this is arakin saying this correct? yeah and so he's like you have to stop and uh and he's like, think, no. 
I can't. I think this, this is the crux of why Arakan chooses the way he chooses. He's not prepared to give up this dream for the right. faith. He's not prepared to sacrifice, you know, what he wants to do for something else. Right. It's, it's something it's, he's worked his whole life towards. Yeah, and the power and everything that goes with it. Mm-hmm. That, well, that's and, what he wants. And that's the thing. When the faith is tested, it's like, do you, you know, do you give yeah. up everything you have and follow the leader? Or can you, I, I'm not ready, I can't give up these things that I have and follow you. And that's basically where it is. And this, base, that's the splits right here. Once this, this is what it comes down to uh, for him. And later it's going it's just, it just comes up later again. Yeah. Um, when the, when the actual fight breaks out, choose your faith or your job. I did not see, and not to get ahead, but I did not see this storyline going the way it went. <laughs> like, I, I like, didn't either it, the first time it, I read it. It surprised me. Yeah. I was like, oh, I really thought this person was going to make this decision as opposed yeah. to this other decision that yeah. they make. So yeah. It, it, yeah, it did keep me guessing, which was cool. Well, yeah. I mean, the only thing for me was I'd read Storm of Iron, I think it is. Okay. Before all this and the Diasari. Uh, features ah. in that. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So I knew that. I'm pretty sure it's Storm of Iron, but I okay. definitely knew. That, I definitely knew the history of the Dysaria post heresy. So you knew what was coming. <laughs> well, I so knew which way roughly, it would end. Roughly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So chapter seven, really. Here we're gonna get. We're gonna sort of because we're as we're wrapping up part one. He goes in and sort of, you know, gives us where a little bit where everybody's at. Let's, you yeah. know, like wrapping up story ends for this part. Uh, yeah. Loken and Turgadin are preparing to go down to the spear tip. But before that, Loken goes to see Yachtin Cruz and actually asks him to watch out for and take care of Mercedes Oliton, uh, Keeler, and Sinderman. He's like, they're, you, I need to know someone's keeping an eye out for them because they're... You Cruz know. is a badass too. <laughs> you know, you never realize what a badass he is because yeah, he, he really is. They really he's forget a, he's, he's a space marine. Yeah. yeah, and he's an old space marine, which means he knows all the tricks and everything else. He's, but he's yeah, just so like looked. He's so looked down on by everybody. And in fact, there's a great part that comes up later when he's when he's running, when he actually talks to Keeler about how his faith and his beliefs, and he thought he was alone. And she's like, "No, you're not. You're you're exactly you are." What the Luna Wolves were and should 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 remain. It's, it's yeah, that was a really interesting talk too. Yeah. That was a really interesting discussion. So let's see. The Emperor's children are having that pre-battle celebration, <laughs> and Tarvin. I'm telling you, I'm going to adopt this now. This is going to be part. <laughs> of my, this is going to be part of my you know ritual before I play a game. I'm going to be like, hang on a second, I got to celebrate my win. All right, yeah, let's throw it down. Sport, I might get a sports hit for that at a tournament. You still you still want to play? Start celebrating. <laughs> How many people would you unnerve? <laughs> you just might. <laughs> yeah, you just might. That's what we should, maybe we should do that. Blood in the sun. I just bring. I'm bring. I'll bring my scotch. I'll pour a shot and have a shot to salute my to the winner. Yeah, to the winner. Yeah, <laughs> and then just drink it. Sorry, you. You, you know, I'd offer you some, but this isn't going to last long. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Okay. All so, right. Anyway, so Tarvitz goes to leave early, and Edelon's like, "Where are you going?" You know, he just. Total disregard for Tarvitz. Uh, Lucius tells him to stay because he wants him to tell the story of murder again. And he tells him, why don't you tell it? You tell it better than I do anyway. Because it keeps getting better every time you tell it. Every time you tell it, your part gets a little bigger and more adventurous. Um, But he goes to see ancient uh, Rylanor, which was the guy from the part in the beginning of the – Yeah. This was very cool. 
I, you know, I, I, I wasn't very well aware of what, uh, oh, what, what do you call? They're not terminated. They're um, dreadnoughts. 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 Yeah. Um, I understood the concept of a dreadnought, but yeah. they describe him. You know, he's the keeper of the lore. He's you know practically immortal, cased in this thing. Um, but uh, he goes down to talk to him, and he basically says, uh, "This Odo Vakar." Dies one of the somebody who I, I don't remember him being in the other books, but no. he died and he's supposed to stay on the Andronicus and relay messages back and forth, and he asks to stay in his place. And you know the the dreadnoughts like you 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 don't want to go fight. That's weird, right? And actually says you got to be very careful here because he would if you lie to him he'll know. Which I thought was really interesting that they're because he's just that savvy. He's been around for a long long, long time. time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but he speaks. It's it's it's, it's just this big machine, you know. And it's yep. like sort of he moves slowly. He talks slowly. Uh, there's a part where he thinks he's having a backup on his system, but he's actually laughing. It's like. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's been around so long. He's just smart, and it's like he'll know instantly if you lie to him. It just it it sort of made him something more than just a space marine to me. I mean, and granted, he is. But it, I just found that it was a really interesting description as someone who didn't really know much about dreadnoughts. Yeah. Um, but he uh, agrees to let him stay, and then he says to him, "Do the emperor's work, Captain Tarvitz." Which I think was great because even Tarvis is like, oh, I wonder what he meant by that. <laughs> you know, hey, yeah. Greg, do you when you read Dreadnoughts now, do you always hear in your head the voice from the Dawn of War? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I, don't, I do every I didn't time. I play a huge amount of Dawn of War. Every um, time I read a Dreadnought, I hear this mechanized voice in my head, this deep rumbling, you know, mechanized voice. My, my every thought at the moment has been replaced by. Um, Chris Wright, uh, Battle for the Fang. Oh, yeah, that's great. When he talks about the way um, uh, Bjorn, uh, Bjorn the fell in his dreadnought. So I'm just sitting there thinking, this guy's not angry enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not well, yet. Bjorn the fell... Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Ignore that. Uh-huh. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Moving we'll, on. We'll, things clicking, we'll things clicking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Mercedes Olaton, who's been missing from the book for several chapters, oh, goes... Before, I mean, just oh, okay. briefly, before we move on, Rylanor here... He just takes on, um, he's like, he's, Tarvitz is um, Tarek. Mm-hmm. So where ta- where Loken has Tarek, Tarvitz, Rylanor kind of just echoes that little kind of bit, relationship, yeah, which I thought was quite cool. You've got, again, that kind of reflection of the other story that's going on. Yeah. I didn't even well, think about that. I that's really so. cool. No, I, I didn't even yeah. think of that. At- so... Okay, so back to uh, Mercedes Olaton. Um, she goes to see Cinnamon. He's got Keeler. They're hiding out in like these big, just like in the in the subterranean parts of the or the, the sub parts of the ship, mm-hmm. hiding in these huge open tubes. You know, like where um, they're the, doing these ships. These ships. I mean, it should be said these ships are so large that I mean, people grow up. You know, are born, grow up, live, and die in them. There's entire societies in them that most people don't see. Right. Uh, uh, I mean, so to, to, for them to hide in the ship is is completely conceivable. It's, yeah, it's, if they've got some enormous. people helping them hide, it's, it, oh, yeah. it's easy as anything. someone Someone led me to a picture that someone had posted on the website showing the different ships from different movies. The, site compares, the size comparisons? Yeah, and then yeah. you see one of the giant – and it's like you realize that the crew can be up to three million yeah, on yeah, one of these ships. Huge. You're like, wait, what? 
You know, so because uh, later on when they're having that meeting with Cinderman, he says there's thousands of people there. And I'm like, oh, thousands, but you can fit millions of people on the ship. So they're they're hiding out. Um, the, 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 the faith has spread so much through the crew that even when Olin says we need some medicine and we need things like this, he's like, no, nah, it's not a problem. We can get you whatever you need. I think that actually happens later in the book. Oh, yeah. actually, that does happen later in the book because right now they're in that other room. But it's yeah. it's kind of spread throughout. Uh, but this is where she has trouble and she tells him she can't believe like she just she's been told her whole life it's not this way and that's where he tells her it's easy for me to be i've seen the miracles i've seen them happen it's easy for me to be faithful you know he's not the doubting thomas because he has no need to be uh and that's when you see the spear tip leaving the ship through the window of wherever they're at because they're not in the big tube that's right there in the wind they got she actually mentions somebody uh, rather important among the humans must have given this to her because they actually have a window in their room. Yeah. Um, but as it goes out, she thinks, uh, you know, she, she says a little thing, you know, it's like, you know, for, um, for Loken as he's leaving. Uh, and then they describe the coral city and you get this weird legend of Istvan, which I thought was fantastic. Total mm-hmm. break from everything else in the book. Um, the people of Istvan believe that the god Istvan sang the world into being and that they were, they were the lost children. They rejected him and he banished them to Istvan five. And that someday the the inhabitants of Istvan Five would come back and try to take over the planet. And the weird thing is, all of a sudden, it actually says in the book that they all just started mobilizing for war. There was no indication anything was coming. It just the the war singer started singing, and so there was like some sort of I mean I don't know a premonition, psychic knowledge, but they just start gearing up for war, and. Right. Um, the city's only approachable from the west. You, the only way you can get into their main city. So they just barricade the western side, ready for war. Nothing's going to get through. <laughs> and then the drop ships start coming. <laughs> the, the drop, drop pods. pods coming down, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. They can attack from up? Crap. And that's basically <laughs> where... That's basically where they, you know that's 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 our end for chapter seven. And so the drop pods start coming from the sky, and here we're going to take a break, uh, a much needed break, uh, and we'll come back with part two, the Coral City. Perfect. Are you looking for an online experience that acts like your friendly local gaming store? Do you want all your favorite GW lines at up to fifteen percent off? Do you want Magic the Gathering at the best prices on the net? Are you looking for a great range of new and classic board games? Then you need to get yourself to oggames.co.uk. Og Games, living in a fantasy world. Okay, and we are back with part two, The Coral City. Uh, this is me, Dave, again, and Carl and Greg. Carl, hey Greg. <laughs> Hello. It's been a while. <laughs> The first break uh, we took when we took that break was all of twelve seconds in our real time, and then it was about twelve days <laughs> for the second. So, oh, at least, yeah, no kidding. But I'm glad you guys are back on, and we can get on with this now. When we last were talking together, we just finished up part one, and so we're on to part two, the Coral City. This is where it gets real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it gets crazy. So, um. I mean, this literally, this, this whole section is just about this attack onto the Coral City and all the stuff that happens. This is, this, this, parts of this get, uh, you, you can almost get goosebumps at certain parts, I think. At least me. 
<laughs> I, would, I would agree. I think this was the um, this is the meat of this uh, book, if you will. I think. I agree. Uh, I guess let's get on with it. Let's see what happens. Uh, Vipus uh, asks Loken to come with him, and he goes in his drop pod, which is off target. Hits a spire, uh, slams, and Loken blacks out. <laughs> so he's taken out of the mix in the beginning. Lucius is the one, and it's so weird because I'm still having trouble picturing Lucius as the good guy. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. This is a it, for me too. This was an interesting part of his life, uh, as described in the book, because I'm, I'm so used to seeing. Obviously, I play chaos, so I'm so used to seeing him as you know one of my HQ options, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it it does. I mean, the guys. He's not necessarily a bad guy at this point, but he's certainly still a jerk. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, he's very much in it for himself. Yeah. Uh, in fact, yeah, you see that here. I really uh, – they describe the enemy. Uh, they have weapons and armor that's luminous and shimmering. Looks like it's made out of iridescent glass. And they actually see the space planes landing, and they let out a scream and go at him. Yeah. And Lucius kind of likes that. He's like – he's a little proud of these people. He's like, okay – I may gonna I may have to smash you, but at least uh at least I know I know you guys are uh worth fighting. At least it'll be fun. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's kinda his outtake on it. It's interesting, I have a friend in real life that was kinda we used to play paintball and he was kinda like like Lucius. <laughs> like <laughs> we'd all try to be working as a team and he'd be like, Yeah, I'm gonna go over here and kill a bunch of guys. Okay, all right, dude. <laughs> you know, and that's kinda how he is. Oh, yeah. So, um, not exactly a team player, but no. uh, he does have ancient uh, Rylanor with him. So, he's ancient Rylanor is laying cover fire, and Lucius and the team are going on full bore. And uh, meanwhile, Loken's team is on top of a spire. we got to yep. get downstairs. That's <laughs> basically. Um, and they hear a war singer starting up, so they know they've got to hurry because it's going to get bad once those war singers start. But uh, what I think is exciting, the exciting real part of this chapter, at least on the planet, is when the world eaters go. When the world eaters well, well, from that moment uh, and the war singer starts, Lucia starts reacting to it. Oh, that's true. You see the first kind of Lucia starts losing himself and, and hearing that music and there's a bit of a connection. I like, the, see I like the symbolism in that. I'm glad you mentioned it because I totally, I totally forgot to put it in my notes. I'm sorry, I interrupted you though. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that, that's. I just wanted. Yeah, that that starts and, and carries on through. That it's definitely he's just feeling that kind of. That's just an extension of where he is, kind of as it is, and it's like the next stage. I think. Yeah, she sings a song to rally people to battle, and he's the only space marine whose blood answers it. Mm-hmm. He's just. I mean, that, but that's that's pretty much what he loves. I mean, we've we've established that a while ago. So um, I think that that's interesting, and you can hear that that sort of call towards just fighting for fighting's sake. But you know, um, as he slips a little more, but I still think this part with the world eaters, Captain, what is it, Erlen, E H R L E N, is that how we pronounce it? Yeah, yeah. Um, the war singers start singing and have just everybody attack: soldiers, civilians, every every living being is attacking them. And uh, they actually say they're actually it's a danger because there's just so many of them. Eventually, you're going to get buried under a sea of bodies. 
And uh, so what do they do? Open fire and pull their chain swords. This would be, I think the quote was, this would be an enormous amount of killing, but the world leaders excelled at massacre. Oh, they do. <laughs> Especially anything like this. It's like, you know, normally they don't even bother opening fire because it's a waste of bolts. It's just, you know, short, short, arm, short arms and chainsaws. Right. So that's all going on. What else is happening? Um, Lucius is still pushing towards the palace, uh, having because uh, he will be the one that's going to get Prale's head. That's his big thing. He wants to take Prale down. He needs yeah, the, the m- glory much for, for his own kind of because it's his main challenge. Is there's also the kind of you know he wants to move up. He wants to be seen to be doing it. But right. you very much get the feeling that it's more of a personal kind of. He's got to be the main dude. I've got to take him down. Exactly. Um, meanwhile, back on the Andronius, uh, this is kind of cool. You know, Tarvitz has requested to stay behind, and he's trying to find out why, you know, his commander stayed behind, since we all know that he never stays behind, because uh, he's, you know, to give up glory like that. So as mm. he's skulking around, he feels the ship is moving. Right. And he, and he I think, isn't this where he, he comes to the conclusion the only reason the ship would be moving is to get itself into some kind of bombardment pattern, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So he goes down to see what's going on and goes all the way into the bowels of the ship, and they're loading virus bombs. And he's horrified, which I had no idea what these were the first time I read this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, well, only the Emperor or Horus can order their use. Every ship in the fleet would have to bombard the planet to make it work. And so he's like, well, that's it. He goes, if they're using this, there's something wrong, some reason. And he knows they're betrayed right there. Yeah, he kind of puts all the pieces together at this point. Finally clicked. (laughs) Yeah, virus bombs, um, they're kind of the grimdark of the grimdark future that 40K inhabits. Reading this there aren't. There aren't many systems, um, you know, uh, universes that go as dark as as 40K can do. Do we want to talk a little bit about exactly what they are for people who may not? Carl, why don't you take it? Yeah, so really what the virus bombs are is they release what's called like a, a flesh-eating virus. It basically takes any organic material and just breaks it down, um, dissolving it in essence, and... What th- what happens then is because of all this organic material, and this is not just people. This is plants, trees, anything wood, organic yeah, fabrics. Yeah, anything. Yep, like yep. It has Everything. a short lifespan, though, doesn't it? Very short. It has it's- a very short lifespan. But what happens is it all this organic material gets dissolved and releases into the atmosphere uh, gas, flammable gas, basically from the organic material breaking down. Right. And so then the conclusion of a virus bomb attack is typically to ignite that gas from orbit, usually with some kind of lance fire, laser fire, and then uh, that will just basically burn the planet to a cinder at that point. <laughs> so it's really, you know, it's when you want to really reach out and touch someone, this is, <laughs> this is the is. way they do it. Yeah. <laughs> it is massively the last resort. There's no, there's not, there's not much left coming back, worth coming back for on a planet once you've done this, right? And so, really, what Horus is and what Tarvitz is coming to realize at this point is that Horus intends to really kill everybody on the planet. 
Yeah, you would yeah, have never sent anybody down if you no, were going to use these. There's no way he's getting prepared to do these and hoping to save the space marines that are on the planet. All right. It's just not going to happen. Now, Tarvitz actually, it's, it's like finally somebody takes action. You know, and it's like, now granted, everyone else is looking for absolute 100% stock sealed proof. But I think a lot of times, uh, especially like Loken, um, had the proof, but not the why so much. Yeah. And but, he was looking for the why. Here he's like, yeah. okay, I'm not going to find out why. No one's going to tell me why. I got to do something. Yeah, well, that, that's it. This is the first time that actual you've got to the point of no return, as it were. All beforehand, Loken, and that was still trying to save the Legion. But right. At this point, it's if I don't act now, everyone on that planet's dead. <clears throat> so that is actually the end of Chapter 8, is him. He's going to go. He's going to try to get down and warn them. Um, and then we get into Chapter 9. And uh, let, you know what? Let's, okay, go. Before you, yeah, before you jump into Chapter 9, I mean, the interesting thing about this, I mean, he's going to go down to try to warn people. But in, in essence, this is a pretty futile gesture at this point. Um, and the reason I say that is because it takes a lot of effort to land the forces that they have landed on the planet at this point. Yeah. He can't just go down and say, hey, by the way, everybody get off the planet. And five minutes later, people are off the planet and OK. It's not going to happen. Um, what he's, you know, what what is he really going to do here? You know, he he's not even really sure. He just knows he has to tell somebody at this point. Yeah, and, and he has to make his stand, stand yep. choose his side. Exactly. He's choosing, he's choosing to fight against Horus at this point. Right. Which is quite a massive kind of step in the heresy as it goes. Right. I just saw it as he's got to, you know, they can if they can take some sort of cover, you know, if, if they, you know, I mean, they've got to know that. Yeah, but even so, I mean, there's so many, there's so many Marines on the planet at this point. Right. <laughs> you know. And they're scattered they, everywhere fighting and it's. Yeah. It's 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 completely unreasonable to expect that he'll be able to rescue tons of people, and and we'll find out what happens soon. So right. anyway, I never thought of it that way. I guess it was just like I've got you know I can't just let them all die. I have to do something, and I I just I guess I didn't think about uh, that. And you bring up a good point. Now I'm kind of like oh, <laughs> but uh, no, that's great. So uh, shall we move on to chapter nine? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. um, so. Horus is watching the battle, and he doesn't even care about this rebellion. I mean, this is an excuse, and he finally actually says it in here. I don't have the page marked, but it's finally where he says, I'm going to get rid of all of those who won't follow me against the emperor. And it's the first time he just openly says it in public, I'm killing off anyone who doesn't agree with me and going after my dad, which I thought was kind of important. <laughs> um, and then he finds out Magnus has is gone. Uh, that he's fled from uh, Prospero, and uh, Horus is happy because he thought of Magnus as his biggest threat. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, wanted him dead anyway. But now that he's had to run from the Emperor, is it? Well, it looks like my greatest threat is now going to be my ally or dead. Either way, uh, either way, I I win. Yeah, and I'll yeah. tell you, going back and reading this again and seeing this section where you started talking about Magnus fleeing from Prospero, obviously later in the series you have uh, uh, Prospero A Thousand Burns. Sons and oh, Prospero thousand, Burns, yeah. which, yeah, are back-to-back. Um, and, and the timeline can get a little confusing here because they jump back and forth quite a bit. The, the books are not in a linear progression. No. And so seeing this and having read this again – 
I suddenly it suddenly clicked for me. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, so all of this has happened after the whole Prospero Burns thing. Got it. <laughs> you know, uh, right. it helped put it it helped put it in perspective again for me. And I think they mentioned in the la- end of the second book that uh, that they they'd released the Space Wolves after them. Yes. Yep. So yep. it's like, yeah. Yeah, so you, you're seeing those little bits, which I totally I'm reading all of this meant nothing to me the first time around as not knowing the lore. So I'm going, going oh look, yeah. And it's like you said, suddenly. It's like that little timeline in your head is starting to fill out and little pencil marks are ticking in places. Yeah, I would say actually going through and reading this a second time has kind of inspired me to maybe read the series over again simply because I think I'll understand a lot more of it this time through. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's, um, I mean, you know, I've been into picking up everything on Heresy I can since I was like 13. Yeah. But it's still kind of every time you go over it you're picking up little bits and and having these chats and things you pick up little bits as well and other people pick up bits and there's um there's always something kind of you don't quite realize or or work out well i mean in essence this is one or two sentences in thousands of lines of of book you know i mean to remember every minor detail is is impossible so it's kind of it's i would say you know, like a video game, you can go through and play it once, and you, they talk about replayability. I would say the replayability of this series is actually pretty good from the standpoint of going through a second time. I mean, um, just just with those pages open, um, after talking about Magnus and Magnus, either now he's now he's lost Prospero, Prospero's burning. Um, he's either all alone and adrift from the Emperor, so he's not a problem in that respect, or he will actually come and join. Um, it actually mentions, you know, if Fulgrim, Fulgrim brings Ferris Manus into the fold. So he's also knows Fulgrim's on that plan to try and bring uh, the Iron Hands right. over into in onto his side as well. So all those machinations are, are occurring off screen at the moment. Right. As, yeah. a, as a side note, I have to say the whole Magnus storyline, I think, is one of the most, the saddest of the storylines. <laughs> yes. I, felt and I don't want to say I don't want to say any and, more about that, that until you get to that book. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's move on, so we don't tip any more of our hand. Uh, let's see. Uh, Loken and Torgadden, uh, Tor- they're in the tomb spires. Torgadden wants to hold and defend, but Loken's like, "No, we've got to reforge this spear tip," and he actually just takes command. Mm-hmm. He goes, "We're supposed to be here like a spear tip, not digging in." They can come at us from any place. From all the, we have to go in and just and dig all these guys out. So, the uh, the level headedness of Loken just jumping forward and saying, "Nope, time to fight." I mean, what he's been doing the whole the whole series so far is yeah. is being the unsung hero, just keeping level headed and leading them where they need to go. Uh, what else is going on? This is. Um, this next part comes up is with uh, Mercedes Keeler, and she's hiding, or Mercedes uh, Olaton, she's hiding with Cinderman and Keeler, mm-hmm. and she doesn't believe. She's come to the conclusion that she's a non-believer. She just she can't bring herself, even though she wants to. Um, suddenly, Keeler wakes up screaming, and when Cinderman touches her, he has this vision of just. Death, like all around, everything's dis- dissolving, destroying. It's gross, but it's important because <laughs> uh, he's horrified. Uh, let's see where. Right. Is it? Oh, that's right. That's right. So he, so he goes, and then after she's done uh, screaming, 
then she's saying, what is it? What is this? Uh, uh, Mercedes actually starts to see visions of it, too. Little bits, not as complete as what Cinderman says. Cinderman touches her, and it's like he sees everything, and she's just sitting next to him. So she's sort of getting the uh, the contact high, I guess you might call it, of the, of the vision. But um, so then she's... Uh, Keeler just basically says, we've been betrayed. You've got to tell everybody, and then passes out again. (laughs) Conveniently. Yes. She's she's, so funny. She's every every bit that little sort of blind, quiet prophet that just wakes up, says her thing, and falls back. Hopefully you were there to catch it. And what's left? Okay, this is what's left for this Chapter 9. We're back to Tarvitz again. And um, he steals a Thunderhawk and takes off. Yep, and yeah. uh, this is actually one of my favorite scenes in the novel too. Do, do, I, I do have one issue. Okay, go. Um, he, he takes a Thunderhawk, and then right, is trying to fly it out in space, having issues with it because he's not like a Thunderhawk pilot normally. Right, and then seems to handle it really well when he's in an atmosphere. <laughs> and I'm like, surely it must be harder to fly in an atmosphere than in a no atmosphere. Just, I don't just know. by just by the physics of it. Yeah, well, I own the model, and it has <laughs> okay. a lot of engines, but that thing will drop like a brick. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but all the, all the time you're flying in a vacuum, you've only got to deal with so much. And as soon as you go into an atmosphere, you've got drag, you've got the, the height and gravity, you've got everything else. And it's like, just seems a bit strange to me. But there we go. They're space marines. They can do anything. That's well, yeah, but he, he's not very good when he's in an atmosphere flying a thunderhawk. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's his weakness, maybe. Um, <laughs> but even before he gets there, Edelon sends fighters to shoot him down. Um, right. Yeah. This is really out of spite. <laughs> he actually says it. I don't need to because what's he going to do? And he actually yeah. says he's, his warning's not going to help anyone. I'm just I'm tired of this guy. Yep. It's like when you pick up the dice and say, well, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> shoot him down anyway. Um the great part about I still think this is related to when he got the dressing down back on murder. Because oh, it could be. It absolutely could be. Because who were the two guys who were there with him in front of that? Were Tarvitz and um, Lucius. And you're kind of shocked that Lucius gets sent down, except that Tarvitz is so straight-laced and friends with the guys who, who shamed him. Yeah. And he's getting rid of both of them. And I totally think this is his ego, even getting rid of them, because there's no there's no point in sending Lucius down. That's Other, a good point. You know, no, it's a good point. The, the um, yeah, I do have one other issue with a slight bit, and it's back to where I think um, McNeil and Abnett, um allow you to work things out, and and in this book, Idolon does his little evil Bond villain speech <laughs> where he talks about. Um, you know, he's trying to warn them. He thinks he can make a difference. And he explains all of every little bit of it. And it's like, yeah, you you don't need to do that. You don't need to point it's it out very straight true. into my face. I, and that's where I, I – it's not necessarily bad. I just think the other two books did it slightly better. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will give you that. I, w- I would agree. So then we're over on the Eisenstein. And once again, every time I hear this part, I just – I hear the Indiana Jones music kicking in. But um, – <laughs> he's Garo is stuck on the ship because he's not used to his new leg yet, right? Because he got a leg replacement. Uh, he sees the Thunderhawk going. He sees the fighters chasing the Thunderhawk, um, 
And so he contacts the Thunderhawk, and he it's Tarvitz, and Tarvitz is, and this this I actually have there written here. This is the pivotal part of the whole book right here. Has has he not? Did he also not get uh, a uh, transmission telling him to to shoot it down? Oh, I think yes. he did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this thing's coming by. Stop it! And he sees it, and that's when he con. He's like, "I'm going to contact it first because this what I'm looking at makes no sense." Right, right. It's funny how the guys, the 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 more common soldiers, you know, your uh, your your Tarvitzes and your Garros are Agaros are the guys who are willing to step a little bit away from. You know, this doesn't make sense. I'm going to actually question it. I would actually argue that they're not like these guys are not common soldiers, and though they may have been thought of and treated as common soldiers, these guys are actually the exemplary space marines. Yeah, they're, oh, they're well, in charge yeah, okay. of yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, but oh. I hear what you're saying in terms of in terms they're line they're line soldiers, right? Yeah, they're not right. superstars. That's, what, that's yeah. what I meant. I mean, you got all these higher ups who are right next to the bad guys who know what's going on, who aren't really willing to do too much, and these guys just like get a hint of it, like this isn't right. I got to find out why. Um, and they, and so, like I said, this was totally the pivotal part of the book for me. I could totally picture this in a movie with him flying the ship and all the noise and him coming through the thing. Listen, you have to believe me. We've been betrayed. You know, right. I, and it's, I, I love that, um, you know, he's not mesmerized by Horace, like the people who are around him. Like I said, that's what I wrote as sort of, you know, one of these space Marines and you get this and he, he relies on their, his, their brotherhood. That right. they're battle brothers, yeah. they made oath to each other. They've they've established that they are friends in the past and that they have mutual respect. So, yeah. So when he tells him, listen, the war masters betrayed us, which most people would not even believe in a second, he sits there and weighs it and he's like, all right, I, you, you wouldn't lie to me. So I don't know why this is going on, but it's going on. And he actually shoots down the other ships. <laughs> right. That's awesome. I, I do, I like it. I think it's quite cool. But... You know, um, this conversation's happened before where Loken's turned around to people and said, look, trust me, something's going wrong. <laughs> Something, something's not right. And no one's listened to anyone before who said it until Garrow. And he's the first one who's taken the, those words over the actions of anyone, like of any, you know, his Primarchs there. <laughs> and it's like, it, I, I found that a little bit kind of, I'm like, well, I mean, it had to happen at some point And, you could argue that there was more there than otherwise, but it did stick a little bit the second time round. That like, oh, finally, someone's <laughs> someone's going to trust in in their mate rather than their superiors. But yeah, it's it's Garrow, so you kind of let him off. He's just... <laughs> and then I love, <laughs> I love it. Says uh, he's got to run and warn somebody, probably Rogaldorn or maybe Magnus. <laughs> so once again, it falls back to that Magnus could stop this. <laughs> so, um. And that's, I think that's where chapter nine ends. We're actually moving along here. So here's like, and I just want to sidetrack again. Sure, but do. after this, you know, you have Flight of the Eisenstein coming up, one of, which is honestly one of my favorite books in the series. But mine too. Um, the night, the interesting thing in Flight of the Eisenstein is they actually uh, re-represent this scene again. So it actually like slides back a little bit. You see some of this from this perspective yeah. again, and then it moves forward. And it's really nice that they've actually done that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to you guys covering Flight of the Eisenstein. Yeah, so am I. It's, that one's my favorite. I can't wait for that one. But, um, okay, so Chapter 10. 
Uh, we, we start off with Cinderman. Cinderman is now being called the Apostle as he's preaching the word of the saint. So, um, and he's talking in front of thousands of people. Right. And I was like, where are these people still? They were gunning down the faithful. Oh, it's a it's a space marine ship. I did, yeah. It's, and the, it it's a grim dark ship with millions of nameless faces. It's, it's just uh, it's so hard to picture. The scale of forty k is so immense; it's unbelievable. You know what would help you picture it? Have you seen the the ships that all show the scale of the various ships against other ships in science yeah, fiction and yeah, stuff? Yeah, I've, I've seen that picture. Theo yeah. spoke about that earlier. Well, that's oh, that's right. That's right. Up. And yeah, try and get a, yeah, try and get a link to it. Um, Sure. To, to talk about these kind of average sized space marine vessels are just mahusive compared to almost every other sci-fi yeah. vehicle you could ever think of. I mean, I've read it and I saw the pictures and I saw the scale and I read that there's three million, but just the concept of three million in a ship is just still, it's like even after you see the, 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 the proportions and the scale, it's just, it's it's kind it's of mind-boggling. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's got thousands of people there. He tells them that he... Now, this is a bizarre sort of speech here, he, but he tells them that Horus has betrayed them um, and that they've got to stand. They've got they've got to make a choice. And he gets the speech and gets them rallied. Go ahead. Yeah, Richard. I think where, where you say bizarre speech, I've written down that um, what what's trying to be portrayed in this little section is something that's really hard to do. You're trying to make Cinderman be ultra charismatic, trying to turn these people. And it's, it's one of those things that always, if it was, if this was a Hollywood, uh, a Hollywood movie, it'd be like cheesy music, you know, American guy at the front. This and, is our independence uh, day. Exactly. It yeah. would be. <laughs> exactly. And, it, and it would be, it would be kind of cool because the music makes it, but be kind of naff. Um, and to do that in a book's even harder. And I found it a bit weird. But yeah. um, I think I understood why. He needs to be quite overt with what he's saying to make sure the point gets across. But also, how do you write a really charismatic, you know, impacting speech like that? It's mm-hmm. not an easy thing to do. No. That's why people get paid a lot of money to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like the Independence Day scriptwriters. <laughs> yep. <laughs> googly moogly, don't start that. Um, <laughs> I love that film. It's all right. Oh, it's so bad. It's so I love bad. how the Americans come and save everyone. It's fine. That's what we t- oh, in fact, yeah, that's right. Because in that movie, that's where uh, they get the 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 translation. Who is it? it's the American? It's in England. It's the Americans. Tell the world. Oh, thank God, the Americans have saved us all. And he actually says it. It's about bloody yep. time. What do we do? <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, America. Just get on it. Oh yeah. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> meanwhile, Malaghurst comes in to tell Horace that Cinderman is rallying troops against him. And Horace basically says, the next time I hear about these people, you're going to be telling me that they're dead. Which is really in order. Yeah. But once again, more of the threats. I'm yep. busy now. The next time I hear their names, I want to hear that they're dead. And then, uh, and then he calls all the remembrancers to this huge, to the main audience chamber, so they yeah. can see the final results of... This battle, all right. Um, of course, Cinderman and the, them know. And it's by that battle, you mean the one on the planet? The, yeah, the, the one on the planet. I'm sorry. Because at this point, supposedly they're re-establishing control over the planet. Right. So everyone's coming down. You want to see what war means? I'm going to show it to you. So they're all coming. Uh, Keeler wakes up and she's perfectly fine. Time to go. It's a trap. Yeah, I know it's a trap. Obviously, it's a trap. We still got to go. Trust me. It's just like. <laughs> 
She, the whole yeah. time she's been preparing, and now it's she, she's time. acting on a completely different level to everyone else now. Yeah, and this is really a testament to people's faith in her at this point. Well, in particular, it's Sinderman's uh, C- faith in her. Yes. Yeah, uh, she has a great. Um, you have to see this. You have to see what's wrong with it. And uh, oh, look! You even say that in your show notes. Yeah. Read <laughs> <laughs> um, ahead a little. <laughs> and she says it's a time for us to stop thinking like remembrancers. The imperial truth is dying. We've watched it wither ever since sixty three nineteen. You either die with it or you follow the Emperor. The galaxy is too simple for us to hide in the complexity anymore. And the Emperor can't work his will through those who don't know if they even believe at all. I and suppose I, this is all this is all a, a call as well. You're kind of re- listening to you read that. It's a call that, um, you know, humanity just can't sit by and let these super beings fight. They've got to stand up and take take a place in that as well. You know, you can't just allow this war to go on around you. You're going to be involved in it. Well, I love the, the it, it says the galaxy is too simple for this for us to hide anymore. Which you yeah. never hear anybody say that. It's always vast and complex, and you know, yeah. Th- no, absolutely. this is this is this is right and wrong. There is black and white. You're looking at it, and I love it. I really love it. Yeah, and 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 you have to make a choice, and you have to be involved because otherwise, it's going to come to you anyway. Yep. Yeah. And so, what's going on elsewhere? Meanwhile, Chapter Ten, Planet Side. Lucius is in the main music room, throne room thing, fighting this warrior with the sonic weapon. Um, I like how he sees this weapon. Because remember when he picked up, and the, nice linking back when he picked up the, the mandibles from the spider people on murder yeah. and was using them as weapons. He sees this weapon, this, this sonic weapon. Then he just called its power itself, this ability to to just use the, this music as a weapon, and he wants that power, and he's going to kill him and try to take it from him. <laughs> and I just think this is really fantastic where, you know, we don't fight with other people's weapons. He's He wants power. He is al- He's already corrupted in some yeah. levels. He's just, he's still fighting for the right side because he hasn't had any reason not to. You know, we're the winning side. I'll keep fighting for us. But uh, he's willing to take any power he can get. Uh, and then he meets the he meets the guy Prale, and uh, I thought this was really interesting because Prale tells him, "We will bring down the crusade. We don't have to win. We just have to bring you here, as Father Istvan told us." <clears throat> so they see this Space Marine Crusade as apparently evil, or whatever's going on. This crusade is evil, which it has just turned that way. Or they know their place in the grand scheme of. Um, Bring in the space means there to be slaughtered. Yeah, but we, so, it, you know, yeah. we don't uh, we don't have to win against you. We can lose. We just have to bring you here, and we will yeah. bring down this crusade. That's it. And it's just like, oh wow, that's kind of cool. That whether he sees the big picture or not, it it he's right, and it all matches up. Um, Lucius kills him, and he kills the servitor playing the music. Or no, he doesn't kill him. Uh, but the servitor falls out of tune, <laughs> and um, but once the once he dies, the servitor serves a fall. They can't keep the music going, and once that's gone, the planet is just the the people lose their fight, and uh, that's when that's when real, the real slaughter begins. This is all action. If you like bolter porn, folks, you've got two yeah. chapters of it going on here. We also see um, as as Lucius kills him though, and as the music dies. Um, 
you know, Lucius knew that this was a poor substitute for what had f- fueled his battle with Prahl. So as soon as that music's gone, Lucius is missing it. Yeah, and he he's wants just, it back. He's, I mean, he's pretty much well embedded in 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 gaining that feeling again, like a drug. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then meanwhile, uh, Loken and Torgadon are at what they've called Death's Tomb, and they're trying to get to the War Singer. And when they finally get there and can kill the War Singer, their comms are all cut off, so they can't reach other people. Right. They're having trouble getting through. They're all blocked. They don't know why. Uh, they know that the world eaters are slaughtering the population with their bare hands. Their chainswords are too clogged with blood. They've That's right. all their weapons. <laughs> Which is pretty ridiculous when you think about it. Oh, yeah. the, the blood has caked the chainsword so they won't spin anymore. So now I just have to start ripping people limb from limb. Um, and Loken knows they've got to start this killing as well to get to the rest of the first wave because there's just a sea of people between them trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's it's all blood and carnage on the planet at this point. Um and then I, that wraps up chapter 10, I think. It does. Indeed. So chapter 11, let's continue on um back, back to Tarvitz and his thunderhawk in the atmosphere. Yes. <laughs> and he lands he needs a perfect landing. Because he's really good at flying in an atmosphere. Yes, that's right. But not in a vacuum. Well, you know, because he's he's, maybe he's used to an atmosphere. Maybe he normally pilots only in atmosphere. So the vacuum, it's a little funny for him. Yeah, it's a little easier, less resistance. (laughs) (laughs) Carl, I'm with you. (laughs) It's fine. But he lands perfectly. In fact, not only does he land perfectly, but he lands about oh shouting distance from Lucius, who he's looking to find. So boom, found him. Perfect landing. I figure if you're going to stretch it, Greg, I'll stretch it for you as well. It's too bad you didn't <laughs> land on Lucius. <laughs> uh, and he tells him what's happening, and Lucius is pissed, not because they're betrayed. Wait a minute. Why was I included in this group? Yeah, I mean, obviously he doesn't voice this to Tarvitz. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but this well, he is actually what does, thinking. though. He actually no, says, he? "Yeah, because yeah. he says, why no, was I included?'" No, the Primarch wouldn't send me to die. Not after oh, all right. the battles I fought for him. Look at what I've become. I was one of Fulgrim's chosen. I've never faltered, never questioned. I would have followed Fulgrim into hell. Um, and then the reply from Tarvitz is, "But I wouldn't." And you know, and you're associated with me. And that's that's Tarvitz's reasoning yeah, behind he it. He comes right out and says it. I didn't catch that. How did I get yeah. stuck with you losers? <laughs> and that that, that just plays in for further down the book really yeah you know the events to come later that's that's really trying to set the scene to me i think that's it's just a little too blunt at this point you know i mean for him i mean i get that he's feeling this way i understand that but to voice this to tarvitz man especially the guy the guy but the guy who's uncovered essentially the heresy as far as the space marines are concerned man at this point i'd be wondering if you're not going to get a bolt gun around in the back of the head the minute you turn around. Exactly. <laughs> but this is, I think this is this is Lucius who's, you got to remember Lucius is um, such a selfish person that he's only thinking about himself. He's not thinking about everyone else there. He's like, but why me? Yeah. Why it, me? He's like a teenager. And he's not is... even worried about kind of everyone else's reactions or anything like that. And he's also being corrupted by the music and everything else. And it's, it's just he's yeah. not even considering what anyone else's reactions would be to him. It's Fair just point. like a, a teenager going off on one. But it's let's not face fair. It, it's, it's, actually, that's a great comparison. Yeah. 
But he's he's been like that the whole book. How many times? I mean, Tarvitz is his best friend for all intents and purposes, it seems. And he's the one who tells him, "Yeah, you know, you make a great line soldier. I know you're only ever going to be a line soldier." I mean, every time he talks to him, he insults him. He doesn't realize he's doing it, but because that's who he is. So now when the stress hits, he's like, "Wait a minute." I like the teenager comparison. I mean, not <laughs> not to you know not to pick on teenagers, but I mean. Yeah, it's in, it in all reality. I mean, you know, it's almost <laughs> yeah. No, I, I can't. It's a tantrum. It's a tantrum, isn't it? Well, and yeah, that's it really is. And part of it, that's part of what, why I think because he does have a point though, and because yeah. Edelon seems to like him a lot. I still think this has to do with he got sent down because he was on murder, and if Edelon's picking the people, that guy who saw him getting dressed down and his friends with the guy who's friends with the guy who yeah. did it, get him out. I still think yeah. that has something to do with it. They're not taking any risk. Exactly. You know, they, they, they're like, well, if we're going to send however many thousand to die, we can chuck an extra hundred that we're that are friends with those people. It's, it's not going to hurt them in the long run. Yep. And so they uh, they start to get the message out. Tarvitz warns the world leaders. Lucius warns Loken. Um, they're not certain. I don't. Forget, I forget who managed. If anyone managed to get word to the Death Guard. Um. But the bombs drop, most of them on the Coral City. I love how it explains that entire kingdoms and vassal straits across the planet were obliterated in minutes. I'm just, this is another thing that's almost hard to picture. Like, I mean, you literally start to dissolve, like, all of your materials, and you're breaking down, the cells are breaking down, like you said, you're giving off all these gases, like, decom- like a decomposing body would. But everything else that's organic around you is decomposing as well. I'm like, ugh. It's just it got to be like soup. It's got to be it like... It is grim. Ugh. Um, and then uh, <laughs> up on the DA's era, yeah. uh, it's shooting people, and then he gets a message, and he shuts down everything. Close the coolant ducts, seal the magazine feeds. I know it's hot, but shut it all down and lock us up and cut us off. And nobody knows why, but they're yeah. doing it. Yeah. Um. And then back on the vengeful spirit, you get all the, um, the iterators. All, all the iterators are there, and the remembrancers, and they're watching all of these people melting. And uh, and then Keeler says, and so it begins, and they watch it, and Cinderman is shocked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, and he's like, and he doesn't he he doesn't want to believe it. I think and the guy who's looking for truth sees this horror and does it. He's like, wait, what is that? I don't get it. And she's like, oh no, you know exactly what it is. You saw it. You saw it earlier in the vision. That's exactly what you're seeing. Um, and then uh, Keeler's like, follow me, and just takes them off to go, walks right up uh, to Yachton Cruz. Right. Right. And he's like, what are you doing here? We have to leave. No, I can't take you out of here. No, we're... We're Loken's friends, and he asked you to help us. How does she know? Nobody knows. She knows. It's what you. It's it's her job. Who who knows what she's been seeing while she's been out, though? Exactly. I mean, you know. No, oh, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Nobody knows exactly. I mean, she just she woke up, and she is like, she's like five minutes into the future. She knows exactly yeah. where to step, where to walk. Yeah. I kind of got the feeling like she was receiving. I mean, this kind of hokey too but i mean the fact that she's been out is because she can't um you know the data that is being delivered to her if, wh- however it is if you believe yes, in yeah. if you believe in the faith and you believe that you know the emperor may be you know divine or whatever whatever it is that's going on she's getting so much information that her body takes time to adjust to it 
Yeah, yeah. And her mind is taking time to process it. It's shutting everything else down. Yeah. Right. And then when she comes out, she's like, okay, I've got what we have to do at this point. You know, um, I, I found that really interesting. Yeah. But but it's awfully convenient that she passes out and comes back and passes out and comes back. <laughs> well, that's what it is. She's still processing it. And she, but I, I kind of like the way, the way you've described it is. Her body's still processing it, but right, you know, she is needed right then, right there, or else they're yeah. all dead. And that's the only yeah. time she really seems to pop up. This is where I... At the moment, the most I need, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is where I really like Cruz, too. <laughs> like, I've always liked him, but this is where I really like him. Is he a playable character in any of the games? No. Think? No? Okay, no. I just, I didn't know. There's only one loyalist um, person who was alive during the heresy that's still playable in the game. Who's and that? that's Bjorn the Fell-Handed. Oh, okay. Who, who's who's a dreadnought. Oh, okay. Oh, and I know about that, and I won't ruin it either. No, hey, look at oh. this. <laughs> that, that was that was a question at the Horace Heresy quiz that I think most people got right. Yeah. That was one that I totally missed until you pointed out to me why I understood it later. I'm like, why is this familiar? Oh, because yeah. of this. Oh, yeah. No, Cruz, I mean, Cruz was, you know, they always say he was kind of like getting on a bit back then. <laughs> So, um, let's see, what else is going on here? Oh, so we were finishing up 11 and moving on to 12. Well, yeah, I mean, um, got, go she, I mean they, go, they go straight to Cruz, don't they? And Cruz right. ste- steps up to the plate here. This is where he's, he's not stupid. He's, everyone looks at him as a bit of a senile old guy, and they've already kind of alluded to that, and Loken's alluded to there's a bit more going on there. But he, he quickly disseminates what's going on mm-hmm. and, and is not afraid to step up to the plate and just say, right, come with me. And as they leave, what happens? Well, yeah, that comes up in Chapter 12, yeah, right Does after it? they leave. I thought it happened right then. Oh, okay. No, oh, maybe it is. I mean, I've got my actual chapter things out of order, but it says Horace gives a speech in Chapter 12. I've got it here in okay, the notes. Okay, you, you yeah, may yeah, right. hey, I'm wrong. Okay. I mean, the, the other thing that occurs in Chapter 11, you've got all that, um, all the message going out on, on Isfan to try and get everyone into safety right. and no matter that the world eaters are running around without any weapons just hacking and slashing with their fists <laughs> and hands and stuff and the death guard are doing their implacable advance and and you know the the, the emperor's children are dancing and everything else um as soon as they kind of realize that they've been betrayed yep. they are just all as one that brotherhood is just automatically there i mean you know Logan gets stuck with the, the world eaters and it's just like no yeah we're with you what we're doing and that's just like that's pretty cool actually and there's that's a like, lot of argument in that too though because uh, there is there's, there's different ways of kind of how we're going to what we're going to do but yeah. it's all focused sure uh, yeah because I'm reading that and, and Erlen just wants to go out of the bunker and he keeps threatening Tarvis if you're wrong and you're taking us away from a battle for yeah. nonsense I'm going to rip you apart myself look He's so angry, but he gets out there, and he's like, we are betrayed. And once again, that was another odd thing for me, seeing the world eaters coming out going, no, we've got to do this. We, we, we need to fight. You know? And I'm like, that's, yeah, world eaters, go get them, you good ones. That's the crazy thing. Those people yeah. who are slaughtering hundreds and thousands with their bare fists are the loyal guys. They're the good guys. Yeah. They're yeah. the good guys. <laughs> it's like it puts even more of a kind of twist on it. It's like they're the and guys. It is, who, it is a hard, yeah, it's a hard thing to come to grips with. I mean, in this book, you're, you're not the only one that was like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm rooting for these guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, what else happens? Oh, ancient uh, Rylanor, since he's completely locked off, the, the, it doesn't affect him. Yeah, he's sealed. Since he's, yeah, he's, he's the, that's the, the point that you read at the beginning. Off. 
Yeah, that's the passage from the beginning of the show, and it's great. Just him sitting there watching and just taking all of this in as everything around him dies. The collector's edition of the book, uh, the hard ones that we're releasing, this is actually a picture drawn in there uh, of him standing there looking, and you can see, like, the the virus bombs coming down. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I gotta, I'd like to see that's that. pretty good. What else is going on? Uh, oh, Angron lands on the planet with a Thunderhawk and thousands of world eaters right behind him. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Um, and they see him, and Erlen turns towards him. He goes, get out of here. And he's like, oh, no, I'm in for his children. I never run. He's like, no, no, you run, and you run now. And they just describe it. Angron's scary. Yeah. <laughs> oh, big time. He's, he's pretty much death incarnate. I mean, he, he, he destroys anything around him. Yeah, when I read this, I was like, wow, oh, wow, just that Fury Unleashed. In fact, when they said the model was coming out for him, I swear what I pictured in my head, like the pose and what the model would look like, you know, with the, with all the space just getting just chopped around him. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what I pictured. Like the first, and anytime anyone mentions Angron, I picture this scene where space marines see him and just flee in every direction. It's like, oh, no, run. You don't have a chance. I mean, after seeing everything they've done in the past two and a half books, how you can send down, you know, yeah. a couple hundred space marines and you could you could pacify a planet. And here we've got a couple hundred Angron lands and they just run fast and far. Part except, of the world, ex- yeah. except the world eaters who stand, they, they tell everyone else to run and it's like, no, we'll yeah. face this. Part of, like, part, I, I imagine part of that as well is also their, um, their mental conditioning and the way they are wired, right? They're wired to... to obey the primarchs right and yeah. so for them to even consider like attacking one is 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 incredibly difficult for them so yeah i mean it's actually quite but no one reasonable. you know initially wants to run and even the world eaters who would you think would be hardest for them to go against angron at all they're the ones who stand there say no no this is we this is the guy we have to stand against this is our fight right yep. yeah. yeah and i mean yeah. i think that's that's what i'm saying like this is has snapped at this point um, so it, it becomes one of these. This is this is a pretty amazing moment for the world leaders to actually attempt to kill Angron. Yes, it's <laughs> and it's pretty hopeless too. I mean, you know, they. Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, you know. But if, but for but for a, uh, a unit that lives for battle, I mean, it lives for battle. I think almost you know uh, uh, the the epic battles on these types of scales. I mean, this seems to be their thing, just getting in there and just fighting with everything you've got. This also is like the ultimate test too. Yeah, sure. So why yeah, not, yeah. you know, put yourself to that test against the best of of what you believe in, right? Exactly. So while that's going on, um, Horace lets all of them watch the bombing and gives his big speech about how they're not used, they're not needed anymore. This is the remembrancers and the um, yeah iterators, yeah. Um, and he turns around and uh, just he talks to the remembrancers, very sort of condescending. Turns around and says, "All right." Kill them all. And um, it's just, oh boy, uh, under a minute, they're all dead. It's under yeah. 60 seconds. And well, I mean, you have guys firing basically mass reactive shells into guys that are completely unarmored. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, there, there's there's really no defense against that. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're basically all dead. Yeah. Um, so they're going, he doesn't even watch. Like, it, it, they start and he turns around to watch the vids. And um, then he says to them, order the guns to fire. Let the galaxy burn. 
a very famous quote. Yeah. Yes, it's not just the title. That's 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 the uh, that's the kind of um, tagline to the whole fighting beyond. Right. It's been, yeah, it's been around a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what else ends up happening? Um, okay, so what else have we got? Uh, Cassius sees all the dead. Cassius is in the DAC array. He's still one of the two pilots. Um, and he sees all the dead bodies, but he tells the princeps, um, you know, hey, the death guards must have gotten the uh, must have gotten their order in time, too, because some of them survived. Yeah. Um, he actually calls them blessed, and the princeps starts yelling at him. And that's when the uh, land strike sets off the gases. And, uh, yeah. it, you know, the, the, the they're, they're in the giant titan, and it's standing there, and the fire's burning, and the temperature's going up. Um, but they're just sitting and watching all of this get destroyed. And then as soon as the fire goes by and it's clear, he wants the weapons up right away. And uh, so he's like, okay. And uh, he Cassius tells him that there's a world leadership coming in. And he's like, oh, the second wave is here. <laughs> Wait, what? And Princess, Princess, what? They're right there. Look, more ships are coming in. And there he knows something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Give me a line to the War Master right now. So he's calling up to Horus to tell him what's going on. And uh, Horus is mad. I think we could use. I think we could say that much. Um, oh, he's not happy. Yeah. Uh, I have it written here. One of his allies, no, one of his subordinates has disobeyed a direct order. And he's talking about Angron. He's yeah. so mad that Angron went down without him when they found out there were people still alive. Yep, because he could have just bombed it again. He could have done whatever he needed to, but now Angron's down there. Yeah. Um, makes for an interesting ba- a war room meeting, though. Uh, I kind of like the the interplay between the different characters here. Uh, Abaddon's like bomb it. He doesn't listen. You know, <laughs> and, uh, little horse is like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, Erebus doesn't think it's a good idea either, and he actually gets into an argument with uh, Abaddon. And uh, Horus basically um, decides, well, Angron's already out there. I'm not getting rid of him, so a ground war it is. Then he tells Erebus to stay out of their way. Um, Just, like, really kind of nasty to him after this whole decision. You get out of here. Anybody else notice that or think that there's something weird or is there a reason behind that? Because... He just doesn't like Erebus, as far as I know. No, yeah, I mean he he unders- I think he understands that not everything Erebus tells him is for his own benefit. He knows that Erebus has got his own um, plans. I mean, he tells him to stop evangelizing his own legion um, uh, and things like that. He knows that Erebus is not is not never going to be straight down the line. Is always working at something in the background. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, there was yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I've written down, you know, Horace probably knows that the Werebearers and, and Erebus, and if they're on the same line, it might not be what Horace wants. Horace has got his own plan. Horace knows what he wants from this heresy. He wants to use these powers as his tools. Right. Whereas those Erebus and, and whatever might not be quite in the same line with him. Um, the other part was... Uh, Horace um, kind of realizes that he's made a mistake with Angron. 
which yeah. kind of almost echoes back to his talking about making mistakes during the Great Crusade. Oh, it's right. Like, he's, you know, he's done it again. And it's like, oh. It infuriates him, yeah. Yeah, and, and that riles him, and he's like, I've, you know, I've only just started this rebellion, and I've, I've made a mistake. I've let Angron have that little bit of space, and he's taken it and run off. Yeah. Um, he's always scanning in. Yeah, and I need to kind of, right, get a grip. I need to make the best of this, and I need to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen again. Yep. So one last little bit of stuff is happening in Chapter 12 before we get to Chapter 13, which ends the the next section of this book, is that Cruz and the other three get over to the embarkation deck, and Maegards cuts them cuts them off. Oh, yeah. And uh, we can actually jump to this in Chapter 13 if we want to kind of go out a little out of order. Let's do that. Yeah. Maegard is now the size of an Astartes, and he goes over to fight Cruz, and... It looks like he might even win without the power armor on and stuff like that. Oh yeah, well he's been heavily enhanced and everything else, and he's he's young and yep, and he's huge yeah. and he's fighting against Magard and and they're sort of struggling and grappling. And Cinderman grabs his gun off the ground where he dropped it and shoves it into the wound that that Cruz has given him in the battle and pulls the trigger. Right. Um. The gun. I'm just picturing this gun being comically huge in his hands too, like just something that's so oh, yeah. out of place for him. Knocks him down. Uh, that that slows down a, a, a bullet into a wound. Slows down Magard enough where Cruz is able to take a knife and shove it through the bottom of his jaw, through the up through the top of his skull. <laughs> it shows you how advanced Magard's body had become. Yeah, no kidding. And then uh, what else do we have there? Then. You've got this, uh, he gets away and he starts saying face-to-face, not with treachery from a thousand miles up, but face-to-face, and he looks over at them and he gives them this long speech about how it used to be on Chthonia, um, which I thought was really great. It really made me like him a lot more. Yeah. Like, I knew he had to be something better. There's no reason to keep pointing out a character and keep sort of mocking him as half-heard and nobody listens to him unless there's a reason for him to be there. And uh, this whole idea that they had a code that was more important than anything else, and that's how they built the Luna Wolves, and nobody remembers that anymore. It's gone. And that's when Keeler's like, no, you still remember it. You're the last one. You're the guy who's got to bring this across. You're the guy who can fix this. You're the guy who right. can save things. Uh, and she sort of talks him out of you know, his... That would you know? It's pretty. He was pretty depressed. Out of there. his depression, yeah. yeah. yeah she yeah. snaps him out of it. Yeah, builds his worth back up. Yeah, and then it's um, yeah, and then he it actually describes that uh, when she says, "Can we get the hell out of here?" The, the years dropped away from him. What you know, from a little hope in his system, and the years seem to drop away, and he's ready to grow, ready to go. Um, yeah. he goes to get a ship, and now Keeler starts giving him weird sort of commands which goes along with like Carl like what you said like she just knows she's ready she's got it all in tells her you got to be completely honest because they're they take off in the Thunderhawk and this ship is sort of blocking them and they 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 hail him he goes you tell him exactly what's what and so the ship hails him and he goes who are you he says he tells him he's no longer a son of Horus he doesn't have a a legion because the sons of Horus are betrayers and of course, it's Captain Garo, so he welcomes them right in. So, which is which is great because now you know. Okay, so they're at least off the ship and with someone who's who's working with them, right? 
Um, meanwhile, what's going on? Yeah, jumping back up, the yeah. the Titan is online. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is kind of... <sighs> this, this depressed me. Yeah. <laughs> I did not want this to go this way, even though I knew it was going to. Right. Absolutely. I had a feeling, but once again, I didn't know the I didn't know the name of the ship, so it was one of those things where people might have known ahead of time exactly how this had to go, and so I was still kind of waiting to see how it turned out. So I was just so upset. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, there's um, I think it's Storm of Iron, a Graham McNeil book about um, uh, I think Iron Warriors, Is it Iron Warriors taking trying to attack a um, an Imperial fist. Um, place in this is 40k book and the diasiris mentioned in that as part of the iron warriors um kind of attack force so those who had read that book know kind of the ultimate fate of the uh. diasiri that was that was kind of for those who, yeah say for those who've read that we knew that it wasn't going to end brilliantly for the loyalist in that respect i i have not read that book i haven't either good. but uh, a lot of characters that cross over but uh, basically, Kessar realizes what's going on. As soon as he realizes what's going on, the Princeps pulls a gun on him. And so he pulls a gun back, and they start shooting. And the Princeps, as their great and powerful and brave leader of their Titan, runs. Too right. And he runs and gets out and closes the door. And Kessar almost has him. I mean, he's got him in his sights as he's trying to open the door. Arakin sees this and, and lunges the ship sideways to, to throw him off balance, and he misses the shot. Yeah. And basically, in a nutshell... Arkin betrays him, says, no, I'd rather have a ship than go along with what you have to say, and he shoots Cassius. And this is really to the heart of the whole heresy. I mean, it's just played out in a smaller scale. Yep. Yeah. I want this, and doing that, you know, doing the right thing is not going to get me where I want to be, so I'm not going to do the right thing. And my greed's greater than my faith in in what's right. it's yeah it's it's a kind of thing for the heresy it's also like uh, it's kind of a um a small version of what's happening on his fan and it's like again um that's obvious and yet there's almost a line in there that kind of says and this is almost exactly what's happening across the whole of his fan and it's it's just pointed out again at this point and it was just like oh he didn't have to say it yeah. <laughs> we could all we could all work it out we can all see what's going on here um, just let us cry over thingy dying, right? Kassar dying. <laughs> it's a really good point, though. I mean, I'm glad you're bringing it up because I didn't, I wasn't really paying that much attention to it when I was trying to get all the notes down. And you're, you're absolutely right. So it's though. one of those things that just jumped out at me again. I was like, oh, I don't need to be told. It's just, you're a bit spoon fed. It's like as you're wrapping it up, I don't need. That, and maybe, maybe some people appreciate that more than more than maybe I do the way I read or whatever. But it just it grated on me a little bit. Yeah, so, still good. I'm sorry. Uh, so back with Tarvitz. Tarvitz is runs from Angron and runs and yeah. runs and runs, and uh, he meets. He begets back to Lucius. He finds Lucius and says, "We've got to fortify this because they're coming and we're betrayed and Angron's coming." And uh, Lucius actually jokes that if Angron's coming, he'll finally have someone who might have a chance of beating him. <laughs> and uh, Tarvitz gets all annoyed with. Uh, that tells him, you know, hey, don't joke around, cut it out. And he gets all annoyed with Tarvitz. Tarvitz starts saying, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do the other. And he goes, wait a minute, who put you in charge? And Tarvitz turns around and goes, would you just do it? Yeah. Like, he doesn't have time to play games. I have a plan already made. I knew, I saw what was going on. I've formed it. Let's go. And 
Lucius is so angry. Like, how dare he, a lowly common soldier, who's never going to be more than a lowly common soldier, come down and start thinking he can make tell me what to do. So you're starting to see, if you don't know it, I mean, they're telegraphing it a mile away. Yeah. He's, you know, yeah, they are. So- Building that up even more. <laughs> you see, you see the punchline of this coming sooner than you do a joke in a Mel Brooks movie. It really, just, <laughs> it's, it's common. Um, and then, meanwhile, Loken and Torgadden see the Sons of Horus coming for them, and they are like, "Well, why the heck weren't we bombed again? Like, if they knew we lived, why would they come down here?" And it's funny because Torgadden actually think it's, thinks it's uh, a bad. He's like, he wants to kill us face to face. And that yeah. Loken's finally had enough. Loken, this is the scene where he snaps, which I kind of liked. Find, you know, let's have a, some point where he has some sort of a break, and he's just he's going to stand and fight to the death right here. He's like, no, I'm going to fight. You know, he's sort of got that I can't win. I'm, you know, he's he's going to butch Cassie and the Sundance Kid. This thing. Yeah, this is, this is where Space Marines really come into their own. <laughs> um, they they know they know they're going to die in a conflict somewhere. So it doesn't matter to them that they're going to die in a conflict somewhere. But when they know it's going to happen, their, their thing is, right, well, we're going to make them pay the price. But Torgadden actually talks some sense into him and says, you could die now or you could die later and make this slow and painful for them. We can run yeah. here, fortify a better position and fight, um, which is what they decide to do. I love the end of this chapter. Or not the, the end of this chapter, but this part with... Uh, with uh, Loken, when he says he felt he should be filled with sadness at the tragedy of fighting his brothers, but there was no sadness; there was only hatred. Like, he, like he's 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 had enough. He's got nothing left. These they really. This is the part where they break him. Yeah, yeah it, they've broken his heart. They've broken his will. He's got nothing left but spite. And and with that last little bit, when he, um, you know, he bonds of brotherhood have been shattered, and we are no longer the sons of Horus. The name has no meaning for us now. We are once again the Lunar Wolves, soldiers of the Emperor. And he goes back to before it all started kicking off and he finds that kind of, that moment, that Iron Will, somewhere where he's proud to be, where he was, he was Loken the fighter without all these other worries. Yeah. And then rebuilds that little section of the Legion. Yep. And then he's they like, go yeah, he's going to kick some ass. <laughs> and that's the end of part two. So there we are. Um, so we'll take a break, and when we come back, we will. We have the last four chapters of the book. The last part is actually kind of short. It's the last, like, 50 pages. But we got the last four chapters of the book, and we will wrap up this really long episode with you guys in a moment. Are you looking for an online experience that acts like your friendly local gaming store? Do you want all your favorite GW lines at up to 15% off? Do you want Magic the Gathering at the best prices on the net? Are you looking for a great range of new and classic board games? Then you need to get yourself to oggames.co.uk. Og Games, living in a fantasy world. And we are back for part three of Galaxy in Flames, the third book in the trilogy, as we've pointed out before. So here we go, part three, brothers. All right, boys, chapter 14. Everyone's back at the palace. Right. Yeah. The planet. But the best bit is, it starts off with that, I've lost count of the days. This is not the Whisperheads where they ran in in two and a half hours and killed everyone. This is, they've been on this planet for days fighting. This yeah. is Space Marine versus Space Marine. This is not easy work. Yeah, I thought it was almost, I, it seemed like even longer than days. I started, thinking, I started to think it was dragging into months almost. 
Yeah, but, it took a long time. Yeah. So they're basically the loyalists are all back at the palace. Uh, Loken and Turgan are discussing the defense of the palace. They're hoping that uh, Garo got a warning to the emperor because Tarvitz has basically filled them all in on Captain Garo. Um, comment, there's an interesting comment from Tarvitz about how Lucius is enjoying himself during this. Like he almost, and Loken tells him, look, he's enjoying himself too much. You need to keep an eye on him. Yep. Um, they haven't seen or heard anything from the Death Guard, but there are signs that they're still resisting, mainly smoke and, ba- and signs of battle. Yeah, there's like three or four different areas. This is just one area of the, you know, the palace is just one area of the city which is holding right. out. There are other little holdouts around the place. Right. And, and there's there's a lot of confusion. I mean, comms are down, so they're having to, like, send runners to other places to... Yeah. to um get information and, and figure out what's going on. But yeah, as you mentioned, the Death Guard, the only way they know, because they're separated by quite a distance, but there's still fighting going on over there, so they assume they're still alive. Yeah. Um, the, the, the real thing, that the, the part of Chapter 14 here, that really is the part that's most worth talking about, I think, is Luci- this is the part where Lucius is, is turning. Like, he's turning, and this is it. Like, he's plotting now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's talking with this guy Salathern, who I guess will wind up in that long list on that website you were telling us about, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Salathern is giving a lot of credit to Saul Tarvitz for organizing these defenses, and Lucius hates it. He's not getting enough credit. <laughs> and he's so pissed. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, the it's, crazy thing here is to, I mean, like, a lot of this is Tarvitz. It is his credit. I mean, Lucius, and this is interesting because this is what Lucius really fails to see, is that Lucius is a great one-on-one fighter, maybe even a you know 10-on-one fighter. But Tarvitz is looking at it from a larger strategic standpoint. I don't think Lucius has that kind of breadth. And plus, like we've said and established earlier, he's so full of himself at this point. He, he has no hope of seeing that. Yeah, I mean, this, this chapter is Tarvitz's crowning moment. This is the guy who was told... Yeah, you're never going to make anything more than a line captain who believed oh, I'm never going to make anything more than a line captain. And he's leading this defense, which is which held is, out for days yeah. and days and days. Yeah, and it's arguably probably one of the best, um, you know, last stand stories there is in, yeah. in the galaxy at this point. And and he has turned what should have been over already. You know, he has turned this into a long war of attrition for Horus. That they're just they, they can't get rid of these guys now. No. And yeah, doing everything that he was told he couldn't do. Exactly. And it's just like, yeah, hey, go on, son. So, <laughs> but he he's so mad, and he looks forward to facing Edelon and Edelon's forces. Lucius is just in it, like you guys said. He's in it to, for the battle. I can kill anything that comes at me, which is great. Yeah. But it's a bit, as you pointed out, a little bit of a not the big picture. Um. But then you get this thing where he finds enemies worthy of his respect. And then it comes in the, in the little italics, so almost if it's his voice. Or worthy of earning their respect. And that's where you see it's like, uh-oh. And so once the battle finds, he finds uh, Chaplain Charmosian yeah. uh, and just decapitates him. Yeah, it was pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and Yeah, yeah. And at the start, you're thinking, oh, he's just going after, this is him just looking for the trophies. Yeah, right. this is during, this is... This is during one of the 
one of the assaults against the palace, correct? Yeah. yeah. So you have, you know, you have like basically a wave assault against the palace and it breaks upon these awesome defenses that Tarots has set up and, uh, they fall back and regroup and kind of, okay, we're going to wave attack again. And one of the leaders of this is, is Chaplain Chamosin or, or whatever his name is. And Lucius picks him out as this is the guy I'm going to, I'm going to take out in this wave. And, and he does. Right. Oh, yeah. And um, it's just, it gets a little weird here. He starts going for the battle, ducking between people. He's hearing the song of death running yeah. through him, even without the war singer singing it. He's sort of it's been no, like drawn into it. No good sign, it. is it? Right. Um, and then Tarvitz comes to talk to Lucius about the defenses. Uh, Lucius has the helmet there. He's scarring himself from the battle. Um and Lucius is just tired of him. He was supposed to be in command. He can't believe this is happening to him. Um, you know, he's got this skull here, and he's like, you're really collecting a skull as a trophy? Like, he doesn't think of the helmet that the guy was wearing. He sees the skull out of the helmet, and he's like, you're collecting heads now? And like, he's just, they, they're, they're, they're so far separated from each other at this point. Yeah. Um, but then as soon as Tarvitz leaves... He goes into the headphones, gets the or into the helmet, gets the calm, and uh, basically calls Edelon and offers up the the palace to him. Right. So he's basically offering to bring him in and betray the guys that he's been standing with, defending. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where that chapter ends. And that's that's, that's where I really hated Lucius. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, but in doing that to Eidolon, he played up all of Eidolon's kind of. He just works him over. Yeah, he yeah. knows. He knows exactly what Eidolon's weaknesses are, and his pride and everything else. And he he's plays just like, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah that plays yeah. beautifully. That that comes up really well in chapter fifteen, where they have that conversation. He's like, I don't, why do I don't want you? Which once again, I think goes back to that whole thing, back to murder. Why wouldn't you want his help? Why wouldn't you want him? He's that good of a fighter. He survived all this time. He comes to you saying, "Listen, I never wanted to be left behind. Why don't you take me back?" What makes you think we want you? Well, why, you know, by your own legion's credo, why wouldn't you want him? <laughs> so, um, you know, I guess we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. But um, as we wrap up Chapter 14 here, Carl, I know you, you have to go to work. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I'm, I'm at work. I took a, <laughs> took a break to help to try to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go but, back uh, to work. Well, yeah, we've we've actually got some issues going on here that I need to go address. So, unfortunately, I got to step out. But, guys, I want to thank you for letting me join you as much as you did on this. This has been this has been awesome. I, I really do enjoy the show. I'm going to keep continue to listen, and well, thank maybe you. I can come back on if unless I'm the reason this episode is so cursed. <laughs> well, we'll soon find out if we try. You to tried to bring one. a third person <laughs> in, and that screwed everything up. <laughs> well, we did stretch the time zone difference from six hours to eight hours, so That's that might tough. have been part of adding in a little more. But honestly, Carl, if we can work out the timing, anytime you want to come back on, literally, you got a you got a book that's one of your faves. Just drop us an email and let us know. You're welcome back anytime. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. And and uh, I'll, I'll bring this up that that uh, on on my show that people should be uh, taking a listen to yours and and uh, yeah, it's it's great. I'm glad somebody's doing it. Thank you so much for your time, guys. Thanks, Thanks man. Carl. Talk Thank to you, you soon. Have, have fun. And you. Okay, so chapter fifteen. Um, chapter 15 I like because after you come off the planet and the betrayal, you go back up to Horus. And yeah. he's back in his strategium, but 
the wall hiding the temple has been removed. Yeah. So he's in there alone with all the monitors, sitting in the dark, watching all these different TVs, uh, watching all the things going on. He says the massacre has become a war. He doesn't have time for it. Every day that this fight goes on is one less day he has to prepare his next step of the plan. Um. So this is kind of becoming a nightmare to him. I, it's, it's, and as, as as this builds up, every time you see him now throughout the book, he is just irritable and full of threats. That's all yeah, he, he is. Yeah, this whole bit he's running through, you know, oh, this is going wrong, Angren's landed, um, the Eisenstein uh, has disappeared, um, you know, everything's going wrong. Um, or no, it hasn't disappeared, they've flown to the Eisenstein. Right. Um, you know, Cruz is, is in on it. Um Maggard's dead. It's like everything's falling apart for Horace at the moment. It's like nothing's going to his plan. Right. Um, it's great in this. The, the scene itself is great, too, because when Malaghurst shows up and tells him, Keeler and Cinderman and Olatin have all escaped uh, with Cruz on a Thunderhawk. First of all, we found out that it's Cruz that escapes. He's like, are you kidding? And Horace's like, are you kidding? You yeah. know, and then... Just laughs at it. Yeah, but then he finds out and it, he says... He says they need to review their uh, security procedures for these Thunderhawks if everybody can steal them because of the second one that's been stolen in a yes. day. Um, uh, if any of these people reach the Emperor, as he puts it, the whole timetable of my design will be disrupted. Um, yeah. If you know, So Edelon calls him and says that Lucius wants to hand over the, the, the palace. Uh, and that's when Lucius sneaks out to talk to him. Um, and as I said before, I, I think, I mean, Lucius is a little bit weird with all his scars and things. I think people are starting to think he's a little odd, but I just think Edelon oh, hates him. I just really think Edelon oh, yeah. hates him. Just doesn't like him. And doesn't want him back. And he says, listen, I can give you personal victory here. Like, I'm not just handing the palace over to you guys. And saying, let me back in. I'm handing it over to you personally. You get to go in. You get to take the palace back. You get to get all the glory. Which Which is even, it means even more because Fulgrim's not there. Eidolon's in charge. Right. And if you go back to the earlier scene when Angron was threatening to kill Eidolon in the the war room, um, this is Eidolon's point to play, say, hey, you know, three Primarchs are here and I did it. Exactly. Me. And so he can't say no. He is just... Oh, no. <laughs> He's got nothing at this point. He's like, okay, I'm in. Um, they jump back to the planet. Uh, Loken is having post-battle grief. He's just... He, he's, he, this has been going on for so long, it's really wearing on him. Yeah. He, he just... The, everything he believed in is broken. And he's fighting, and he knows he's doing right. But every single person he's killing, even through the hatred, it's 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 he's dying a little bit in, on the inside as he's having yeah. to do this. And uh, Tarvid shows up and says that they tapped into a Sons of Horus transmission, and that uh, Abaddon and, and uh, Little Horus are coming for them. And so yeah. they're like, "Well, we'll go meet them and we'll fight them." Uh, Vipus wants to go with, but they say no kind of sparks Loken up yeah. to action, gives him that zest. Mm-hmm. Gives him what he needs to do. Uh, Saul Tarvis wishes them a safe goodbye. And one of the things you find is that neither Loken or Torgadon feel ready to take, they're not ready to fight against <laughs> their 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 former Mournival, uh members. Uh, which oh, no, I think yeah. is good and I think it's important. 
Yeah. You know, these these guys were our brothers and going and, and, and these were personal close friends and yes, battle absolutely. brothers. And this is beyond even just killing other space marines. This is a battle they they don't want to have to go fight at all. They're just they're never going to be ready for this fight. Um, they could be ready physically. They could be ready, you know, uh, tactically. It's just that they don't want to have this fight. Um, and then meanwhile, they get back over to Horace and Fulgrim shows up. <laughs> and Horace is so mad because uh, he shows up and says, yeah, I know I told you I could get Ferris Manus on our side. Ferris Manus told us to stuff it. And Horace is just livid. Uh, this could mess up everything. And so Horace is like, you know what? You're going to go to Istvan 5 and start getting things ready over there. And Fulgram is like, what? And he feels like he's being punished, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, you, you consign me to the role of a Castellian, you know, some prosaic housekeeper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, well, well that's, then, that's, yeah. Yeah, he tells him, send Perturbaro. And he's like, no. He's, Perturbaro's busy laying waste to his home world. I, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. So that's going on, which is one little line right there. It's like, okay, so this is going on over there. Send Mortarian. And he's like, no, Mortarian's busy. And then he tells him, this is a betrayal of why I joined you. And Horace stops cold, turns around, and he's like, you want to pick your words a lot more carefully than that. You want to talk about being a betrayer? Is that really the words you want to throw around? I mean, oh, man, this is another part that I just got like, like tingles. Like I was like, holy crap. I'm like I. I really thought he was going to hit him. I really thought he was going to hit Fulgrim at this point. Yeah, I mean, he, he even he goes up a little bit of the old Horace here though, because he's like, um, you know, this. You think I'm betraying you? I gave you the sword that struck me down, that almost killed me. Right. Um. And you know, I wouldn't give that to someone. Uh, you know, it's, it's part that I trust you. I've given you the one weapon that's ever hurt me. Really hurt me. Um. You know, I need you to do this. This is kind of what you're doing. And he kind of gets him back on side again, even though there's all this tension in there. Yeah. And uh, he does. He plays up his ego. I need you. I gave you, like you said, I gave you this. I trust you. I need to make sure that this is done perfectly. That's why I'm picking you. It's not a punishment. I was going to send you here anyway. I'm sorry I yelled at you. I said go and made it sound like it was a punishment. I needed you to go either way. I'm just annoyed that you didn't get him going. Totally talks him into it and they go. I mean, I've I've written briefly down here that um, uh, we've got Horace. Horace as Warmaster was first among equals. Right. And that was very much made very clear. But by this point, he's like he sits himself above on a throne. Yeah above the others that are coming in and it's like yeah no this is this is no longer first among equals this is Horace's rebellion well and uh, Angron pointed out to him when he saw the throne yeah yeah and he said um, well you don't like it and he's like no I don't like any of this um and, go ahead and then on top of that um Fulgrim's changed quite once again from the bloke you know stuff has happened to Fulgrim Right, which I mean, we we will see later on what's going on, but this is this is not again. This is not the same Fulgrim that we saw last time, which wasn't the same Fulgrim we saw before. Right. He's he's there's something going on with him all through his trip off to to, to talk to Ferris. 
that's going weird. Um, and another example, like I said, this, this is actually, like I said, the, I think one of the, almost the third example of Horace, because don't forget, he, he calls Angron a subordinate in his mind yeah. earlier on, yeah. earlier on too. So yeah, this, you're right. This is, at this point, this is Horace's trying to lay down the, that is his rebellion and. Well, and the fact is, they're going there so he can take the throne. I mean, there's they well, can't yeah. have they can't have nine of them on the throne or seven of them on the throne. So I know we'll see it that way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he plans on taking the throne. So let's jump in, and now we got chapter sixteen. We're starting to roll in towards an ending here. Outside the sons of Horus before the battle, the Targost and Sidere, they start chanting in Davenite. Um, they just, uh, which was, you know, I I thought was a little weird and creepy, that thick gutter old Davenite coming up. The idea that that place that Horus turned is, is the, is the actual place where, where they they start chanting stuff from that. Um, I, I liked that it was a Davenite chant and not something, not, not in Chthonian or something like that. No, that shows, um, to me that shows the power of the lodge that's come through the lodge. Yes. As much, you know, it's spread throughout the lodge and it's. It's taken that much power that they're now chanting in it, and all those kind of things. That's right, because Cedric and Targust were like the guys, and they were they were the guys for yeah. the lodge. They were the guys who were in the lodge. So, yeah. okay, that totally makes sense. Uh, let's see what else. Um, Loken and Tor- Torgadon, uh they're trying to get through the world eaters and <laughs> through the fight that the world eaters are fighting. They're just trying to sneak through, yeah. Uh, and they come across Karn. Now, yeah. is this Karn the Betrayer? Is that the guy that... Yes. Okay. Yes. This is uh, the first Ekuri of Angron. Um, we see him a lot uh, later on in the series of books um, when we deal more with uh, with the World Eaters and a few other bits. Um, I only know actually, him from one short story, which was a great yeah, short story, by the way. It was. Um, in this, he's he's... Not quite the same character he is in the way it's written in the later books. This is a much more simplistic kind of vision of Khan. Than, I, do, I love how he shown that he is on the blood path, though. Yeah, and that's one of the things later on that comes up is um, he's actually in in later books, he's actually much more lucid than a lot of his other... They all have this ability to lose themselves in that fight. Right. Uh, but um, actually, I say, later on, he's very much the heart and soul of the Legion, who's trying to kind of... all the, Everything's going on around him. Um, say this without giving anything away, because I haven't given anything away yet. Um, but, yeah, with everything that's going on around him, he's like, well, whatever happens, whichever way we go, we're still world eaters. We right. still have these values and these things. Um, this version of Khan is not quite. I mean, this could just be him lost in that rage, right? Which happens anyway. But it's um, slightly more comic book version. This whole scene, though, I didn't. It. it yeah. Which yeah. ends up with him being speared on the front of a rhino, which right. is a little bit kind of, um, yeah, misplaced. I feel it's a bit, a little bit kind of. Oh look, as rhinos come over here and speared him. Well, yeah, him and Karn, okay. yeah, Karn and Loken are rolling around in the dirt, punching and hitting each other. He hears this noise. He basically lifts him up. I mean, this is like the guy who they're fighting on top of the train. 
and you lift yeah. the guy's head up enough to hit the bridge while you're laying flat. Exactly. And it's a yeah. Land Raider. Now, is a, a Land Raider is a lot bigger oh, than Land a... Land Raider, sorry. Is yeah. that a lot bigger than a Rhino? Yes, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, like, what, what I don't know, the Rams, the whatever, the, the scoop in the front, one of the, one of the yeah, metal the parts just impales him and carries him away while while Loken lays down, you know, as as, as the in, you know the the treads roll, you know, on either side of him, over the, the top of him, yeah, he goes over the top of him, yeah. So it was again, it, it, and it feels like kind of it feels a bit. Um, this is because this is Khan the Betrayer, um, right? And he's been speared through, uh, and they're like, "Is he dead?" I, I don't know, and it's like a little bit. Meh. It's a bit weak. Right. I mean, you, um, you, you basically, they couldn't get there completely unmolested. The planet's too dangerous at this point. No. There's, so I, I almost feel that, fight. That, that I almost feel they made a mistake of putting Khan in there. You yeah. didn't have to do it. You could just have had generic World Eater A, um, you know, who's slightly bigger than the rest of them. Yeah. You it, know, that, that, that would have done because this is not what we want to know about. We right. want to know about where they're going. Maybe they felt that Khan, you know, Khan's an integral part of of the Legion, and he he would have been down there fighting with Angron. Maybe they felt they had to put him in there, but maybe not at this point, in my opinion. Right, but um, the rest of the chapter after the after the sort of lame thing, because they just go on. Now they're going to meet, you know, Logan and Tor- the Mornaval is going to fight basically, and they've oh, he's gotten past Karn, and now they're going to their way is clear to. To this big fight, which is going to come up at the end. Um, meanwhile, then here comes Saul Tarvitz's like greatest hour here. Um, oh yeah, which is just great. Uh, he cannot believe the traitors have gotten in. He's like, "What's how'd they get in?" Um, and it's all where Lucius is holding, and Lucius holds like a whole area by himself. I mean, you yeah. know, he's like, "I'll hold the flank." He's the, he is that good of a fighter. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's he's got he's him and his squad. Right. And, but there's uh, not many there. He's 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 the main man, right? Uh, but Tarvitz, if they got in on there, then Lucius is either dead or in trouble. So of course, Lucius is his friend. He goes to find him, even if he's dead. He'll go find him and bring his body back. He's not going to let his friend be defiled like that. Um, so he gets a plan together. He pulls all the Emperor's children out of the fight. Says the Luna Wolves can hold for themselves. And basically, he says, "I know exactly what Edelon's going to do because he always does the same thing." Yeah. So I know what he's going to do. So I'm just basically going to plan my entire battle around what I mean. It, if you know the enemy's tactics down to you know the step, yeah, it's absolutely. easy to counteract yeah. them. And so that's basically what he does. Um, but Lucius is there uh, cutting scars, and he goes, "Well, who's that one for?" And he's like, "It's for you." And Tarvitz is just like heartbroken at this point. He's like, "Really? You 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 sold us out? You did?" Um, this is the cool part of the book too, as they were like this before this last battle, as they were getting ready, and you could see different warriors and different scraps of battle armor. Yeah, yeah, they've they've been fighting that long. They're, they're just grabbing whatever they can. Yeah, they're basically pillaging the dead for when you know they're you know my shoulder pads broken. I'll take this, guys. So there's guys walking around with different insignia from different legions on their body. And it's just this hodgepodge, this last hold. Every last day, every minute they can hold out is that much more chance that the Emperor can get in and maybe not save them but do something about it. And he can't believe that he, that Lucius has betrayed them. Lucius turns around 
and you find out that Lucius knows that um, Tarvitz turned down getting that the sound off. augmentation. Yeah, from the from Fabius and Eidolon. And uh, he, that there's the difference right there. He's like, how could you even turn that down? And that's when Lucius has got to know his friend is too far gone. I mean, he already yeah. knew he was gone, but then bringing that last bit up, I think that was like, maybe as you said, it was an unnecessary addition to go that little bit farther, but it was just like, you know, it does it does show their differences one more time. He can't believe he would have passed up on anything like that. Um, and then they're fighting, and Lucius is just playing with him. He really is. I mean, I, you got that, didn't you? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's you know, Lucius knows he's it's just Lucius being Lucius. He's comfortable. He's cool. He's going to win. He's quoting Shakespeare. I mean, how, how you know? He looks at him and when he when he gets a, a quick one against uh, uh, Tarvitz on the face or something like that. A hit, a very palpable hit. I mean, yes. that, that's a line from when Hamlet uh, and and uh, and Horatio and uh, not Horatio. When Hamlet and Ophelia's brother are uh, dueling at the end of the of the play, so yeah. that's going on. Tarvitz can't. This is great though. He knows he can't win the sword fight, so what does he do? Punches him in the face. Punches. Yeah, goes back to that old trick. <laughs> Just what Loken did. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, "Hey, sorry, you know." And then he moves out of the way, and then that one-on-one fight as the other guys come in, as he punches him in the face, gets the upper hand. And then says, now's his only chance, calls in all the Emperor's children that he's pulled out from the battle to jump in, and uh, they all start shooting at Lucius, who has to run away. Yes. And that's just fantastic. Just Once again, the the two of them. Um, But... uh, And we actually get... I'm just reading now, you know, um, Lucius was faster than you would have believed possible. I'm just wondering if that's... Kind of a show that maybe Lucius is getting. Has he been going augmented? Than, or, yeah, well, not not augmented, but is he getting some help? Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, that was just me, literally, just reading that there. Are they already? You know, is 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 that was that uh, is that effect from the battle music? Um, where he, you know, as I said, it spurred him on, and he's still hearing that battle music in his head. Are we seeing Lucius changing here? Right, but probably you're probably right about that. But then we're done with chapter sixteen, and now we're on to the final chapter of the book, chapter seventeen. Um, this this is just this is pretty great. Uh, there are parts that annoyed me in it. Um, right, it just it doesn't quite wrap up certain things. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm not certain you would mention about that. They might have had to go back and change it, but. Yeah, so I say I don't know how true that is, but it certainly feels like it's not quite um, complete, or, or it's it's been altered, right? Um, but basically, right in the start of chapter seventeen, you've got you know Loken walks in and calls them betrayers, and Abaddon's in Terminator armor. He's not yeah. he's not playing. Um, Aximan's there. Uh, you get and you finally get Abaddon's point of view, which is other than just let's kill everything, you know. Because yeah. I mean, normally he just says, "Shut up, I don't have to tell you anything. I'm just going to punch whatever I don't like." Um, 
but then he's actually got his, I mean, he's sort of drank the Kool-Aid. He says here, Istvan three was forced upon us by the inability of small minds to understand reality. Do you think I've been a part of this and that I'm here because I enjoy killing my brothers? I believe, Loken, as surely as you do. There's powers in this galaxy that even the Emperor does not understand. If he leaves humanity to wither on the vine in his selfish quest for godhood, then those powers will swamp us and every single human being in the galaxy will die. Can you understand the enormity of that concept? The whole human race. The War Master does, and that's why he must take the Emperor's place and deal with these threats. And that's when Torgan's like, what, are you stupid? Yeah, you exactly. <laughs> he's, he's bought every line he's been told. Yeah. He's I mean, a bad he's, he really, he's drank the Kool-Aid and he, but there, he actually, at least he's, at least, I mean, even if he's fooling himself, even if he lied to himself to make himself believe, at least he's got a belief system. I mean, yeah. so far in the book series, he's really been just sort of the, you know, of the four of them, he's the anger. You know, he's the, let's go kill it. Let's go fight. Let's go right now. Yeah. You know? And so at least, well, you know, it, it's nice to see he's got a belief system, you know? And then I love that when Torgen says it's evil, then Little Horace steps in. He goes, well, they, they saved the War Master. And I've seen this power, and he can control it. See, do, you, do you think we're so stupid that we would... Uh, that yeah. we would that we would sign up with something we couldn't control, and I'm just sitting there. That's like famous last words. Hey, y'all, watch this. Absolutely, yeah. The War Master will be Lord of the Warp as well as the Imperium, and then we'll rule the stars, which is really crazy because Little Horus is like the level-headed one. And if there's some sort of a plan for this, because remember, even when they when they when the when Horus came and met the demon and the Sarkel of whatever his name was. Mm. He said, listen, we don't want any part in your galaxy. We're going to stay in our place in the warp, and you'll stay here. Unless he means master of the warp, meaning that they'll be able to go through it unmolested. You know what I'm maybe. saying? Um, I mean, maybe it's just um, Hor um, Little Horace's belief in, in kind of Horace. Um because he's always, I think, I get the feeling from him, he's the one who's just kind of, he's always been held. Because he, there were moments when you thought little Horace could be persuaded to see the truth. But as soon as Horace says anything, he kind of just kind of accepts it. And that's his, you know, his first point of contact is Horace. And so maybe he just believes in that, in, in Horace. I think that's what it is. Because I, I think little Horace knows what he's doing is wrong. I mean, when they talk to him, you know, yeah, he's like, well, he, he, what would you yeah, exactly. There, there, um, there are points where Locus is trying to talk to Horace Axmund and saying, like, you know, you know, Horace, you know, but he's ingrained, he's in the mm -hmm. system, he's he's indicative of those people who are fighting because they were told to fight. Well, and even on Davin, though, when he sits there and he shows up, he goes, what did you do? And he goes, well, what would you have done? And that's not an yeah. answer. That's a, like, no, no. you know, and he knows it's, he, yeah, he's not saying what he did was right. Abaddon is saying... What I did was right. Actually, yeah, he, saying, doesn't, he doesn't have that. that I didn't have a choice. Yeah, we, we you know, I could, I, I didn't have another choice to make, and so that's, you know, it's, it's, it's much more sad with him, you know. Yeah, you always just, feel he, he, he's the one who could have been saved, right? But yeah. it just, to me, that whole idea that he'll, he'll control the warp. I wonder, kind of, a, did he just mean we'll fly through it? Because they are flying through it. They're having an easier time of it. We already talked about how the warp demons have promised to make his paths much easier. Mm. So is I it mean, that that there won't be any troubles? We can move through it easier. We're going to be command of everything. Or 
are they really so deluded to think that they can actually control this? I don't know if he's that deluded or not is what I'm saying. Um, no, I mean, and actually looking through um, a little bit of the, the when when the fight actually starts, um, Tarek's trying to talk to Axman, Axman as they're fighting and talk to Ho- little Horace as they're fighting. Um, and he's like, you know, um, when did you realize you'd gone too far? And it's like, uh, again, little Horace doesn't answer him. Um, he talks to him later. Horace is like, I've seen, I've seen it, Tarek, the warp. You can't stand against that. It's not that. Horace truly believes he's just kind of again he's just kind of accepting right yeah 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 it's quite cool there it carries on as they're fighting Mm -hmm. whereas Loken doesn't quite have the same capacity to just worry about having a conversation because he's really hard up against it yeah and then you get that part that that it's it's weird I, I will say this um you know they fight off into two battles you've got Loken and Abaddon, which you knew was coming. Yeah. Because um, they were just so polar opposites. They were the opposite ends of the spectrum for, you know, Horus's four guys. And Torgaddon and uh, Little Horus were sort of kind of in the middle. And I think there's so much focus on the the battle between Abaddon and Loken that their battle pretty much gets short shrift. You actually don't see any of it. You hear them talking. No. And then you come then, back yeah. and Loken looks over and Torgaddon loses his head. They're very much the um, the sidekicks, aren't they? Yeah, they really were relegated to that, and it's a shame because I don't think that they necessarily should have been. They were never. In fact, their their fight was always going to be much more um, even and, and interesting, right? Because um, Abaddon's in Terminator armor and Loken's armed with the chainsaw, um, right. which is not you know it's chainsaws against power armor is bad enough. You know they just scrape off them most of the time against Terminator armor. You're you're really up against it, and then Abaddon's got also the greater mass, the you know the stronger and lightning claw on his hand. Right. It's like it's Loken's going into a fight. He knows he's not going to win. Um, it's not going to stop him. But yeah, the other fight almost could have gone either way. Yeah, I do like uh, the the last bit. I want to kind of quote, or not probably not the last bit, but um, is where where Axum and Loken do have that conversation where. Uh, little horse looks at him and says, "You can walk away from this, Tark. The War Master wants Loken dead. He didn't say anything yeah. about you." Yeah, and he and he laughs at him. He's, you know, we called you Little Horse because you were so like him, but we were wrong. Horace never had that doubt in his eyes. And I said, yeah. "You you you're you're on the wrong side. This is the last chance you've got to be a space marine and not a slave." And I like this part. Axman smiled bleakly. I've seen it, Tark. The warp. You can't stand against that. It's just like I've seen yeah, those. Yeah. You know, we I don't have we don't have a choice. He so doesn't want to. He, everything other than no. saying you're right, but I'm stuck. You yeah. know, he's yeah. that character that you just try and try and try to get it's, on your it's, side. It's that choice again. It's like, well, yeah, I could be right. I could stand with you, but you're going to lose, uh, and I'm going to be alive. Um, and it's yep. not great, but it's the best of a bad decision. <laughs> yeah, it's like no, don't do it. Yeah, and then he looks at him. He goes, "You can't stand against him." And then it, he gives him the best answer. But here I am. You know, it's like, no, yeah. I, you know, I can't stand, but I'm still, I am. And that's what yeah. he tells him. If you would have taken the lodge, the, you know, you could see the power they give us. If you only knew, you'd join us. And then that's it. He goes, "Well, I'm not backing down either." So then they have to go at it. Um, this is just the the battle is 
great here. Um, the, it's uh, between uh, Loken and uh, Abaddon. Abaddon yeah. is just it's great. And I mean, I don't want to read in every detail. I mean, it's a battle. It's a fight. You you have to yeah. read it to appreciate it. Um, Saul Tarvitz fighting to his last breath, fighting with all his warriors, um, yeah. going after Edelon, forcing Edelon back. You know, holding yeah. the, holding the line. Even in this, this is where I thought he, you know he he's dead. Yeah, he's but dead. He's still, but he still turns him about. He still gets him away. Yeah, the guy who told him repeatedly, "You're a line officer," is getting schooled. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's 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 his crowning achievement. Yeah. It's like, yeah, really great to see. There is. I mean, there's. You can't. You can't be more proud of him. Uh, it cut back, cuts back to the battle again, and I'm actually just holding the book open now. On our notes, I think I wrote, and Greg, I have in the notes, yeah, the last 10 page I didn't take notes on because I'm too busy just constantly reading out of the book. Yeah. There's no point <laughs> in taking notes on the last few pages. Um, but then it's like he looks away from the avalanche of debris. He sees Torgaddon and Horus upon the stage. Torgaddon's on his knees. Blood raining from his body and his limbs shattered. Axeman held the sword, and then he decapitates him. Just, bef- just before Han says, I'm sorry. Yeah. Just, he really doesn't want to be doing it. That's right. He's, I'm sorry, he says. It's just, yeah. Uh, it's, it, th- that's really heartbreaking. Um, there's another short story later in one of the books, and uh, Little Horace was sort of featured a bit in it. And. Uh, yeah. Every time you read a story with him, you just—I I always—I'm always depressed after reading one of his stories. He's, yeah. He is the most depressing character. Um, you're just like, oh my god, give me a break. Um, and and then following on from that, kind of that depressing moment is, um, so again, and yeah, you know, uh, Tarvitz is um. This, this amazing defense of the palace, which is going to end at some point. They know they're going to get overrun. Right. But it almost just feels unfair that the Dias Irie just walks up yeah. and signals the start of it. But it's like, oh, no, you know. Yeah, the like Titan we walks up. Because even he looks up, he's like, you know, I've done the impossible, but that's, you know. It's one step beyond. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or you say, I've done the improbable, <laughs> but I yeah. can't do the impossible. But he still stands up against it, still railing down at this, you know, Dice. He's like, is that the best you've got after the first fire? Exactly. And then, and then they kind of get, he notices that, yeah, no, that's just the start of the World Eaters and the Emperor Children coming back in. Um, this is, this is it. This is the end, end game. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, back at the fight, when Loken sees, uh, Torgan get, uh, decapitated, he's screaming, he's yelling, no. Um, this is the part where you hear about that animal rage, the cry of loss and rage, and it yeah. just just charges Abaddon. You know, puts a knee, on, you know, driving a knee down onto his arm and pinning it there uh, with his free hand. Uh, Abaddon grabs up, and you know, so they're they, they're he's laying on his one arm. They got the other arm grappled in combat, holding the chainsword. They're looking at each other. Uh, Abaddon sees all the hatred. And anger in Loken's face, and looks at him and says, "There's hope for you yet." It's just like okay. I mean, that was a great line too, because it was just so like, you know, the, the, you see the worst of this guy. You know, like yeah. everything that could go wrong with this guy's life is is, is is at this moment, 
And he looks at him. He's like, "All right, now you're getting it. Now you're." Yeah. It's like, really, is that who you are? It's just, it's terrible. Um. And meanwhile, they're they're fighting, and it's just. I mean, he can't get him. He can't. No. Get him. No, he's just. He's not strong enough. The Terminator armor, everything else. He, yeah, he's um, numb. About, he's about and overpowers him. Axeman comes over and stands up next to him. Axeman, Abaddon's eyes are filled with triumph. Axeman's with regret. <laughs> you know, uh, and then he picks up, and then he takes uh, Little Horace's blade and says, this killed Torgadon, so I should use it to kill you too. Um, yeah, and then we get that, um, that Harry Potter ending, um, <laughs> which... Um, J.K. Rowling writes Harry Potter into a place that he can never get out of, and yet he gets out of it. Right. Uh, you know, Loken should be dead. You know, Abad and, and Little Horace are there standing above him. There's no way he can get out of this. Except um, the Dies Irae is walking across and kicks the building that they're in. Yeah. And, you know, it falls down upon Loken. And he's probably dead. Yeah. But we don't know he's dead. Yeah. We don't get to see the head cut off. Right. So is he dead? Is he alive? And again, that bit seemed a little bit, yeah. Uh, I remember so, calling my friend Brian when, as soon as I finished his book, going, is he dead? And he only says, like, <laughs> and I'm like, well, no, that's not fair. Is he dead? I mean. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's something um, that was chatted about online for so much. And it was like, the call, oh, please bring, please bring Logan back. And it's like, well, he's had a parliament building fall on him. But we don't know if he's dead or not. It's right. like, oh, it's a bit, it's almost unsatisfying and in, in, you just don't know. It's like, oh. I can see if the parliament building falls him and kills him and takes away that, because, you know, you know how bad a bad one is. If he dies, it's a rubbish way to die. Yeah. Although it stops a bad and whatever killing him. It's, he got killed by a building falling on him. Right. But if he's still alive, then it's like, that's a bit of a, you know. How did he live if he lived? But if he died, I mean, like I said, the only the only silver lining I see in that is is that he, he steals that from yeah, a he bad steals that triumph. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, meanwhile, what's going on? Uh, back, it jumps back to Saul Tarvitz again, and they're all talking. And this is basically, this is sort of that that wrap up. You know, yeah. we we it, it was one of those where they're all looking at each other. We did a good job, didn't we? Yep, we did the best we could. And that's it, you know. That it gonna... gives us a little bit of a leading into like the next stories. Yeah, you know, um, that we did, that we did. And even once we're gone, Garrow will tell the legions of what they've done here. The emperor will send an army bigger than anything the Great Crusade has ever seen. And Vipers looked out. He'll have to. Yeah, <laughs> he'll have to because the emperor, the war master's got a big enough army of his own. Abaddon is uh, kind of bruised and beat up a bit. I mean, the building didn't just fall on. Loken, it fell on all of them. Yeah, um, um, and right at the end of this bit, I mean, it's them basically talking, you know, reporting back in. Yeah, we've done it, we've destroyed, well done, sorted. And then right at the end, Abaddon says to himself, "Horace Haximund would need watching." Yeah, Abaddon's not stupid. He's listened to everything we've listened to, and it's like he's not—he's not as into this as we are. Well, it's not only it's, that; he actually says, "And what did we do?" And he goes, "We." This is what we needed yeah. to do. These were our brothers. brothers. And he's crying. Yeah. He's actually crying. And he was like, wait, they they defied the war master. That, that, they said no to Horus. Therefore, every, they're, they're, everything is forfeit at that point. To defy Horus, your life and everything you hold dear is forfeit. 
And, uh, yeah, so he needs to be watched. He's not 100% behind no. anything Horace tells him like I am. Ugh, that's just terrible. <laughs> and then uh, and then he cuts back up to Horace sitting up there. Angron's she- back. Yeah. Everyone's back. So, of course, they bomb the planet. <laughs> they rebomb the planet. Bomb the city. Wipe it off the face of the planet. And, uh, oh, look, Loken's alive. <gasps> Underneath yeah. all the rubble. Except, oh, look, he's going to bomb the city. So, it's, yeah, it's like, oh, here we go. Yeah, heart um, spikes of pain buffet him as flames burst across the remains of the parliament building. Then no, darkness fell after fell that. And Logan felt nothing else. Yeah, so it's like, well, that's, you know, that says he's dead. And even if he's not, how's he going to get off the planet? Right. Because there's nothing, there's nothing left on the planet. It's like Logan's been, and it's like, oh, that's our hero. We've had three books of our hero. And our heroes no more. Yeah. Oh, rubbish. <laughs> it was it was really quick, like these little bits. You know, he was unconscious, and then this. It's just yeah, it's terrible. I mean, I just I'm not complaining about the writing. I'm just it's so anticlimactic that yeah, absolutely. But I mean, how you, the thing is, you couldn't let any of the other characters kill him. I understand from a writer's point of view, and not like I'm some famous writer, but you don't want to let a bad and kill him. You're obviously not going to let Axeman kill him. No. So who's going to kill him? Nobody. So you got to do something. So you let him live. Some way he gets out of the battle. He's buried under rubble. He must be dead. Then he stands up, and they're bombing the whole damn place anyway. So that I mean, that's the only way you can kill him without get, having Maybe. Him, you know. Maybe. It's, it's, it's a tough one, but it, it does feel a little bit. I mean, unless it would take. I mean, the only other thing I could think of, and even that's not a ton better. Uh, would be if if a little Horace had like had to help him fight him, but little Horace that that wouldn't fit his character. No, everything we've built is he doesn't want to fight. He wouldn't jump in and and double team him to get him. You know, if they had to do that, I you, I mean, you could have written it that way. I'm certain you could have worked around who gets actually gets in the the killing blow. You know, maybe little Horace actually winds up killing the both of them, and it and you can have the grief section working more. I mean, I'm second guessing, and I'm just wondering here. But I mean, I don't know how else you could have killed him. Unless you know, you don't want to let some other character do him in. No, it has to, it's going to have to be someone. Yeah. So it's Horus but bombing the planet. Maybe it's just one of those things that it's there was there was the best way out yeah. for the writer in that circumstance, and we were never going to get the ending we wanted. Right. Um. um after that, we get a little brief um, Tarvitz's loyalists standing um, there watching the standing there waiting down. waiting to be obliterated by the bombing themselves. Just um, quite a, you know, yeah. Um, Tarvitz is like, yeah, yeah. He'll know, he'll know their names. He'll know all of our names. Um, Salathan asks him, you know, did we hurt them, Captain? Yeah, we hurt them here. <laughs> They'll remember this. It's like, yeah, we did our job. Yeah, and he it was and, all we could hope to do. And the thing is. He failed. He didn't take the palace. And yeah. once they found out he failed, that's why Horace is bombing the city. Yeah, and so they get up there at the end, and there's the, you know, the, the temple is all built, and the people are there, uh, Mortarian's there, uh, and Edelon is there, and he is, his presence was not welcomed, merely tolerated. Yep. It's like, you screwed up again. 
you couldn't take the stinking city when they handed you the back door. He can't do anything right. Nope. So he's just there. Let's see. Uh, Malakhurst, Abaddon, and they're all there. Uh, blah, blah, blah. It's, um, yeah, they're just showing um, a holograph of um, the uh, Isfan 5 and the Urgal Depression. Um, and Horus is talking about, um, you know, seven legions are coming to destroy us. Right. They'll find us at Isfan 5 and the battle will be great. Um, we even get a, a little bit on Erebus is asked to kind of inform what's going on elsewhere. Um, all's going well at Cygnus, um, which is Sanguinius and the Blood Angels will not trouble us. So we know they're off being kept busy. Um, the Ultramarines have begun to muster at Kath, Kalth. They suspect nothing. So we know that they're being held out there. Um, right, so they, and, they've and, got the guys that are most worried about tied up. Yeah, yeah. They said they're going to break their backs. Uh, I, I love, I, I love it. Yeah, and it's you know the the, the 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 end of that book is just the setup for the bigger thing to come. Well, and I love that little Horace is the guy who's still asking the questions. He's yeah, not what, blindly following. So yeah, so when we spring the trap and we destroy his legions that he sends after us, he's still going to be the emperor. He's still going to be on the throne. The imp- imp- Imperium will still answer to him. After Istvan V, what then? Then little Horus? Then we strike for Terra. Oh, dun, man. Dun, dun. Da, 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 and that's the end. That's the big music bit at the end. Oh. I will say this. As a trilogy, I was a little disappointed because it wasn't a complete... It wasn't... This is... I mean, a sealed trilogy, yeah. Right. It's Loken. Loken, as, as a trilogy, if you're taking it from Loken's point of view, if this is his story, yeah, really, you know, or his point of view of the story, then it's a complete trilogy, I guess. Yeah. But uh, there's just so much other stuff going on, and I felt like I didn't know anything, and I felt like I wanted more. And then the next story, Flight of the well, Eisenstein, picks up from... Yeah around the Eisenstein, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Flight of the Eisenstein and, indeed, Fulgrim. You can almost look at those first five books as being a sealed kind of unit because although Fulgrim jumps around a bit time-wise, um, it's very much... The end of Fulgrim much, is five, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's that story um, with Garrow in there as well, filling in that little bit. So those first five books do, do kind of sit as one story from... Yeah. More than one because of the way Garrow, uh, Friday Eisenstein works and Fulgrim works. We're getting more than one impression of how the story's going. Yep. But yeah. So, so there yes. we are. The flight, flight of the Eisenstein next. Yep. No, you'll, yep. I can't wait to reread so that. Yeah, I know. I'm almost done with Outcast Dead. I've been so busy these last couple of weeks, I haven't been able to read. And so I'm just trying to, I'm sitting on trying to plug through that. But Excellent. Well, this one thing are um, belated. Uh, recording schedule has done has allowed me to read almost all of Vulcan Lives, which just came out, um, which is actually um, all about uh, Isfan 5. Oh, well, cool. A Very lot cool. about Isfan 5, so that, that's been quite good. All right. So, folks, um, oh, God. I don't think that our – I don't know, but I don't – why am I even mentioning this? Dude, they're going to be as long as they need to be. We're going to try to focus a little bit more on sort of themes and symbols in the following books, though, because they're individual books. I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, every every book's going to be different as well, depending right. on the way it's written, who's written it, the size of the book. You know, some of the books are naturally longer than others. Um, 
and some of the stories are much more simple than others as well. Well, that's the thing. Uh, but you're not going to get the, the sheer number of characters you had like in this no. last book. I mean, because no, we're exactly. wrapping up a trilogy. Or so, we've already dealt with some of them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the, the length will be the length they need to be. And in general, I think that's what people have asked for anyway. Yeah. Um, but that's why we split up the podcast into the two separate bits. So, so the review can be the length it can be. And having the other bits separate allows us to re- allows us to do different recording times and all those little things exactly. that hopefully will keep the, the show as long as it needs to be and folks um please if we've missed something or if you've got a different take on something yeah, please, there's no if please drop what us a we've line missed. yeah <laughs> so please drop us a line you can email us um i'm david at garagehammer.net greg you're I'm greg at garagehammer.net uh come chat to us on twitter uh, the show's Twitter account is at After Ullinor. Yep. I'm at Child of Fang. I'm at Garage Hammer. And then um, garagehammer.net forward slash forums. Go to the um, episode um, uh, topic and um, let us know what we've missed or what you think or where you think we're wrong um, or anything else you, you care to share with us. It will be great to uh, hear from you all. Yep. We also we have uh, voicemail for the main show, which we can use for both. Uh, if so, if you had something that you wanted to call and leave us a voicemail about uh, something yep. that you just couldn't write it, you had to tell us seven five seven G H show six. That's the number one seven five seven G H show six. Feel free to call and leave a voicemail, and if it if it works out, it might wind up on the show. Excellent. And then um, don't forget. Um, don't forget our sponsors, Odd Games. Odd Games. Uh, if you're over this side of the pond, um, for your magnets, your board games, your Magic the Gathering, your Warhammer, uh, a good discount, all, those, all that jazz. And don't forget our competition, which will be running until we record next. Lots of people have already joined after Olinor. Lots of people. Are, my, uh, my phone's been coming up with a little bing. Someone's following us on Twitter. Someone's joined on Facebook. So just a quick reminder, if you follow us on Facebook, oh, yeah, no, like us on Facebook, <laughs> follow us on Twitter. That's the at after Olinor. Search for after Olinor on Facebook. We turn up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you leave us an iTunes review, that's a, a written review, um, then each of those things will get you an entry into the uh, the draw to win a signed copy of the Imperial Truth. Please be sure. Now, if you've already entered or already liked or already left us a review, you already count. If, if, if what we will do is before before I record, like the night before, I'll go and I'll randomly select from those people who are liking us. So, you know, if you really don't want to follow us on Twitter, you can stop after that episode comes out. <laughs> but... Anyone who's following us, liking us, or has a review up at that point right. will be entered into the draw. If you've put up a review on iTunes and you're not on the American, the USA feed or the uh, the UK feed, please drop me an email and just tell me where it is so I don't have to look through all 125 to get down everybody's uh, Yeah, we don't want you to miss out. If, if you're going to do it, yeah, don't um, miss thank out, you very much. But please don't because, make me take three hours to look for you either. Um you know, people have randomly happened upon us on iTunes. Um, if you leave reviews, um, then it means that people are more likely to see us come up when they're searching around other things. That's why we're doing it. We want the show to hit as many people as possible to get as many people feeding back to us as possible. Absolutely. So we're going to wrap it up here, folks. We will see you um, sometime in the near future. 
with the with uh, with transmission three point one, talking about your reaction to uh, Galaxy and Flames, and then shortly after that, Flight of the Eisenstein. So, folks, until next time, the Emperor protects. Death to the Force Emperor. And I think this is really the culmination of the first three books. And uh, this is where the majority of the action takes place. And, and the, the the true betrayal comes to light. Yeah, I got to agree with you. So feels, I will agree with you on one thing you said. Uh, uh, in particular, this third book is the culmination of the first three books. I will agree 100% on that. And one um, plus one plus one. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. This third book is the yes, it is. The well, I, is. I guess in my my point is the first three books kind of form their own trilogy. Right. No, and, I know. I know what you're yeah. saying. Just the way you said it. Yes, the first three books make a trilogy, Carl. Very good. Oh, um, shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Here I am insulting the guest. I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. That's the English teacher in me. Oh, help! It's just, by all means, go for it.